Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends Show. I am Todd Dan Druff with Tellus. This show is being broadcast live from the World Series of Poker on June 21st, 2018. Kind of the middle of the World Series of Poker. And we're going to be covering weeks three and four of the World Series. We were last on two weeks ago on June 7th. I was not able to do a show last week due to being busy with the World Series and other things going on. That was a planned skipped week. So we are back, and uh, we may have a show in five days. We may not. So if we don't have one on June 26th, we probably won't have another show until the 4th of July. So apologies to those of you who like having this show every week. We should return to a weekly schedule uh, starting around mid-July. It's always like that at this time of year because I have to balance the World Series and other things going on in my life and this show. So this show sometimes comes last in that priority list. But uh, I do my best to get it done, even when sometimes it's inconvenient. So anyway, uh, I've played some more events, and I'm going to talk about that tonight. we give our usual intro, and then we will get going. Uh, we do have a free roll tonight. I want to mention that. It starts in 10 minutes at 9.15 Pacific Time. It's an $80 free roll, and it's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, as it always is. It's a separate poker room. In fact, it's not even run from the United States. It runs in England by Belly Buster, who's a listener to this show and member of the forum. He is the manager of the poker room, so he does have to validate your account to play in the free roll if you are new to it. You also have to understand the rules for qualifying for the free money. So the rules can be found at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. That's all lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase, exactly as it sounds. Make sure you know and understand the rules, or else you will not qualify for the free money, even if you win. This week, we are giving away $80, thanks to Eric Benzamokin, who gave $50, and a user named All who gave $30. So thank you to the two of you. And the prize pool is as follows. Three spots are paying tonight. 40 for first, 25 for second, and 15 for third. 40, 25, and 15. I can pay you in various ways. I can send you Bitcoin. I can send you a bank transfer to just about any bank in the United States. I can uh, transfer it in another way online that you might be able to think of, maybe a popular payment service that uh, will go nameless. And if you see me around the World Series, you can ask for the cash if I owe it to you. And if I have it on you, I'll give it to you. Or on me, then I'll give it to you. But don't count on it. And I won't go out of my way. Don't say, oh, come down to the Rio at this time and this date and pay me. I'm not going to do that. You can you can find me. You can come to me. Usually I like to pay you electronically. I, I used to send people checks. I used to, you know, I used to send people checks for like $18, and I decided it was stupid. I decided that if you cannot receive a payment electronically in some way, I offer many ways to do it, then I really don't feel like dealing with it because it's too much of a pain in the butt. 2018, get a method of payment which can receive payments electronically. If you don't have that, you are missing out these days. The phone number to call into the show, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is what that translates into. 
You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain near Las Vegas. Today, Las Vegas was 112 degrees. That was the high today in Las Vegas. Very hot. This is the time of year it really, really starts getting scorching in Las Vegas, where you're not going to get away from the heat at this time of year. Early June, it can actually be okay. It can be in the 80s, low 90s. Once you get to mid to late June, all the way through July and early August, it's going to be awful every day. So... This is the beginning of the terrible heat. 112 degrees today in Las Vegas. But Mount Charleston. Mount Charleston today, 87 degrees. 87 degrees. A 25 degree difference, often a 30 degree difference. Right now, it's beautiful in Mount Charleston. It's 75 degrees right now in Mount Charleston. You could walk outside your door and instead of being hit with that wall of heat. I don't know if you people have been to Vegas in the summer, but it's so weird because you look outside and it's nighttime And in your mind, you think of walking outside at night, and you know you're going to walk into cool or cold weather. In fact, when you walk outside at night somewhere and it's kind of warm, it kind of feels strange. Pleasant, but strange. But it's so strange in Vegas at midnight to step out the door in the middle of the summer, and it's 100 degrees sometimes at midnight. It's really strange. But uh, today's one of those days. I'm not sure what the temperature is right now, but it's, it's, it's... Probably around 100. Let me look it up. I'm going to look it up, what temperature it is right now in Las Vegas at uh, 9 p.m. 102. It's more than 100. (laughs) It's 102 degrees in Las Vegas right now at 9.09 p.m. Okay, that that says it all. So Mount Charleston, and they're not paying me to advertise this. Mount Charleston is 25 to 30 degrees cooler than Vegas. It's about 45 45 minutes away by car, and it's a nice mountain setting. It looks nothing like the Las Vegas you're used to. So I have a phone there. I have an old 70s rotary phone, which sits in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. You can't text this number, but you can call it. and You can call it and reach me on the show. That's 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. That is the Mount Charleston line for Poker Fraud Alert Radio, an alternate way to call in. We also have the call to listen line. This number is not something you can use to call into the show, but it's something you can use to listen to the show. So if you don't want to waste your data, if you don't have a data plan, if you don't have a smartphone, if you don't have a very good connection and you don't want all the buffering, just use the call to listen line. It's just a regular phone number you call and listen. And there's never any buffering. Never. Some people don't believe me. They, people come up to me at the World Series of Poker and they say, Todd, come on, that thing has to buffer sometimes. All streams buffer. All streams have some kind of buffering. And nope, I tell them, there's no buffering. You'll never find it buffering. Now, it goes down occasionally, I'll give you that, but it never buffers. When it is up and running, it will never buffer. It's just going to play. And they say, how is that possible? I, it, it doesn't matter. I, I can't reveal my secret, but there's no buffering. 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. The call to listen line, buffer free. You don't need a very good connection. Just barely good enough to make a phone call. One bar is fine. Seriously. No bars is fine. As long as you have some service, even a zero bar service, you can probably listen. 712-775-8162. When we're not live on the air... You can call that number. You can listen to one of our streaming reruns where it just picks a show at random that we've done in the past, almost 300 shows now, and plays it in full. You'll just join in the middle and listen. And then when that's done, it picks another and another and another until we come back live again. 
Other ways to listen, live you can listen uh, on an iPhone or iPad just by clicking the link there on the radio tab. If you get the VLC player for your Android, you can listen with an Android device. Someone just told me the other day that's how they listen. You can, of course, use the call to listen line. You can use the TuneIn app to listen live. Download TuneIn and search for Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and you'll see two entries. One of them is to listen live or the streaming reruns, and one of them is to listen in the archives, where you can just pick an episode that's already been on and just play that from the beginning. So the TuneIn app can also be used to listen live. and uh, Or you can just go to the radio tab, and if you're on a computer, it'll just play. In the archives, if you want to catch up on shows you haven't heard, or if you missed the live show and want to hear it in the archives, you can do so. Let's go to the radio tab, scroll down to the archives section, and you'll see little graphics you can click to get to the iTunes uh, listings of the show. Get it on iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher, which is an app kind of like TuneIn. Of course, the TuneIn app works as well. Google Play is supported as well. You can click on the RSS feed if you know how to use that. Or if you just want to download or play the MP3 directly from the Poker Fraud Alert server, you can do that by clicking the MP3 button. And a little tip, iPhones and iPads can play MP3s directly without any kind of software or any kind of uh, download or anything you have to worry about. You just go and click on the link and it, and it just starts playing. Of course, it downloads the show from the server, but I'm saying there's nothing you have to do to prepare. So any MP3 file, including Poker Fraud Alert Radio, you can just click on that and it'll play on any iPhone and iPad. And it's been that way for many years. So many, many ways to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. If there's a way you'd like to use to listen to the show that we don't provide, let me know, and I'll see if I can add it. I was trying to add it to Spotify, but then I saw it was going to cost me money. And you know how I felt about that. I'm not going to spend money on new ways to listen, but I, if it's free, I'll do it. We're, we're already over budget here. I'm not spending any more on this show, but... Uh, if it's something I can add for free and doesn't require too much work, I'll do it. All right, so the free roll began four minutes ago. Or no, sorry, it's going to begin in one minute. It's at 9.15. And then you have 25 minutes of late registration to start with a full stack. Plenty of warning this time. I'm not sure if we're going to have Calwatt. Uh, I think I think he fell asleep. Let me see. He was awake. Yeah, he was awake before when I was preparing the show. I guess he fell asleep. Someone texting me that they'll make a nice donation to the show if I let them pick the opening next week. Okay. I don't like establishing this because then I kind of feel like I'm losing control of my own show. You know, something I enjoy is just picking music to play. And then I know there's generous people who want to donate to the free roll in exchange for picking the opening music, and I appreciate that. But then if I do it too often, then I lose control of something I enjoy doing. So I don't want to do it too regularly, but occasionally I'll do it for somebody. So yes, to the individual who just texted me this, uh, the answer is yes, we can talk about this a little bit later. Trader Ruski, fresh from a cash in the $1,500 limit hold'em event, will be on later tonight. A lot of Poker Fraud Alert members were representing our site. Well, not really. I was the only one wearing a hat, but we were there. A lot of us were there at the 1500 Limit Hold'em event 
at the World Series. But only Trader Ruski survived. Only Trader Ruski walked away with money. The rest of us failed. The rest of us failed miserably, including me. But we'll talk about that during our World Series segment. Because as we always do during the World Series, I do uh, a full coverage of stories that I think you will find of interest. Some are stories about me and other people in Poker Fraud Alert who play at the World Series. And most of them are about just general World Series news. So we have plenty of both this week, especially because we have two weeks to cover. Though honestly, I think it's probably better that we missed last week's show because this has been kind of a slow news time, which surprises me because it's World Series time, but there hasn't been that much that has happened. So I expected there would be so many topics that I wouldn't be able to cover them all, and that turned out not to be true. So I have plenty to cover, but it's not overwhelming, which is good. If you want to chat during the show, that's the live show. If you're listening in the archives, don't bother. But during the live show, you can go into the chat room. You need a Flash-enabled device, and you need a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing. If you have both, then you can go in the chat room and talk to other people who are currently chatting. To show you how much I care about the chat room, I'm not even in there myself right now. But here, I'm going to enter right now. You guys can start talking. It's actually an oversight this time that I didn't go in. I usually go in. I just forgot this time. Oh, I see Kilgore Trout is there. Nice to have her back. So, now I, anything I said before, I can't see. But uh, <laughs> whatever you said before, you got away with. But uh, anything you say now, I can see. Though I won't be reading it actively because I'm too busy doing the show. I'm, I'm not the greatest multitasker. Like Cal Watts, a very, very good multitasker. He, he can do like... Seven things at once, effectively. And I can't. I, if I if I try to start doing that, I, I start to uh, not do everything very well. Speaking of multitasking, you might wonder how many tables I used to play in the days of multi-tabling online. The most I would do is four, usually. Once in a while, five, but I found five was too much for me. And this is at Limit Hold'em. Limit Hold'em is harder to multi-table than No Limit. The reason is because the hands go a lot faster. So you hear people 16 tabling. It's impossible to do a limit hold'em. You just won't be able to manage it. You'll run out of time at each table to act. But uh, I could do four, though. The, the problem with four is it would take all my attention. I couldn't do anything else in the background. I couldn't uh, uh, browse the web. I, I couldn't uh, watch TV. I couldn't watch, I couldn't watch porn. Um I couldn't talk to anybody in the background, so it, it really would be just a stressful stare at the screen for hours and hours, which I didn't like. So I didn't really like playing four. Three or two was my ideal. I tried five before, and I found I wasn't playing very well, so I stopped doing that. So here's the agenda this week. Some people have trolled me over the years about my no-limit play. Some have said, Druff, you're a no-limit fish. Some have said, you're dead money in these no-limit events. Some have said, stick to limit hold'em. Maybe Omaha, they said. Some said, why are you bothering? You're wasting your time. There's been many things said. 
that have been uh, derogatory statements about uh, me in No Limit events. But uh, maybe I silenced them a little bit in the last few days. Because I played my second $1,500 buy-in No Limit event of the World Series in 2018. And for the second time I cashed. And this wasn't just a cash, this was a deep run. So I'll tell you about that. My deep run at World Series of Poker event number 37. Which was actually my highest finish in a No Limit Hold'em event at the World Series in 10 years. 10 years. And I've cashed now three World Series Poker No Limit Hold'em events, if you don't count the main event, just I'm talking about the preliminary events. Three of those in a row, dating back to last year. The last three I entered, I cashed, and I almost cashed the main event last year, if you remember. So maybe maybe I'm not really a No Limit Hold'em fish. Maybe. Someone who's not a limit hold'em fish is Trader Ruski. As I mentioned, he cashed the 1500 no, uh, $1, limit event today. We'll talk a bit about that uh, when he's on here. Arthur McFarland, also known as Ace McFarland. He was the owner of the World Series of Poker School of Poker. The WSOPSOP. I'm not joking here. That's what it was called. He co-owned it with Brian Rast. It was also known as Zen Poker Mentoring. Uh, that no longer exists. But the bigger issue, besides it not existing anymore, is the fact that on the way out, he apparently scammed everybody. Brian Rast, would-be students who paid for instruction they never received, and even the World Series of Poker itself. Everybody is looking for Art McFarland. Oh, no. You might wonder, was he authorized to use the brand name World Series of Poker School of Poker, or did he just call it that? You'll find that out in this segment, a very interesting segment. This has not been covered anywhere else on the web except for right here at Poker Fraud Alert. In fact, uh, even the World Series didn't know about this in full detail until I brought it to their attention. Michael the Grinder Mizraki has done something something amazing. He's won the $50,000 entry Poker Players Championship at the World Series of Poker for the third time. And when he had his bracelet ceremony, I happened to be in the room. I didn't go there to see his bracelet ceremony, but I was there. And I was very surprised to hear that he was actually needled by Jack Effel during the bracelet ceremony. I think Jack Effel said something very inappropriate about Michael Mizraki. So I'll tell you about that when we get to that part of the segment. Doyle Brunson. He has announced his retirement. And on the way out, he had a pretty impressive tournament. I'll tell you about both when we get to that portion. The massive Colossus event has a million-dollar first-place guarantee, so they paid a million bucks for first place, 500000 for second. 
It's a pretty big difference between first and second. It's only $565 buy-in. Sang Lu was the overwhelming chip leader and got it all in against his opponent with top pair 10 kicker. His opponent had top pair 8 kicker. Sang Lu was in very good shape on the flop when they turned their cards over. Well, he prematurely celebrated his victory before the turn and river were dealt out. I bet you can guess what happened. But how did he ultimately do? Did Sang Lu choke off his very large lead or did he recover from his premature celebration? Which was met with disappointment. I'll tell you that story. The World Series of Poker attempted to take the Aria's weekly high roller tournament. When I say take, I mean they were hoping the action would move over to their King's Lounge high limit area at the World Series. But it looks like this has completely failed and nobody's talking about it. So I will tell you about what the World Series of Poker was trying to do and uh, what has actually been happening. WSOP.com has been pretty much a fail site, even with the shared liquidity where you're playing against people in three states combined, New Jersey, Delaware, and Nevada. It just isn't very busy. I attempted to play on there. I attempted to get my deposit limits raised, which I had to do all over again because I had to re-register, as did everybody who was on the Nevada side of it. And I found my deposit limits were very low, so I was trying to get them raised, and they put me through a lot of verification questions. They called me today and asked me a lot of questions to make sure I'm really who I say and that I'm not uh, trying to get these deposit limits and pretending to be me, which is totally reasonable. I'm not, quite, I'm not criticizing that. The only problem was uh, one of the verification questions that they were demanding the answer to is where I lived in the year 1971. One little problem. During the entire year of 1971, I was not born yet. (laughs) I'll tell you about that lovely story. I know you guys always love hotel follies being discussed on this show when hotels, especially Caesars-owned hotels, do things that are stupid. I have a few for you. In fact, I have four for you this week. I guess it's kind of three plus one, which isn't really a folly. It's just the price being really high on something and me finding a way around it. That's not really a folly, but uh, three are Caesars, one is MGM. So Caesars Hotel Folly number one. I went on a ridiculous quest for a shower curtain. I'm not kidding. I had no shower curtain in my hotel room and I went on a quest for one. And I will tell you how that went. I'm sure you can guess. Actually, you can't guess. It's a, You'll never be able to guess all the things that happened in this story unless you hear it. It was insane, though. Caesar's Hotel Follies Part 2. Or should I say number two? Not really part two. To tax or not to tax? That is the question. Do Las Vegas hotels have to tax comp rooms? Do they owe tax to the county, and the state if a room is comped. Now, I know a lot of you have have had comped rooms and didn't pay tax on them, but 
Does this mean the hotel is paying the tax and just not passing it along to you? And if you pay for your room with rewards credits or any other kind of points you've earned with the property, should there be tax owed? The Rio said yes. I said no. And I went on another quest to prove them wrong. I will let you know how that went as well. Caesar's Hotel Follies number three. I was in the mood for pizza, and I went down to the buy the slice pizza place they had. And there were two choices. I could buy a slice for $7, or I could buy a whole pizza for $26. Now, there were six slices in each pizza, so $7 a slice is pretty bad. That equates to $42 for the whole pizza, which is insane. The pizza's not even that good. So I was kind of in the mood for three slices. There was no way I could eat more than three. These are very big pizzas. Maybe if I was really hungry, four. But I mean, there's no way I could eat anything more than that. I was looking for three. But if I were to get three, it would cost me $21. I didn't want to pay $21 for half a pizza. But I found a way to solve it. And I'll tell you that in that segment. But not to be outdone, there were also some follies at MGM. You know, the parking lot. Have you ever wondered what would happen if you had a player's card at MGM and on the way out you forgot to bring it? What would happen then? If you didn't have your player's card with you and you tried to drive out of the lot and you needed the card in order to get out of there? Sometimes it can read your license plate and lets you out anyway. But let's say that didn't work, which it sometimes doesn't. What do you do aside from go all the way back and get your players? Is there a way out of this one? Well, I got stuck in that situation, but it was even worse because there were cars behind me and I couldn't back up. So I'll tell you about the confrontation that occurred and how at one point I was worried I was going to get banned from all MGM properties. Speaking of MGM properties, Mandalay Bay just can't catch a break. First, they had the terrible publicity after Stephen Paddock murdered 58 people by firing out a window. And it came out that he was using the service elevator and other things there to sneak his guns up there. So first they had that whole fiasco. Now they've had a giant indoor flood where water was rushing through the convention area like a river. So I'll tell you about that flood and what happened. Poker Stars has been around now for almost 16 years. You would think they have basic things down pat at this point, even though it's changed ownership. You would think that, like screen names, you'd think that offensive screen names that people would pick, the system would automatically catch and not let them register. you think they'd have a blacklist on certain words, right? Um, apparently not. A horribly offensive screen name got through, and Adam Schwartz, the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast host and also listener to the show, he caught one of those screen names on there took a screenshot of it. So I'll tell you what screen name that is, and we'll discuss how that was even possible. If you were in a long relationship, and your girlfriend or boyfriend made it with you to a final table in the same tournament 
And then if the if you got down to the final three, and your girlfriend or boyfriend was with you as well, it was just the two of you and one other person, would that be a bit awkward? Would you start to worry that perhaps people would think you were colluding? And how would you play each other? Would you play each other as if you were strangers, or would you play each other more softly? Well, those questions came up when Alex Foxen and Kristen Bicknell, who are boyfriend and girlfriend, made the final three of the MSPT. So we'll talk about what happened there, and there was one very controversial hand where some people feel that soft playing was going on. Remember when I talked about global poker and how the PayPal thing's not going to last? Well, I was right. I'm not going to say I was a genius to predict that because it was pretty obvious, but global poker, you can't use PayPal anymore. They were not very honest about the way that all changed. And I will tell you where it currently stands with global poker with depositing and cashing out since you can't use PayPal anymore. Armenian Mike, that's what he calls himself. I'm not trying to... uh, use a slur or anything, Uh, Armenian Mike at Live at the Bike pulled a very, very horrible angle on another player. So I'll play you that clip and comment on it. Finally, you talked about Nicholas Palma on the last show, how he was being outed by several people for scamming with things as bad as uh, being staked, cashing in something, and then just not paying the person, or using the money to enter other tournaments they hadn't agreed upon, or basically robbing Peter to pay Paul, getting more people to stake him, and then he would just take the stake money and give it to people he owes to pacify them and not really play. Things like that were being alleged. Separately, An ex-girlfriend of his accused him of rape. That was pretty bad, too. You would think of all this uh, terrible publicity that his days of being staked in poker tournaments would be over. No, apparently not. Nicholas Palma is playing poker tournaments this summer, and people are staking him. Yeah, good luck with that. So that's our agenda this week. 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number. You can also text that number at any time before, after, or during the show, and I may read your texts on the air, unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the texts. Let's see what we've received here. From the 774, sometimes I use the call to listen line when I'm in an elevator so I don't have to talk to weirdos. (laughs) So I guess he uses it to make it sound like there's someone on the other end, that he's on the phone. Uh, the 734, listening on the call to listen line, have a good show. They're all talking about the call to listen line. So this is a text we've received tonight. Met a few uh, listeners this week, and uh, last week as well. Always enjoy meeting people at the World Series of Poker that uh, listen to the show. And uh, Hong Konger from the forum, I met up with him. Uh, a listener who, I won't name him, I don't know if he wants his name out there, but uh, I went to dinner with that guy, someone I've been talking to in text for a while, and uh, 
you know, I'm always nice to meet these people and see what they're like in person, especially the ones I've, I've talked to. I mean, I, I like meeting people I've, I've never talked to before, too, but, you know, the ones I've talked to in texts over time, and then, you know, they're here and I'm here and uh, we meet up, so always enjoy that. Good seeing Hong Konger again. I hadn't seen him in like seven years. So uh, let's get going. Let's get going. So I'm going to talk about uh, myself. Why not? Talking about the World Series, I'm going to talk about the topic that is most important to me at the World Series, and that's how I do. That's what defines each World Series for me. I mean, I pay attention to the other news at the World Series, but let's face it, the things that matter to me most at the World Series is my own results. So, as I mentioned on the last show, I had two small caches in my first three events. Unfortunately, the one I did not cash was the biggest buy-in by far, and that was the 10K08 event. But at the two 1500s I played, I cashed both of them. I cashed in the 1500-08 event. In fact, I got fairly deep, despite the cash still being kind of small. I made it to 59th place out of 911 people. So I got deep in that one, but it didn't really feel like I was deep because I just stopped winning hands for the last several hours, and I just kind of hung there and slowly dwindled down to zero is basically what happened. Uh, but, I, but I wasn't chipping up. In fact, I was chipping down, and the average kept going up because people were busting. So for a while, I, I was realizing I'd need a miracle to dig out of that and end up making the final table or something. So the 59th out of 9-11, I mean, I really finished 59th place, and I, and I wasn't pulling off miracles to do it, but at the same time, I didn't really feel that much in contention during a lot of that time pretty much after the bubble burst. I also kind of pseudo-min-cashed at the 1500 Big Blind Anti event. Pseudo-min-cashed meaning that I got more than min-cashed, but not that much more. And uh, that one was the first time I've ever cashed and not made the top 10%. Every other event in my life where I've cashed has been top 10%. They pay top 15 these days, but I had not ever gotten the benefit of that till the 1500 Big Blind Anti event where I did not cash top 10, but I did cash top 15. So I, I got money. So it was nice in one way, not nice in another. You know, it was nice to cash two out of three. It wasn't nice that I was still down money overall, and it wasn't nice that uh, I did not get any big caches. So then I did not play any events for about 10 more days, and that was planned. And I returned for the mixed Omaha. The Mixed Omaha is a combination of Omaha 8 or better, Limit, uh, Pot Limit of the same game, Omaha 8 or better, also known as PL08. The Limit version is just called 08. And then a game called Big O, which is... Big O is just like PL08, except it has an extra card. Otherwise, it plays exactly the same, but everybody's dealt five cards instead of four. So they call it mixed because they keep rotating between between the three games. You play seven hands of each game, and then it changes, and it keeps rotating like that over and over and over again. It's also only seven-handed. So notably missing from that, of course, is PLO. So all of these are 
Omaha High Low Variance. I played that event uh, last year and I enjoyed it, but I didn't get anywhere. So I said, I'm going to play that again. I thought there were a number of players in that event who were not very good. And I felt like I had an edge in that game, even not knowing all those games all that well. Like I hadn't, I didn't, I didn't have much experience. I knew the games, but I, I hadn't played all that much. Like a big O, um, I, I was kind of just learning. Uh, PL08, I had played some. Uh, 08, I had played uh, a lot of. But I played a lot PL, a lot more PL08 in the past year, and uh, I just felt like I was more ready for that event this year than last year. Last year I was good enough to, to play, and in fact, when I played, I really felt like I still had an edge on the average person in the field. So I, I didn't think that was a mistake. That's why I answered it. But this year I felt better. This year I felt like uh, I was very excited coming into it. So I came into it, and uh, I was kind of an okay start. I was kind of a little above average stack, or not, a little above starting stack for a while. But... Uh, it only had about two hours, so I shouldn't say a while. We were just about two hours plus in early level three. And uh, we were in the big O portion of it. And I don't like going through whole hand histories on this show. It's kind of boring for you guys to listen to. But uh, just to tell you the way this hand went was... Uh, there were two all-ins facing a guy who had about the same stack as me. There was a short stack all-in for about 3K, and then there was me all-in for about 9K. And there was a third guy still on the hand who only had 1K in and had to put in like his other 8. Only a tiny bit had me out-chipped, so if he lost, he'd, he'd be practically out. And he had only a 3-4 low draw... And a straight draw. But there were two spades on the board, and he had no spades. Now, in Omaha, again, in, in, forget Omaha, in Big O, that's a huge mistake to call in that spot. Because in Big O, because everybody has five cards, you always have to assume that when people are representing they have something, that they either have a huge draw, or they have a huge made hand. You're never going to see two all-ins in Big O with crap. So you don't want to draw it straight for huge bets when there's a flush draw out there, especially against two people. Why? Because uh, it's just about sure if the flush card hits, you're going to lose. So in addition to having to make your straight draw, any part of the straight draw that has outs where, where it would be the flush card, you have to forget those outs because they won't work. And you have to know that if the flush card hits, then your straight draw doesn't matter. You're already drawing dead at that point. And if you have no low to go with it or if you have a weak low to go with it, then that's not helping you either to even get half the pot. So to commit your entire stack to that is insane, and uh, that's what he did. <laughs> he said, okay, I call. Uh, it turned out that the all-in guy pretty much had crap. I had a draw to the nut spades. I had the ace of spades and another spade. And I had the second best low draw. And uh, not only... Did uh, not only did I uh, miss the flush, but um, 
when the low got there, it counterfeited me because it went uh, four ace. So he ended up winning with a very an even weaker low of three seven. <laughs> so he had he, he really didn't have very many ways to win, especially uh, yeah, knowing when I was going in there of how thin he was drawing. He put his entire stack, and he, he got there in the perfect way. So he won both the low with a 3-7, and he won the uh, the high with a straight, or sorry, it wasn't a straight, with a backdoor flush. With a, six, a seven high backdoor flush, because he went club-club. That's how he did it. Anyway, uh, I was out, and I was very frustrated, because he shouldn't have made that call. It was a terrible call. You don't call off your chips in that spot, because you just... It's one thing to call off on a straight where, where there's not a flush draw out there, but there was a flush draw out there. Or it's one thing to call off on a straight when you have a, a, a good low draw, but he didn't. So he had neither. This is the type of player you want putting in all his money in that spot. So I'm not complaining. You know, I was very glad to see that's what he had done. But uh, it didn't work out for me. <laughs> so I was out. Well, about a half an hour before I busted, people had mentioned that this is a re-entry event. Re-entry meaning you had one re-entry possible. So you couldn't just keep rebuying unlimited, but you had one time you could re-enter. I didn't know this. Now, the problem here, it was still early enough to where I felt I could re-enter and not be at a disadvantage. Like You can re-enter all the way up to like the eighth level, but I, I didn't want to do that. You, you just come in really short-stacked. But this is the beginning of the third level. And I thought, okay, I could, I could re-enter here, and it's almost like coming in at the beginning. In fact, many people intentionally buy in, like, at the third level. So I just I, I asked the floor man how many people are left. It turned out only about a sixth of the field was gone, so that wasn't very much. It was, it was almost like starting fresh. So I didn't feel I was giving up equity by starting again and paying $1,500 more. The only problem was that, if you guys remember, I've been selling pieces of myself, and you guys, a lot of you who listen to this show, own parts of me in these preliminary events. I sold a piece of myself in every preliminary event I'm playing except for the 10Ks. So being this is a 1500 event, yes, people owned that first bullet I fired and, and lost. But if I were to fire a second bullet, I had never sold that because I didn't know it existed. And the reason I didn't know it existed is because last year it didn't exist. So this is a new thing they were doing this year, and I didn't know that, and I didn't bother to look. So I was faced with the dilemma of what do I do? I did not have time to contact all the investors and say, hey, do you want a piece of this? I did owe money to the investors from the previous caches, so I could have taken some of that money and used it to pay for a second bullet here, but... That wasn't my place to do. I can't just say, oh, I'm adding this on here. That's That 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 would be unethical to do. When people buy specific events the way they're listed, then that's what they should get. I shouldn't be taking their winnings and entering other things. So I couldn't do that. So without their permission, I could not uh, sell this to people, nor did I have time to contact anybody. You know, time was of the essence. I needed to get back in if I wanted to keep playing. And this is the type of thing that can come up when you sell pieces of yourself 
That's a pain in the ass. This is why I was considering not doing it. It's not anybody's fault. A little bit of my fault, because I didn't look up if it's a re-entry, but this is like an added layer of concern that I, I don't like having to deal with. Sometimes I just like the whole thing to be on me, so if I lose and want to rebuy, I just do it. I don't have to worry about the implications with other people. But nevertheless, I sold pieces of myself, and I had to decide, what do I do here? Now, it was totally ethical if I were to buy a second bullet and play, but at the same time, it may look bad, I thought to myself. What if what if I win the event? What if I rebuy and win the event and tell everybody, sorry, you get zero because you only own the first bullet, not the second? I could logically explain to them why they don't own the second because they only paid for one and that the second I never sold to anyone because they didn't know it existed. I had to make a split-second decision to buy myself in and that was the only way I could do it was take 100% of myself. But it would still feel crappy, right? If you buy a piece of me in that event... I win it and you get nothing. Like it would piss people off. I just know it. But at the same time, if I did anything else, that'd be very unfair to myself. So I had to decide. Maybe, maybe I just shouldn't enter another time. Maybe I shouldn't re-enter. Just prevent this whole hassle. So I actually went and sat down. I went and sat down on a bench outside the Amazon room, and I just kind of collected my thoughts. And uh, I said, okay, first of all, I've got to just kind of cool down from that bead I just took. I've got to re-enter with a cool head. So I, I think I'm going to give 15 minutes. I will give 15 minutes to cool down and also to think about what I do with this. And I decided after 15 minutes... You know what? Screw this. If I want to enter a second time, I'm going to enter a second time. There's nothing unethical about it. No one's getting screwed by this. Yes, the optics might be bad if I run deep and get a lot of money and they get nothing. But anyone who intelligently thinks about it will understand it. They'll understand this was a piece they just didn't have. And that there is no way to contact everybody on the fly to find out do they want a piece of this too. It's kind of equivalent to me busting that tournament and just saying, well, I'm going to go enter some other tournament, you know, at the Venetian or whatever, on my own dime that I never planned to play, and then I win it. Well, would you, if you had a piece of me in the mixed Omaha, would you, would you be entitled to the Venetian uh, tournament? No, you'd be entitled to nothing. It's just the optics are bad because it's the exact same tournament I'm re-entering. So, I re-entered and owned 100% of myself. And with that bullet, I got off to a pretty good start. The funny thing was, there was a guy to my direct left who just wasn't there. And it turned out this guy was really, really, really drunk during the first two hours of the event. Then he went to break and he never came back. So he probably passed out somewhere. He just never came back. We played for hours and hours and hours at that table. He just blinded off. But they said he was really, really, really out of it. So that was nice, having that dead stack there. Anyway, I ran it up. And I made day two. And uh, I, I came back to day two with uh, close to average chips. 
I ran it up a little bit more. And then I got in a big pot on day two in that mixed Omaha. There was 190 people left out of the, I think, 773 you entered. They were going to pay 116 spots. Or 110 spots, I think. No, 110 spots, I think. Whatever. So we were, I think we were about 80 from the money. So we're not super close, but not super far. And I, 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 in Big O, I was hardly playing any hands because I was getting dealt trash every single time in Big O. It was amazing. But finally, I got the great Big O hand of Ace, 2, 3, Queen, 10. If you know anything about Big O, that's a great hand, Ace, 2, 3, Queen, 10. Why? Because you have a mixture of high cards and low cards. The Ace, 2, 3 is great to make a low. And the Ace, Queen, 10 can often make those high straights, which are, which are the nuts. And uh, so, so it, it really can work both ways, that hand. So Ace, Queen, 10, 2, 3, suited, where, where the Ace was suited to another card there, would give me a flush draw, too. So that, that hand worked in all ways. It was Ace suited. I had the high Broadway cards. I had the Ace, 2, 3. It was, it was a great big O hand. One of the best. Someone raised an early position... And I, I think I, like, I think I had like twenty three, twenty four k coming into the hand. I called. I didn't re raise because in, the, in these games it's it's often better just to call to cold call and, and see what you flop and then try to capitalize on opponents' mistakes post flop or their mistakes pre flop and entering with a with a hand that's going to get dominated post flop. So um, in, in these games, the the real strategy is to just get in there with the right hands in the first place. And then play right post-flop. A little different than Hold'em where you're uh, trying to punish people who are entering with uh, inferior hands pre-flop. So, and the reason for this is that one Omaha hand never has the type of edge over another pre-flop heads up that some of them do in Hold'em. So that that's why you usually want to wait to the flop. So I just... There's times you raise post-flop, but this time I, I, I just wanted to flat, especially given the stack sizes and all that. So I flatted, and the small blind, uh, he popped it anyway. So the original raiser called and went back to me on the button, and I could have gone in, all in, but again, like, why? I, I could do that and, and, and just miss badly. So I said, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm just going to flat here and then see if I hit this. So I flatted, and the flop came jack-9-7 rainbow with one of my suit. So the small blind who had raised before the flop, he just checked. So that meant he was done. In this game, when you do that, if you if you raise big pre-flop out of position and then you just check, that means, crap, I missed everything, I'm done. So he probably had ace-2 or ace-2 something, maybe ace-2-3, ace-2-4, whatever it was. He, he missed the flop, he was done. I was just about sure. So they got an early position, then fired 9,500. And I only had uh, like 18,500 behind at this point. So Jack 970, think about that. I had, I had Queen 10 in my hand. So that gave me the open ended straight draw. But uh, And I had the backdoor flush draw, but I didn't have much else. So was this the time to commit all my chips? So I thought about it, and I said yes. But not quite yet. My thinking was that 
I am going to get it in here because there's so many hands, uh, so many cards in the turn that can help me either make my hand or help me to draw something. If any low card falls, I have the draw to the net low. If any heart falls, I have the draw to the net straight. Or sorry, not to the net flush. I could make a straight if a king or an eight falls. And I'll have the absolute nuts. So really the only things I do not want to see on the turn would be cards pairing the board. So as so I decided I'm just going to flat this. I know the small blind's folding behind me. I'm just going to flat this 9,500. And I'm going to call the final 9K on the turn unless it's a jack nine or seven, in which case I'm probably drawing dead. Because I thought the guy betting probably had a set. So, I called the 9500 as I thought the small blind tossed it immediately. So I was thinking to myself, come on, let's see an 8 or king, let's see an 8 or king. Bam! 8 on the turn, making the board totally rainbow. I now have the nuts. Pot is going to be 51k. Which would leave me as about like double of average. Or close to double of average. If I were to win it. Once we'd get it all in. I knew the guy was pot committed too. I knew he's going to fire the 9K no matter what out of position. So he went all in. I snap called. So I had the nuts and if a low hit, I'd have the nut low no matter what. Because I had ace 2-3. There's no way I could be counterfeited if you know the game. So what a great spot. No flush draw. I had the nuts straight. I had the absolute nuts, and even though low was possible, I could not be counterfeited. Even better, when he turned over his cards, I forget exactly what he had, but he, he was not drawing to a to an equivalent low. So, if a low card hit, I, I win that side of the pot for sure. And because I already had the straight wrapped up, I was going to win that, because all he had was top two pair, jack nine. So he had four outs, otherwise I win the whole thing. And he winded me. He winded me about the flop call. I don't see how you can call that flop. I don't know what you're doing there. <laughs> and then he says, well, I have two pair, and then throws down his jack nine. River, a nine. And he yells at, and a full house! Just to needle me. So he's a sore loser and a sore winner. So I'm sitting there in shock. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> so, so yeah, I busted. Busted on a four-outer to have otherwise won a 51K pot and be way above average. And I'm sure I would have cashed that. So that was pretty demoralizing. It happens, but yeah, it's pretty demoralizing. So I dejectedly walked off. I do kind of regret not talking shit back to him. I was just kind of so shocked by it, and they were breaking the table right after that hand. So there was all the commotion with that. So I, I just grabbed my stuff and walked out. I kind of felt like saying something about the whining followed by the uh, and a full house announcement, but I just walked away. But like, like a short time after I walked away, I'm like, why didn't I talk shit to that guy? And I don't talk shit to people who bad beat me. I really don't. Even if they made bad calls or whatever, I, I don't. But like, I, I one, I don't like the whining. But that I kind of understood because he knew he was facing 
losing this huge pot and he was down to four outs. So fine. You know, he's just kind of in a bad mood about that. But once you win, shut up. So I missed the thousand dollar double stack I was going to enter because of making day two of that event. So the next one I would play would be the no limit event. The uh, 1500 no limit. Just a regular 1500 no limit. And that was on June 18th at 11 a.m. So I entered it. And uh, a few interesting things about that one. Uh, first of all, I ended up next to a old guy. And his name was John Morgan. You might remember him from one of the one trap, one one of the one drop tournaments, one of the million dollar entry one drop tournaments at the World Series in uh, 2012, I believe, where there was a straight flush possible out there, and he went all in and actually got his opponent to fold quad eights. His opponent actually folded quad eights out of fear of losing to a straight flush. Now, this hand was not televised, so nobody got to see what he actually had. To this day, nobody knows if John Morgan really had that straight flush. And he said he's only told two people in the world, and he's not going to ever tell anyone. (laughs) So, anyway, I didn't know who he was at first. Um, I got in a hand with him where he attempted to bluff me, but he didn't bluff very big, so I decided to call him. But to be honest, I took longer to think about it than I normally would have just because he was an old guy, and usually old guys don't bluff much. To me, it kind of looked like he had me. I I had pocket tens on the low board, but um, it looked like he may have had jacks and was just afraid that I flopped a set, and it slowed down because I raised him on the flop, and... I, I thought the river was just a value bet with jacks or queens, but I also didn't think it was, it, it seemed pretty small, like maybe he was trying to bet me off, uh, with, but didn't want to commit too many chips to it. So like, I had to reason out in my head going, you know, would an old man really bluff me here? And I decided, well, um, I think he probably has me beat, but not at a high enough chance to where folding is correct here. So I called and I was right. He had ace, king, nothing, and I, I won the hand. So that started a conversation where he says, oh, looks like I couldn't bluff you. But I, I almost did. I saw you were thinking about it. And I said to him, well, I wouldn't have thought about it that long, but uh, I, I always think people older than me can't bluff. I didn't say old people. I just older than me to be a little more polite. And uh, he said, oh, you know, if, if, if you knew me, you know, people know me all around here. I bluff all the time, he started saying. And so then, then we went quiet for a short time. He says, what about a 77-year-old man with a 23-year-old girlfriend? Uh, uh, could he bluff you? So I think that's a strange question. And I said back, well, actually, yeah, I think that guy could bluff me because that shows he's willing to throw money around. <laughs> but uh, I also realized that he must have been talking about himself. <laughs> Hopefully I wasn't insulting him that uh, his girlfriend was only with him for money, which if he did have a 23-year-old girlfriend, that would clearly be the reason. But as time passed, uh, he talked a lot more about himself. And it, it turned out he was a nice guy. And he was very friendly. And uh, he really made the table fun. 
so he is a very rich guy. He is the chairman of the Winmark Corporation. And uh, you can Google that if you want. And he had enough money to enter the million-dollar one-drop event six years ago. He said he doesn't enter it anymore because it's no longer fun. He thinks there's too many pros in it. The businessmen mainly left, he's claiming. So, but he had the money to do it. Uh, he really does have a 23-year-old girlfriend. He showed a picture of her. She's like this cute Asian girl. So that's uh, I'm sure she's with him for his sparkling personality. <laughs> but uh, he kept talking about her. But you know, not even not, not even like a creepy or obnoxious way like you hear about a 77 year old guy bragging at the table repeatedly about a 23 year old girlfriend you, you think what a jerk but but the way he was doing it, it, it he was proud of it but it was it, it was kind of playful it wasn't obnoxious like at no time was the guy obnoxious he was actually pleasant to have there if you were there you'd agree with me sometimes it's kind of hard to describe these things uh he also told some stories some of these were not told to the table publicly, but he had a massage girl uh, for some time who he knew. In fact, uh, you can see a picture of him getting this massage from this particular girl. If you go to the uh, Flying Stupidity Forum and look at the thread called uh, Played at WSOP with John Morgan, a 77-year-old super rich businessman, uh, if you scroll down, you'll see a guy named The X Factor posted a picture of him getting a massage on this exact day at that table. So this massage girl, who's fairly young, he knew her. He even mentioned having her phone number, and he was telling her all these different stories. So I listened in on them, because they were interesting. He wasn't telling them really quietly, but he wasn't speaking loud enough to where everyone was supposed to hear it. I was just next to him. Uh, so here's some things he talked about. He talked about how he played poker in some big private game with Russell, and that Russell is, a, quote, a nice guy and fun to play with. Now, who do you think Russell might be? Not a poker player named Russell. It was a poker game with Russell, but Russell is Russell Westbrook of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So he played poker with him. He talked about how he had very good seats to one of the finals games for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. You know, they made the NHL Finals and that uh, he had excellent seats, and that he took John Robert Balland with him. And he said that John Robert complained that they didn't have a special entrance away from the public. And he said he got annoyed with John Robert and said, look, these are great seats in the finals. Who gives a shit where we enter? But it's funny how John Robert didn't want... Uh, he didn't want to deal with the public. He didn't want people uh, seeing him and go, hey, John Robert! He, he wanted to just get away from all that. He wanted to enter some secret entrance and... Uh, get to his seat uh, where he doesn't have to walk through the masses. And uh, John Morgan did not like that. <laughs> he just told John Robertson, you know, stop being so pretentious. He told everybody at the table, this was in a later a discussion everyone was having, that the one player he doesn't enjoy playing with, well, he said there's a few, but one of them he named was Rick Solomon ex of Pamela Anderson, who also, uh, I think, finished third in the one drop one year. And the guy, the guy has a lot of money. I know he also runs uh, offshore sports books. I think that's how he's making money these days. But anyway, Rick Solomon, he said he doesn't like playing with him because Solomon is super aggressive and makes the gameplay ridiculously big, even for, for him. Even super rich John Morgan doesn't like how game big the gameplay is. So 
He said a pot which is normally about 100k ends up 600k or 700k when Solomon's in the game. So Solomon just pumps up the pot so big. And, you know, even if Solomon folds in the middle, now the pot's pumped up so big so people have to bet bigger to get everyone else off. So, you know, like, it uh, it just pumps up a game to play much bigger. I can understand that. So he said he didn't like that. It gets too big to where he feels like uh, he, he could possibly lose too much money there. Uh, he said he's a great-grandfather right now, but has a girlfriend who's 23, as it showed a picture of her, and he admits that he takes Viagra to have sex with her. He lives in a certain expensive condo complex, which is associated with a strip hotel. I know which one. I'm not going to say because I don't need any freaks here stalking him, but uh, that's where he currently lives. So how do you think this guy played at a $1,500 buy-in event where the top prize was $313,000? Do you think he was wild? Do you think he played like someone who didn't care about money? Do you think he made all his decisions very quickly? No, he actually took it very seriously. He played it like someone who was just like the average working stiff to whom uh, $1,500 mattered a lot. He took a long time, not like really long, but like he played like just a, a, a typical player in the event. He did not at any time play like someone who didn't care about the money. So he must have just been playing for the competition and took the competition seriously where he didn't want to bust the event not because he cared about $1,500 but because he cared about uh, just not going far in the event. So at one point he was almost busto. Then he ran it back up and then our table broke uh, and then he didn't make day two. I looked on the list. He didn't make day two. But I thought that was interesting to have him at the table. A number of people knew him, too. A number of people, including a young guy who was sat next to him, just randomly got moved to our table. He knew that guy very well. But apparently he's a regular in a lot of these big games, both private and public. So, it was fun being at that table, but what wasn't fun was the fact that I got off to a good start and then started to slowly lose chips. For the last few hours, I was very card dead, and when I did get cards, I would just run into huge hands and have to fold because I wasn't hitting flops. So I got moved finally when the table broke, and I was happy to see that. I was happy that I got moved because I just felt like I was kind of circling the drain. I wanted a fresh start somewhere else. I felt my table wasn't good anymore because I hadn't been seen winning a pot in hours. So I took my final 9K. We started with 7,500. 9K doesn't sound bad if you start with 7,500, but this is deep in day one where 9K was way below average. I think uh, average was in the 30s at that point. So 9K sucked. So I took my 9K over, sat down at the new table, looked down. Immediately there's a raise and a cold call. Look down, pocket jacks. I go, okay, well, this is obvious. So I go all in. Fold it around, I win the hand automatically. Then the next hand, I win. 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 All of a sudden, I've got 44K in front of me. So I was back in it. The day ended, I had 45K. So, went on to day two. I was 84th in chips. 
out of 236 remaining. 1,330 people entered that event. However, even though I was 84th out of 236, it wasn't as good as it sounds because the average was 42.3, and I had 45. So just a lot of people were below average, but uh, really I was average stacked. Oddly, I was placed at a table where nobody had chips. I was the big, I was the second biggest stack at the table, which was good. Also, I looked at the names. I always look at the names, because you can see this the night before. And five of the names I could not find any real results on. So there were three others at the table who seemed to have some results. One of them was a short stack anyway. And uh, the other five I thought were probably recreational players. So between the lack of big stacks at the table and the fact that we had five wrecks, I thought that was a great day to draw. And it was. It, it, when I got there, it pretty much was exactly what I thought it would be. Anyway, uh, I, I managed to do pretty well on day two. And I, I just... Uh, I, I kept... I ran it up pretty quickly. Um, and uh, soon I cashed. And... Then I kind of you know, was stuck in the same spot for a while. Then we got down, we got close to the dinner break. And there was you know, only like 60 players left. And I won a big pot with a straight. And I had 179K. The average was like 162. And there were only 60 left in the event. So I was very excited. For the first time in a long time, I really felt like I had a chance to final table or maybe even win a World Series of Poker No Limit event. I've cashed in a number of them over the years, but it always seemed like after the bubble burst, I just would go card dead and I, or I'd take beats or whatever it was, and I wouldn't get that deep. So I'd cash, but I, I wouldn't get that deep. It kind of like what happened uh, at the Big Blind Anti event. But here, 60 left out of 1,330, and I had above average. Not way above average, but a little bit above average. Well, we came back from dinner, and I just immediately started getting beat. I just started losing every hand, and my stack dwindled down. I briefly got some back, and then I lost it right back again. Uh, the, the whole thing was playing pretty big at that point. The blinds and annies had gone up a good deal. So um, I was starting to go back down again. I never eclipsed that 179. However, I held on, and I was I was trying to wait for a good spot. Never quite came, and uh, with 33 people left, a guy raised from middle position. I had ace-10 offsuit in late position. I went all in with uh, my short stack. Came back to him. He snap-called it with ace-king. I was getting ready to pack up my stuff, and then I saw a 10 card in the window. The window meaning the first card that came out. It was... uh, what they do is they show the first card and they spread it to make three. So the 10 was the first card I could see. So I go, okay, sweet. <laughs> That's nice to see. The flop turned out to be ace, 10, jack. So I had two pair. His ace, king was behind me. So I thought to myself, well, I don't want to see him get a king to make a better two pair or a queen to make a straight here. So I actually said out loud, no king or queen. Come on, no king or queen here. Well, I was... It granted my request. It didn't put down a king or queen. They put down a jack. 
And I said, oh, crap, I forgot about the jack. <laughs> Should have asked for no jack, too. The jack counterfeited me. So I was drawing to two outs, didn't get him, and that was that. I was out 33rd place out of 1,330 in this event, final four tables. I got paid $77.99, just $1 short of $7,800. And that was my deepest run in a World Series of Poker No Limit event in a while. Now, how else have I done at the World Series in the past in No Limit Hold'em? Well, or shall I say, uh, which other deep runs did I have? In 2015, I finished 40th out of like 1,100-something people at a $1,500 buy-in event. That was known as the 50-50 event where 50% of the field got paid, so that wasn't a good one to go deep because uh, I got underpaid there. But nevertheless, I did. Uh, I also got... In uh, 2010, of course, the main event, 88th place out of 7,319 people. So there I'd be at almost 99% of the field. In 2008, I got 10th in the mixed hold'em, which was half limit, half no limit. So that kind of counts because it was half no limit. In 2007... In the No Limit Hold'em with Rebuys, the $1,000 No Limit Hold'em with Rebuys, I made 10th place. And in fact, I got it all in with a pretty much equivalent stack with Queens against Ace-King, blind versus blind. And they were playing down to a nine-handed final table, which would be on TV the following day. Full Tilt was going to give me $15,000 to wear their cap on TV. Had I made the final table. This is before their problems, by the way. And the all ace on the river. Everything was safe until the river and ace. So that uh, that ruined that for me. <laughs> so I made 10th place there. My best World Series of Poker No Limit finish was in 2006. Where I finished 4th. There were only 362 entries, though, because this was after the main event started, so it was a, a small field. But I did I did finish fourth. Also in 2006, also after the main event had started, I finished 39th. But this was, again, out of 494 people, so that was kind of a min-cash. So that, I didn't really count that one as deep. 39th out of an event like this, and 1330 people would be deep, but not 39th out of 494. But here I got 33rd out of 1330. So, as far as percentage of field I got passed, I think this was the, at the World Series, at, at no limit events, I think this was the, uh, like the fifth best I've done overall, and, and the best I've done since uh, the main event in 2010. So that, you know, let me tell you, I I was really starting to feel it. I was really starting to feel it, and I really wanted to make at least that final table. Of course, I wanted to win the thing, but I really wanted to make that final table. So people just stop seeing me as just a limit player. But look, I've cashed the last three no-limit events I've entered. 
prelim no limit events. I, I think I mentioned that already. So I think I've got something here. I, I've made some modifications to my strategy. I, I, I think I think I'm not bad at these anymore. <laughs> or I could just be getting lucky. I don't know. But nevertheless, both no limit hold'em events I've played this year at the World Series have cashed. And I will not be playing anymore till the main. Next up for me at the World Series is the 10K Limit Hold'em. That's a big one. Last year, I was the chip leader and did not cash. The prior year, I was the chip leader and did not cash. 2013, I finished fifth in that event. I swear if I'm the chip leader again this year, I'm going to do my best not to let this happen to me again. Really, I just ran bad, but still. Crappy feeling when that occurs. If you may remember last year, I I started off really badly in that event, and then Howard Lederer was sat at the table, and then I started talking trash to him, and all while I was talking trash to him, I was just winning every single hand. It was like... God was smiling that I was doing this, and he says, Thou shalt get good cards because thou art talking trash to Howard Lederer, the thief. So so I just started... Uh, if you believe in karma, that was an example. Yeah, boy, was I running well when I was talking trash to him. I was winning every single hand, and I went from one of the low stacks in the event to the chip leader in the event. And then when the trash talk stopped, then I started losing again. So maybe that's the answer. I should find someone uh, to talk trash to during the event, and then I'll probably win a bracelet. So I've got that. I've got the PLO 8 the following day. If I'm not in day 2 of that 10K, which I hope I am, then I have the main. Then I have, uh, in case I bust the day 1 of the main, I have a 1500 that goes after the main. And then if I bust before day 5 of the main, then there's the 3000 limit hold'em 6 max. And that's all for 2018 for me. But still a lot of poker left to be played. 775-4-775-FRAUD-55. Uh, 775-372-8355. That's the phone number. Um... DJ Chaps is posting in chat. I'm looking at his sportsbook wagering has been suspended at five dimes. Why Why would they suspend his sports betting? Is DJ Chaps really winning that much? I don't know. Saw24 saying more no limit hold'em druff crushing it. You know, it's just that that was that's what it was scheduled. That's what I have time for. If it, you know, the next few days I don't have events, but if there was one of those on one of the next two days, I'd play one. But there isn't, so there's really nothing for me to play the next two days. So I, I am playing the Mega Satellite to the Limit Hold'em on the twenty fourth. Okay, so let's move on to a topic that doesn't have to do with me. I'll skip the thing about Trader Ruski because uh, he's still not here. Unless he texted me. Did he text me? 
Let me see. Oh, damn it, people just... No, he didn't text me yet. Someone texting me, what sports book the, the Solomon run? I've never heard that before. Uh, what I believe he runs are these services that uh, are based out of Costa Rica, where bookies use them for basically the record-keeping of their book. So what will happen, if you get a local bookie, a lot of times what he'll do is he'll give you an account and password to some online site, and he doesn't actually run the site, he's renting the space on that site, and yet he handles all the payouts. The site doesn't handle any of the cash transactions back and forth, but they, they just handle the bookkeeping and the lines and all that. And I believe that's what Rick Solomon has been running. I think he runs those sites for bookies. Don't quote me on that, but that's what uh, that's what I have heard. Unverified, but that's what I have heard. Uh, let's see here. Since we're skipping the Traderuski topic, let's go on to the uh, next topic here. I wish I was still in Limit Hold'em. I was really looking forward to that event. And... Uh, I just didn't do well. So I want to get away from a second, for a second from the current World Series of Poker news and talk about something that happened involving the World Series last year. And the reason that's a topic now is that I just brought it out. I knew about this for a while, but I did not bring it out because the person who brought it to me was not very clear. And I don't like to make accusations without having the proper facts. I've, I've done so in the past, and then it turns out I was given bad info, and I look bad, and sometimes I, you know it could end up hurting someone's reputation who, who didn't deserve it. So this hasn't happened often, but I, I decided after a few instances of reporting things that weren't 100% factual that someone at the time had told me, I, I decided that I, I want to do research before reporting things that are told to me in some cases where I, I think it's questionable or possibly questionable. So back in November, someone came to me with a complaint that they got cheated by the World Series of Poker School of Poker. But while I believed the person, and he seemed pretty uh, legitimate, like, I didn't think the guy was screwing with me or trolling me, or I, I didn't think that he was a liar. Uh, he also wasn't very clear. So I'd ask him questions, he'd take a while to answer, or he'd answer with something different. Like, I, I don't think he was doing this on purpose, he just wasn't the best at describing the situation or answering questions. So that was preventing me from getting the full story, and then he just kind of disappeared. So I decided never to report it, because I didn't get enough information to feel comfortable reporting on it, and I just kind of forgot the whole thing. Uh, then, then he reappeared and then asked something else. And then I asked him something back. He didn't answer me. So I, I just kind of gave up with it for a while. And then I, I didn't think I'd ever bring it up. But then there was a development in late May. And recently, this guy brought me that development. So here's what happened. The World Series of Poker School of Poker had the WSOP branding on it. And it claimed to be a training program 
associated with the World Series of Poker. And it was also associated with something called Zen Poker Mentoring. So you were basically going to Zen Poker Mentoring through the World Series of Poker School of Poker. And Zen Poker Mentoring was run by Brian Rast. That was Brian Rast's thing. And in fact, there was a Poker News article, which you can still access, from 2015, which was kind of an advertorial. They must have paid Poker News to cover it, but uh, they discussed the Zen Poker Mentoring Program, and it said it was started by Brian Rast and a guy named Arthur McFarland, also known as Ace McFarland. So... Brian Rast is obviously the player with the poker credentials. Arthur McFarland is a nobody in poker. So it seemed like Arthur McFarland would be handling running the whole thing, and Brian Rast would be using his good name and was also going to be the lead instructor there. They actually signed up a pretty impressive list of poker pros to teach for it. The list goes as follows. This is an alphabetical order for their first name. Andy Block, Annette Oberstad, Antonio Asfandiari, Brian Rast, the lead instructor, Dutch Boyd, Elliot Rowe, Jeff Madsen, Jennifer Harmon, Joe Cada, Kenneth James, Christy Arnett, Lane Flack, Maria Ho, Mark Gregorich, Mark Stephan Edwards, Melanie Weisner, Oas Ahmed, Tom McAvoy, Tom Schneider, Vanessa Russo. Now, Yes, in that list, we have a few names with checkered paths, like uh, Melanie Weisner, Dutch Boyd, and Lane Flack. But most of them there have pretty good reputations in the poker room. Yeah, Mark Gregorich, widely liked and trusted in the poker world. Uh, Brian Rath, uh, pretty much the same thing. I guess Annette Overstock's kind of shady, too. But uh, um, Maria Ho is well-liked. Um, Tom McAvoy kind of has been, but well-liked. Uh Tom Schneider has a good reputation. Christy Arnett has a good reputation. Joe Cada has a good reputation. Uh, Jennifer Harmon is a little bit mean to dealers in the poker room, but she has a good reputation. So, you know, it's, it's not like this is a big list of scammers. This is a list of, of mostly respected poker pros, and, and many of whom are pretty well known. And they all agreed to teach for this Zen Poker Mentoring uh, under lead instructor Brian Rast. So... Sounds pretty good, right? You know, wouldn't you like to be taught poker by some of these people? Now, indeed, there really were classes. They really did put on classes. In fact, I found some pictures of them. And I posted them. You, you can find the thread on the scam, scandals, and shadiness portion of Poker Fraud Alert. It's called Arthur McFarland, owner of WSP School of Poker, accused of scamming. Uh, if you go to the second post I made in there, you can see various pictures of the class with various of these various instructors I listed there teaching. So they really did put on classes. And as far as I know, people were reasonably satisfied with the classes. But here's where the problem started. A guy named Matt contacted me in November 2017 and told me that... <coughs> sorry about that. He told me that he had purchased lessons with Brian Rast through that site, but never received them. This is what he wrote. Hi, Dandruff. I talked to a nice guy at Horseshoe Baltimore, Scott, about a month ago, and he said you might be able to help me. Scott, by the way, Scott from the East Coast. Uh, I paid for a poker class on November 27, 2016, for a poker prep class to be held at the Horseshoe Casinos, the Horseshoe Baltimore, 
on April 27th, 2017. So, so basically he paid uh, several months in advance. I paid $297 and the payment was processed by Zen Poker Mentoring. As the day approached, I was excited to take my class. I looked on their website and it was nowhere to be found. I called them several times and finally the day before the class, Arthur, quote, Ace McFarland called me back to tell me that it was canceled due to the Maryland Gaming Commission not allowing the class to go on unless it was free to the public. So Art McFarland, the owner of it, claimed the, the, the day before. After, after, you know, not returning many messages, you finally called him the day before and said, uh, actually it's not running because, uh, uh the, the, the gaming commission won't let us do it. We can only run free classes in Maryland. Sorry, which I'm sure was BS. I don't know for sure, but it, it sounds like an excuse to me. It says, he offered me a free class in Vegas or a free home session with a pro at their home in Vegas. He said he would email me after the call. I got no such email. Since then, the website, which is WSOPSOP.com, has shut down and Zen Poker Mentoring site has shut down. Zen Poker Mentoring was owned by Brian Rass, so I've sent him three emails through his website. I've not gotten a response. I also tried to call my credit card, and they said it's been too long since the transaction to dispute the charges. Can you help me at all? Thanks. I can email a receipt to you if that will help. And then he signed his full name. So that, that's what I got in November, but I, I, I wasn't getting a lot of answers. I was asking if he's contacted the World Series about this. He's, he wasn't answering me. I, I asked him for more details. I wasn't really getting them. So that's why I didn't bring this out in November. Also, the whole thing was down by that point, so nobody was in further danger. However, the, the development that occurred was in late May, Brian Rast finally answered him. This is what Brian Rast wrote in late May, I think like May 24th. Matt, I'm sorry this happened to you. Arthur McFarland was the owner and CEO of the WSOP SOP. I, I am owed a large sum of money from him right now regarding many things with that business, including but not limited to not being paid for the last class I ran, which hasn't been operating for a while now. The last time I tried to call him, it seems he changed cell phones as his old number isn't working. Yeah, what a shock. I don't know where he is or what he's doing, but if you find out, I'd like to know as well. Brian. So, I don't know what made uh, Brian Rass take so long. It may have been an email he doesn't check very often, but uh, that's, uh, that's pretty bad. So, I believe Brian Rast. As soon as I saw that response, I believe that really happened. I believe Art McFarland pretty much scammed everybody. At the same time, this was a partnership between the two of them, and given that Brian Rast has a lot of money, he should just give the damn guy $297 back. I mean, if, if I were in Brian Rast's shoes, I would say, okay, I didn't do anything wrong. Art McFarland scammed me too. He owes me money. I got ripped off too, but this poor guy got ripped off $297 because he trusted me, uh, because I was involved with it. Fine, I'll just give him back the $297. That's, that's what I would have done. But Brian Rass didn't do that. He doesn't have to. I, I just, that's just what I would have done in his spot. But anyway, the, the real scammer here is Arthur McFarland. I, I want to stress that Brian Rass didn't scam anybody. So indeed, the WSOP website, WSOP SOP website, WSOPSOP.com has gone down. In fact, the domain has even expired. It appears Arthur McFarland has completely flown the coop. But what I was left wondering, and you might be wondering too, is was this really an authorized World Series of Poker School of Poker? Did they really have permission from the World Series to use their brand name? Or did they just steal it? Did they just decide to call themselves that without permission? Someone as shady as Art McFarland, you would think, might have done that. So I decided that I would ask 
you know, after all, we are the poker media. We're considered poker media. And the World Series of Poker treats us as poker media. They really do. So I figured that uh, I would go to the World Series and I would, I would ask them. I'm right here anyway in Vegas. I said, I'm going I'm to ask them. I'm gonna, I'm, I want to find out the truth. So the first response I got, now admittedly this was not someone in a department that would have been handling this, so it's understandable how this person didn't know, but the first response I got was, well, I'm not sure about this. This is really the first I've heard about this. I'm going to look into it. Uh, thank you, you know, Thanks for informing me. I'm going to look into it. I'm going to go to through uh, whoever in marketing could have possibly made this partnership with them, and I'll get back to you. So I thought that was interesting that that wasn't it wasn't that widely known about this partnership and i went to someone pretty high at the world series so then i got more information after they looked into it further the person told me that yes the world series of poker did indeed license their name to be used by the world series of poker school of poker and zen poker mentoring and they did big mistake by the way i don't know how they did that it was a moronic decision but they did. I was told it was a straight name licensing deal. The WSOP did not have any ownership in the company. They didn't assist with operations. All they did is basically sell the name. Now, this is unfortunate because it gave Art McFarland credibility. People thought they were signing up with something that the World Series ran. In fact, you know, if someone were to sue the World Series for this, I wonder if they could be successful. Because someone could probably make a a very good claim that they signed up for these classes believing that this was operated by the World Series. I don't know if it was ever made clear that it wasn't. I'm sure it it probably wasn't, especially knowing Art McFarland, he paid a lot of money for that name, presumably. Uh, He wasn't going to say, oh, by the way, you're not really being taught by the World Series of Poker. It's just, uh, you know, we just bought the name from them. So, or bought the rights to use the name. They didn't buy the name. They bought the rights to use it. So, This was a huge mistake. The World Series of Poker is such an important brand to Caesars. It makes so much money for them every year. With all the stupid things Caesars has done over the years, with all the things they've done that has caused them to lose money, lose credibility, uh, operational failures that have made people laugh at them, the one thing that they have been very good at has been monetizing the World Series. First, they acquired it for nothing. They bought Binion's, which was in distress. They took the World Series, because Binion's came with the World Series. Then they sold Binion's for about the same they bought it. So they basically got the World Series for free during the poker boom. Genius. Then they expanded it, and every year they've been adding innovative new events, things to keep the average recreational player excited. They even lowered some buy-ins to bring in the people to the World Series who can't afford $1,000 buy-ins. Some of the stuff I don't love, being uh, someone who prefers playing four-figure and up tournaments, but uh, but I have to admit, from a money-making standpoint, they've done a great job. The World Series of Poker has grown or stayed about the same in size each year, despite poker continually shrinking. Looking at the World Series of Poker numbers, you would never be able to guess that poker has been slowing down every year. They've been able to fight it off. They've done a a spectacular job marketing it 
and making money from it. This has been a, a huge, valuable asset to them. So why take such an asset and risk it on a small amount of money that you're going to get, small meaning compared to what uh, your company's worth and what the World Series is worth, why why get a few extra dollars by licensing the name out to entities you can't trust? They should only license out the name to established companies they know are very unlikely to screw them. But when it's a company started by some unknown guy and a poker pro, even if it is a well-liked poker pro, Unless you know that poker pro is really putting his ass on the line, which it kind of seems, it kind of seems like he's not. It kind of seems like it was Art McFarland's company and Brian Rass was kind of just like the, the lead instructor. So from what I was told, it doesn't seem like Brian Rast owes the World Series anything. It doesn't seem like he's being held responsible. So it seems like really they made the deal with Art McFarland, which is crazy. If they made the deal with Brian Rass, they'd say, okay, well, he's been around a long time. I guess they could kind of trust him. No, Art McFarland's a nobody. So they actually trusted some just random guy to run this school of poker with their name. And again, they did not get involved with running it, and they didn't have any ownership in it. All they did is license their name out. So they got a little bit of money from that, and then the, the risk was huge. The reward was small. The risk was huge. Stupid. Very stupid. Imagine if I went to the Los Angeles Dodgers and said to them, hey, I'm going to start a school for uh, a school of baseball for kids. I want to call it the Los Angeles Dodgers School of Baseball. Let me give you $20,000. I don't know what Art McFarland paid. I'm just making that number up. Let me give you $20,000. And I'm going, to, I'm going to officially call myself the Los Angeles Dodgers School of Baseball for kids. You think they let me? No, they'd say we're not risking our brand name on just some random coming to us wanting to start up something, some business associated with baseball. So companies have to be very careful before they license their name out to be used by entities that are not trustworthy. And definitely Art McFarland was not trustworthy, and there was no reason to trust him. Forget the fact that he ended up being a scammer. There was no reason to trust him in the first place. Even if you couldn't find reasons that you couldn't trust him, you also didn't have reasons you could trust him. So really, they should only be licensing out their name to companies they know they can trust, companies that are very unlikely to screw them. But, you know, this is the World Series of Poker that still has a partnership with the King's Casino run by a guy who tried to stiff people on his poker debts last year. So... You know, what do you expect? Anyway, the World Series of Poker got screwed too. I was told that Art McFarland owes them money as well. <laughs> so I guess there was probably some payment plan. I wasn't told the details, but it was probably some payment plan that he had with them to pay them for using the name. Or maybe a monthly thing he had to pay. Whatever it was, he owes them money. So in addition to scamming students, and in addition to scamming instructors, and his partner, Brian Rast, uh, he also scammed the World Series itself. <laughs> he just ran off uh, owing them money, too. So they said they're also looking for him. Everybody's looking for him. So if you 
can find Art McFarlane now. I'll admit I didn't put a lot of effort into finding him. I sent him a Facebook message, by the way. I told him of the accusations and that uh, we'd like to have him on this show, and I'd like to get a statement from him, and I'd like to get all these issues rectified, but you know, he knows what he did. He's not going to respond to me. I sent this to him like a week ago. He hasn't answered. But uh, if you know how to find him, let me know. I'll pass it on to the World Series, because they're looking for him. I don't know how much they want to pursue it. Of course, they have the resources of uh, full-time lawyers and others working for them who could make things difficult for him. I don't know if they feel like doing that, but uh, they are looking for him. As is Brian Rast, as are others who got screwed by him. Also, if you are a victim of the World Series of Poker School of Poker or know anyone who has been, please let me know and have them text me. Because the World Series, they also asked me to let them know about any other victims, and I said I would. I was also told that they are not going to do this anymore. That they've learned their lesson, they're not going to license their brand name out to any player training companies in the future. They got burned once, they're not going to get burned again, I was told. So at least they've learned from it. At least it's not happening again. However, they actually are still licensing their name to a dealer training company. That might be the one that Stacy Madison is associated with. But whatever it is, there hasn't been anything bad that's happened with the dealer training company. So at least at least the World Series of Poker dealer training company is working okay. I'm not sure what it's actually called, but whatever it is, that, uh, that one's working all right. But no more player training companies will be called World Series of Poker anything because of this mess. And... Anything you know about victims of this scam or the location of Art McFarlane, please let me know. Now, you might wonder, what does Brian Rast have to say about this? Well, I was curious. So I tweeted at him. Now, the funny thing was, I started this thread on the same day that he won a bracelet. And I really wasn't aware of that. I wasn't following that he was playing for a bracelet. So I just happened to post about this on June 13th when he won a bracelet. Oops. I mean, I I can. It's not like it's a holiday because he wins a bracelet. But uh, I I didn't bring this out just because he won a bracelet. I didn't bring it out the same day to embarrass him or anything. It just was a coincidence. So I did want to ask him about it. Uh, I wanted to do it nicely. I didn't want to be a dick on the same day he won a bracelet. So I I tweeted at him, uh, congrats on your fourth bracelet. When you're done celebrating, can you perhaps take a moment to let us know where the victims of the WSOP School of Poker stand? Here's the story, and I linked him to the Poker Fraudler thread about it. So he responded a short time later. Yes, I can say what happened. I'm one of the victims for your information. Short version, one culprit, Ace, meaning Ace McFarland, took advantage of me and everyone. So basically, the shorter version of what he wrote to that Matt guy. So I believe him, but... I do say, if you're going to put your name out there as associated with a company like that, you do have to take some responsibility. I believe you got scammed, but there's some responsibility. All righty. So, 
Let's move on here. If you want to call in 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I saw Raw Wolf tried to call in earlier during the show. Uh, Raw Wolf is is, uh, suspended for a while from appearing on Poker Fraud Alert Radio or appearing on the forum. He, uh, He spammed the forum pretty badly last week. I don't know why. Just one day he just bombed it with junk threads. He's been around a long time. You don't do that. You don't, you don't, it creates work for me to have to undo these things. You know, just be an adult. Don't, don't spam the forum with, with junk threads. You know not to do that. So I banned him and, uh, I'm not going to be taking his calls here. Yeah, you have to show respect to the site if you're going to be part of it. You can't, you can't just bomb it because, uh, you're in some funny mood or whatever. You, you know, it's, it's a pain in the ass for me to clean up. It ruins people's ability to read it well. You know, you want to do that, start your own forum. All right, I want to talk about uh, Mike Mizraki. He did something pretty amazing this week. Michael the Grinder Mizraki won the $50,000 buy-in Poker Players Championship at the World Series of Poker for the third time. He's won that event three times. Can you believe it? This is just like his event. It's amazing. Now, people who watched him play, I didn't watch it, but people who watched it said that you know, he played well, but he also got incredibly lucky. Just everything fell his way. What usually does when you win a tournament, like how often does someone win a tournament where the cards really didn't go their way and they just somehow played it perfectly to win? You don't see many of those. It's usually a combination of playing well and running well, but sometimes one more than the other. But people said he was just getting incredibly lucky with everything. I don't want to take anything away, though. I mean, to, to win that tough event, you're, you're against all that tough players there. For th- you know, three times in, in, in a relatively short time, that, that's amazing. So congrats to him for that. It's an amazing feat. He should be very proud of it. And he also made the final table of the main event one time. I mean, he definitely has a lot of poker accomplishments. Let's, let's, let's be honest here. But if we're going to be honest, we also have to talk about the fact that Mike Mizraki has not managed his life very well. He, whatever money he wins, he tends to chunk off. He, he's, I've personally watched him gambling the pits. Um, I don't know if he has any kind of substance abuse problem. I haven't seen any evidence of that, so I won't accuse him of that. But, uh, he's very bad at managing money. He, he, he definitely, uh, Spends way too much money. I know he had kind of an entourage for a while. He even had a bus he used to travel around with, with a bunch of hangers on. It was almost like a rapper, you know, like like he had the little entourage that would sponge off of him. In my interactions with him, he's always been nice. It was funny because, like, I, I saw the guy, I saw pictures of him before I met him. I used to play with him a lot on Poker Stars, but, but yeah, but then I saw pictures of him, and I... I thought, this guy looks like an arrogant jerk, just from his look. He just looked like an arrogant jerk. Then I met him, and he was very nice. He wasn't arrogant at all. He was very soft-spoken. He was, uh, you know, he acted very happy to meet me. You know, he always said hello when he saw me, even when he blew up huge. So in my personal dealings with him, he's always been very nice. I will say that. He's never acted like a jerk at any time. He has done some things I've disagreed with. Uh, he... he 
he has something in common with Johnny Chan. The two of them will stamp their name on anything that pays them money. They do no vetting. They don't care if it's a scam company. If you're willing to pay them, they'll put their name on anything. And even when they hear that uh, what they're supporting or what they're advertising is shady, they don't really seem to care. So Mike Mizraki was a lock poker pro. He was the face of lock poker for quite some time. And it's it's not so much that he wants to support scamming. He just kind of doesn't give a crap. He's just kind of in his own world where he sees what's directly in front of his face and doesn't care. You know, Phil Hellman's kind of like that too. So he he just signs these deals and then doesn't want to pay attention further. And he shouldn't. He should he should vet these things. He should be careful with what he signs to put his name on. But the problem is when you're perpetually broke and wasting all your money, this money is dangled in front of your face and the person who's pitching it to you talks a good game and you, you, you want to believe them. And then if people say that they're scamming, uh, you just assume it's not really your business. It's between them and uh, the one running the site. But it really kind of is if you're promoting it. But I've heard for years that Mike Mizraki is like just perpetually broke. He shouldn't be with all the money he's won in tournaments. But he is broke. Now, of course, he spent a lot in buy-ins, but even if you take all the buy-ins away, I'm sure he's way up in tournaments lifetime. So he should have a lot of money, but he's broke. Now, he's not the only poker player like that. In fact, there's, there's tons like that. But even with all of this, I was surprised, shocked, and felt bad for him when I heard what Jack Effel said at the bracelet ceremony. The bracelet ceremony is usually an annoyance to me. Why is it an annoyance? Because they force you to watch it after the first break of your event earlier in the day. The the 11 a.m. events or 10 a.m. events, whichever it is, when you come back from the first break, they pause it for about five minutes while they do the bracelet ceremony. And... uh, they usually will play the national anthem of the country of the person who won it. Though this time for the grinder, they didn't do it. Maybe he asked them not to. Which I think is really stupid to play this. Now, I, I, I would ask them not to also. And not because I'm not patriotic. I just think it's not the time and place to play the national anthem. A poker room. And I, I like everyone stands around looking like kind of awkward during it. But anyway... I find the bracelet ceremony to be an irritant. I think they should have it at some time where if you want to stay and watch it, you can. But if you don't, you don't have to. When it's right after a break of an event, then you're obligated to. Because uh, if you don't watch it, then you're going to be late when it's over and you never quite know exactly when it's going to be over. Sometimes they take two minutes, sometimes they take seven minutes. It averages about five minutes, so... You never know how long it's going to be, so you've got to stay and watch it. I never like these captive audience sort of things. I I think they should run it uh, during a break. Maybe start start the break that way. Or maybe say the break's going to be 25 minutes, and the last five minutes will be uh, the bracelet ceremony. Something where it's very clear when the break starts and ends, and you can be there for the ceremony or not. Something like that. But here they kind of force you to watch it. 
I mean, yes, you can walk out of the room as it's going on, or you can come back for the break a little bit late and hope you the, it hasn't all started again, but no one does that. So this one I was happy I was there for because of what I heard. It was pretty shocking. So when I saw it was for the grinder, I was already kind of interested because it's, it's an interesting story, him winning for the third time. I wanted to hear the way they'd introduce him, what he'd say in his speech. So this is much more interesting to watch than just, uh, you know, Joe Blow, random poker player who, who won, you know, you know, the $1,000 PLO event. You know, who cares? This one was more notable. So I'm watching, and I couldn't believe what I heard. Near the beginning of the introduction, Jack Effel, the tournament director, says, Well, Mike, you've won this event twice before, and I have no idea what you've done with all that money. And I'm like, what? And then the room went, oh, like, like, kind of like a soft groan I heard around the room. Kind of groan and laughter. Some people kind of laughing, some people kind of groaning, like they couldn't believe what they heard. Can you believe he said that? You've won it twice before. I don't know what you did with all that money. That's pretty inappropriate to say at someone's bracelet ceremony. It's not like they're just kind of hanging out somewhere and he's kidding around. Hey, Mike, you've won so much money. Where the hell is it? Like, you know, if you're friends with the guy and you're out in private with him or with a few other friends, fine. You want to needle him about being broke, go ahead. But this is a ceremony. This is supposed to be honoring him for a pretty amazing feat of winning a very tough tournament three times in a short span of, of years. So the speech by Ethel should have been talking about how amazing that is and, and, and promoting Mike. And th- this is good for the World Series to have someone like this, to be creating a, a, a poker star. I mean, I know he's been around for a number of years, but, you know, another guy you can look at his feats and want to follow him. He goes, Next year, now, people are going to be interested to say, okay, can you do it again? You want to have these players who have super performances, especially repeat performances, that brings people's interest to the World Series. To want to watch it, to try to emulate him, and try to you know be the next Michael Mizraki. If you are a manager of the World Series, you want things like this to happen. So th- this is a perfect opportunity to promote the feats of, of one of their stars, much like uh, major sports like having stars who are setting records or, or putting out great performances. It's much more exciting to watch, much more exciting for the fans than when it's a year where you know when, when nobody's great. When you have a lot of good people and nobody's great. You, you want to have great players who, who, who accomplish great things. That's what the fans like to see. So that's what they should have been pushing at that speech. So, so why make a joke, even if they're friendly, even if you know they, even if this was just meant as like a, a friendly jab to the average person watching this ceremony? This is Jack Effel making fun of the grinder for being broke after after winning all this money. And I was trying to figure out could he have possibly meant it any other way, but I don't think so. So it was either a needle. Or it was kind of a friendly joke that came off as a needle. But the problem is it was a joke about something that's true. It wasn't like, like the grinder's kind of like a, a muscular guy. 
it's not, it's not like he joked, oh, so we have a winner, he's this really scrawny guy, you know, the, some, something saying about him that's definitely not true. Okay, that wouldn't be a needle because it's not true. But uh, you make jokes about where all the money's gone. Well, that's a good question. Where did all the money go? Like, he really did lose the money. So that's not what you want to be promoting, that the guy who's won the event three times is coming into the event broke. That's the side of poker that they shouldn't want people to see. They should want you to envy the pros. They want you to aspire to be them. They want you to see the big money they're winning and saying, that could be me one day. Not see all the money they're winning and seeing that they're coming into these events broke. <laughs> That's not much of a dream. That just kind of projects, even if you win, you end up losing. So this is a weird thing to say. Now, how did the grinder react, you might wonder? Well, I was watching him. I wasn't watching that closely. I was at Eric Benzamokin was at this event. This was during the 1500 limit hold'em. So... I was kind of talking to him, and I was looking at Eric, but then I heard this, and I quickly looked up there because I wanted to see how the grinder reacted. And he, he, he looked very surprised. He put his arms out in front of him as if he's saying, what? Or what are you saying? Like He didn't verbally say that, but he put his arms out in front of him as, in a reaction like, what? Like, what are, you, what are you saying here? Like he was shocked that was said. I was shocked that was said. The grinder did make a speech. It didn't reference any of this. It didn't sound like he was mad, but I, I have to imagine he didn't like that was said. Uh, the speech was, was fine. It wasn't. Uh, there wasn't anything that memorable about it. The only thing he said was uh, something like, uh, "Good luck if you play the main event." But uh, uh, I just want to let you know uh, you're not going to win it because I'm winning it this year. Something like that. He said to the crowd, which is fine. Yeah, but. Uh, Ms. Rocky's speech was fine, but he was definitely taken aback by Ethel's comments. Ethel's comments were true, but he still shouldn't have said them. It may not have been meant to be offensive, but it was. It'd be like having a fat person up there during the bracelet ceremony and saying, so he, he came all the way from the buffet here to, he took a break from eating at the buffet to, to get this bracelet, and I'm sure he's going to run right back there when this is over. Like, you, you don't say this to a guy who's fat. You you can say this about a guy who's skinny. You don't say this about a guy who's fat. It's the same thing. If a guy's broke, you don't make jokes about him being broke up there. And again, it doesn't look like Mizraki took it well, from what I could see. If you can find a video of that, please send it to me. It's one of these things where, like, I was I was trying to ask myself, did I really just hear that? But But I did. I really heard it, and I know why I heard it, because... It wasn't just what I heard. I heard the crowd groaning, and I also watched Ms. Rocky's reaction. Uh, Trader Ruski, you're here. Did you hear that comment about uh, Michael R- Ms. Rocky being broke by Jack Effel? I did not, but I wasn't paying attention. Okay. So, uh, yeah. yeah did I, Eric hear it? Um, I don't think well, he was listening. Since. Yeah, I, I haven't I talked really to him. Attention, yeah, I, that's so. the problem. I don't think... I was paying attention only because it was the grinder and, and what he had just done. That's the only reason I was paying attention. And uh, But I, I'm pretty sure, I'm just about sure I heard that, especially because the crowd's reaction is exactly what I've expected. And and his reaction was what I would have expected. So if I misheard it, the crowd wouldn't have gone, oh, you know, like, and he wouldn't have put his arms out. And I can't think what Ethel could have meant otherwise. Like, 
Is there anything else you could have meant by that? I, I can't come up with anything. And you definitely think that he knows that he's broke? Yes, because everyone, everyone talks about this. The, it, when, when I was talking... Well, he's not on Twitter anymore, though. I mean, does he get involved in any of this? No, he doesn't, but people oh. just uh, are interested in him because he's a major player. And, and, uh, and I'm telling you that like everyone's been discussing when he was getting deep in this and it was starting to look like he might win. Mm-hmm. Everybody was discussing, I wonder how much he has of himself. So many people were asking that question. I don't say every poker player knows that Michael Mizraki is probably broke, but this is something that a lot of people seem to know. So I have to imagine it got back to Jack at some point, and he must have known this too. The question is, when he said this, was he just trying? Was he trying? Did he not like Michael Mizraki and trying to say something like as a passive aggressive jab, or was this just the, they're friendly and he was trying to make a friendly jab and forgot he's talking to a giant audience? I, I don't know. But he shouldn't have said it. Yeah, well, send him a tweet about it. <laughs> oh, we shut down his <laughs> Yeah, Jack F will tw- quit Twitter, and uh, maybe this type of thing is a good reason why. So, uh, okay, I want to talk about Doyle Brunson here and his retirement. So, Doyle Brunson. Played the uh, the 10K low ball, deuce to seven. And he actually did quite well, but before he even played it, this is what he tweeted. Going to the Rio to play in two deuce to seven low ball tournament, probably the last one I will ever play. So, um... What happened was, I guess, he showed up too early because he didn't understand what time it started or something like that. So since he was there, he's kind of just standing around and, and a bunch of people started you know, to approach him because he's so famous and wanted autographs and things like that and take pictures with him. Um, Card Player Magazine, someone from Card Player was there named Eric Fast. And uh, he asked Doyle if he'll do an interview, and Doyle said okay. So card player asked, uh, you sent out the tweet saying this might be your last World Series of Poker event ever. If that ends up being the case, what is the World Series of Poker going to mean to you? And he said originally this was just all a good way of getting good po- of getting poker players to Las Vegas. That was the, the original intent of it, and it looks like it accomplished that goal. And they asked him, back in the 1970s, could you imagine what the World Series of Poker would become today? And he said, of course not. I remember Benny Binion once said, you know, one day we may have over 100 people here. <laughs> so then they asked him if uh, that he's hardly played any tournaments, but he's played cash. They asked him, what's the reason behind that? And he said, I've been married for 57 years and my wife is not in very good health. She can't go to sleep until I come home. So I play in cash games just about every day when there's one running, and I can get home at 9 or 10 at night. But when you play in a tournament, you do well. You can't go get home until 2 or 3 in the morning. So that's what keeps me from playing them. I think I can still do it. I'm physically able to handle the hours. I've always had great endurance, which is a blessing, but I feel guilty if I leave the house with my wife in poor health. I feel like I should be there with her, so I plan on retiring after this summer and spending all my time with her. I wonder why she can't go to sleep without him. Does he have to do things for her to go to sleep, or does she need him to, like, like... Yeah, rub her or hold her to fall asleep. That's, that's you know, I wonder what he means by that. But uh, 
I also wonder if this could possibly, I mean, I'm sure she really is in poor health, like he said, but I wonder if this is possibly like a partial excuse. Like maybe he doesn't want to just admit he's gotten too old to be able to uh, handle the hours. So this is a better answer. So maybe it's like both things, but this one sounds better. So then uh, they asked, why did you decide to play the 10K Deuce to 7 lowball as possibly your last tournament? He said, it's my favorite game. My son, referring to Todd Brunson, texted me this morning and told me that, told me, told me that I could buy in on day two of this event. And yes, they actually, um, in these 10Ks, would you believe, they actually allow you to buy in on day two. That's it. I think it's wrong. I think they shouldn't do this, but they allow people to buy in on day two, you, you know, with the same starting stack, so you're short stacked. But uh, the reason I don't like this is because really a lot of the field is gone by then. And if you're willing to just gamble, if you don't mind not having the play at the beginning, you just want to gamble on the kind of like a flip to get your stack back up to uh, closer to average. And you don't mind you know, playing one-handed busting, if you have the bankroll to sustain that, then... Uh, yeah, you know, people can do that, and they can just kind of leapfrog a lot of the field that's already out. I just don't think it's fair. So and people say, "Well, if you think it's such an advantage, why don't you?" I go because I, I want to have the play. I want to. Uh, um, I, I not only want my money's worth in actually playing and be able to to try to run it up at the beginning, but uh, but I, I you know, so it's, it's both things. I, I don't want to just pay ten thousand dollars to enter an event and count on getting lucky at the very beginning because I'm short stacked to double up to, to actually have a stack to play with. But if I had tons and tons of money where I, the 10,000 doesn't matter to me, I may actually do it. Especially if I wanted to save the time. So anyway, back to this. He said that once he, once Todd told him he could enter on day two, he, he said, uh, if I got down to the final table, uh, I could, but I could get home, uh, uh, I, I would get home late. I already spoke to my wife, and she told me to go ahead and play. It's just kind of a goodbye to the World Series of Poker. I don't think I'll play anymore. I might play in the 50K event. I don't know if he did or not. They asked him if he's going to play the main event. He said, no, I'm not playing that. They asked him if uh, what he thinks about the state of the game and how tournament poker has, t- has taken the spotlight, and what he thinks of these huge field events like the Colossus and the Super high roller tournaments with a massive buy-ins. He said, obviously, there's a lot of good players, and these kids who are focused on No Limit Hold'em have taken it to another level. I haven't played with a lot of the top Hold'em players in a straight Hold'em game. It would be interesting to play with the very best to see if, if they have really driven around the old guard. I guess they have. I don't know exactly what they could, what, what they could learn that I don't know, but maybe they have. I know Daniel Negreanu does really well in these tournaments, and he told me that there is another level to the Hold'em game that we don't know. He's been taking lessons to reach the optimal level of play for him. Maybe there's something more. I don't know, but I do know that Hold'em is a great game. That's interesting if it's true, if Daniel LeGrand is really taking lessons from some of these really good, young, no-limit like on pl- online players that uh, that have done really well. That would be interesting if that's how Daniel's kept up. Yeah, I've heard him talk about that, I think, on something. Oh, yeah, I, never, I, never knew, I never knew he was actually taking lessons from people. Uh, they asked him, uh, since you're going to be bringing your poker career to a close, um, what does it mean to you to become such a living legend of the game? He said, it's been a great life. I was consumed with being an athlete when I was young. It was going to make basketball my career. When I busted my leg, that was the end of that. 
I turned to poker as a way to, to still being able to compete, and that's been great. You can find many things in which a guy that is 84 can still compete. You, you know, you can't find many things in which an 80 guy, a guy who's 84 can still compete with guys in their 30s. It's meant a lot to me. My competitive nature drove me to keep contending, and poker was the vehicle that allowed me to do that. I'm just thankful for it. I've had blessings in my life, survived a lot of hard times, but I'm still here. Now, now keep in mind, this isn't a hard retirement. He, he, he was even saying, you know, this may be my last. I may actually play the 50K. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if next year he decides to come back to this event because he ended up finishing in sixth. So he had this whole interview before he played it, and then he finished sixth. People were saying, oh, that'd be great if he won it, but... Uh, Story didn't quite get there. Uh, he finished behind Sharam uh, uh, Sheikhan, James Alexander, Daria uh, uh, Sammartino, Mike Wattel, and Brian Rast was the winner. That was the same one I was talking about earlier with Brian Rast. So that was the 10K uh, Deuce of Seven Lowball Championship. So uh, Doyle also cashed in uh, 2013. At the main event. I think it may have been the last main event he played. But other than that, he has not cashed in anything. So it's been five years since he cashed in something. The last time he seemed to be actively playing uh, tournaments was in 2011. So... I think... uh, him still playing poker is probably good for his health, believe it or not, at least his mental health. Because it has been said with old people that what really keeps their brain from starting to shut down and senility setting in is something that really helps prevent that is actively using your brain for more than just mundane things that you can almost do in your sleep. So just going through normal things of the day of... uh, you know, getting up, getting dressed, taking a shower, going you know, going to eat. These things don't take a lot of brain power. Dri- even driving, th- these things are not don't require intense thinking. Anything that requires a lot of intense thinking, or especially learning, is good for your brain as far as uh, keeping it young. There's been studies about this. In fact, I was just watching a program recently on PBS about this. And how they claim it's important in your later years to try to learn new things because that's the way you can stimulate your brain the best to actually be learning something. Because the reason it's much more stimulating to your brain to learn something than doing something that's tough that you already learned is that once you've learned something already, it's it's much more effortless. You don't have to put much brain power into doing it. Or something that's new, you have to think a lot more about it. And um, it's kind of like exercising your brain and the more you do that, the less likely you are to go senile. So this has probably helped Doyle as far as not going senile at age 84. Not that everybody who's 84 goes senile anyway, but it can happen. There's a lot of people who are 84 who are kind of slow. In fact, that's why, you know, you, you think of the Super Seniors event, which is now 60, but let's think back when it was 65 plus last year and, and before that. People always say, oh, I wish I could play in that event. Why? Be- you know, Because it's perceived that guys over 65 mostly aren't good at poker. Why? Well, the truth is because most of them, their brains don't work as well as, as, they, as it did when they were younger. Uh, it's the same reason when I'm looking for a doctor 
if I see the person is 70 years old, I don't really want to go to them. There are some 70-year-old doctors, I think, who are the exception to this, who might you know, still be very sharp, but for the most part, I, I want someone who is experienced, but not old enough to where things might start going downhill. So I try to play it safe. I try to look for doctors in their 40s or 50s, typically. Late 30s is good, too. So something in that range. I don't want someone just out of medical school. Uh, I also don't want somebody who is 70 years old. So when I see doctors 50, or even right around my age, I see someone the same age as me, great. I'm happy to have that doctor. Um, and when I'm old, I'll feel the same way. When I'm 70 myself, I'm not going to want a doctor my age. So, you know, uh, that, that's why, you know, people, it, it's, it start, you start to lose it a little bit as you get older, and... The more you exercise your brain, the slower that deterioration may be. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about my dog recently. My dog is 13 years old. And he actually looks good for 13. And mentally, he's also pretty good for 13. He especially looks good for 13. But uh, this dog is very, very, very obsessed with food. Like, probably more obsessed with food than any dog you've seen. And you guys all know, like, dogs love to eat. But this dog is just super obsessed with food to where that's all he thinks about. Like, you may think, oh, my dog loves food. No, 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 no. You've never seen this dog with how obsessed he is with food. Like, everything in his life revolves around thinking about food. So, I actually thought that perhaps the obsession with food is keeping his brain young because he's spending so much time every day thinking about things related to food and thinking about how he's going to find food next and and, and what, uh, you know, if you leave him outside, then he, he sits right by the door and just stares and stares because he doesn't want, you know, he wants to see every drop of food that's possibly dropped on the floor and uh, wants to be ready to come if the door opens so he can run in and get it. I think this constant quest for food that's going on in his mind actually keeps him like mentally fit that's my theory whereas a lot of dogs otherwise just kind of sit around and don't really think of anything so I think Doyle has been doing himself a favor he's definitely not in greatest physical shape he's overweight he, he's, he rides around in a uh, one of those powered wheelchairs he's definitely someone I wouldn't be surprised if I heard he was dead but uh at least mentally, he's keeping himself uh, sharp. And look, it seems like he can still compete in poker, which is pretty good for this age. How many people who are 84 do you know who could sit down in a poker game with tough players and be competitive? I don't know if we'll ever see Doyle in a World Series event again, but there's a good chance we won't. It's a good chance that it really was his last event, especially yeah, if he wanted, I, I bet that would have been the end. But since he finished sixth, that might be a good way to go out, but maybe not. Also, it's possible if his wife dies and he's just sitting there alone, he might return to playing poker. Uh, if it really is that he's coming, he doesn't want to play tournament poker because he doesn't want to leave his wife for that long. If she dies before him, he might return to poker, especially with like little else to come home to. So that may also be a reason that he could come out of retirement in the future.
775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 if you wish to call. At the Colossus event, something embarrassing happened for the chip leader heads up. The Colossus event with the massive field, not quite as massive as previous years, but with the massive field and the guaranteed prize of... One million dollars. There was a lot on the line, especially because second place only got $500,000. So, big difference between finishing first and second in that event. So, there were two players. One named uh, Roberly Felicio, and the other one Sang Liu. And... uh, What happened was uh, Sang Lu was short stacked and he was very, very excited that uh, he was going to double up here. Or sorry, no, I have that wrong. They were It was a massive pot. Where, where Lou actually had him covered and would, and would have won. This was heads up. So he actually would have won here if it, if it held up. It wasn't a short stack. I was reading it wrong. So listen to this. This was the Poker Go broadcast once the money got in. <laughs> so what happened here, actually, before I started, this, this clip starts on the flop. And... Uh, when Lou saw Felicio turn over his hand. <laughs> yep, there they are. It's all in. Oh, wow. Felicio is at risk. He's the player behind with Jack <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I really like Felicio, but I need Keep to see you winning bracelet. Take it off. Take it off. Now you hear him jumping. He really is jumping around and dancing. It's like the like last scene of Slapshot. No way. No way. <laughs> He's actually doing a dance. I feel terrible. This is my second stream of the summer, and this might be the best one. Now, Felicio is just standing there. He's the one behind, but he's just kind of standing there watching this. So he's crying, low, low, low. Because what he doesn't want it, he doesn't want it. He's just thinking, I don't want to be counterfeited. He's not even thinking about losing. He's saying low, 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 because he doesn't want to see, like, uh, you know, King King hit the board. Actually, not, not, not King King. Uh, actually, is there a way you could uh, be counterfeited? Yeah, yeah, like, 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 like King Three or something, and then they, uh, no, they still, how do they, wait, how can they possibly chop it? Hold on. Seven Three Jack, um, Aside from, like, double-pairing the board, how could they chop this? Um, yeah, there isn't. There's not really a way they could chop it. I don't know why he's saying low, low, low. Maybe he just means low, like, not an eight. I don't know. King. Jack. So a king, a king hits the turn, which doesn't mean anything. Ten still plays. Ten still plays. A three or a seven chopping. An eight wins it. For Felicia, otherwise, who's going to win this? He's, he's, he's still dancing around. Ooh, Lord. He's, uh, oh, my God. 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 Oh,
Yeah, I know you. I'm sure you know what hit there. An eight. So, at this point, Felicio finally shows some emotion and kind of running around himself. Not the same way Lou was, but that left Lou short stacked, and he lost. Ended up being the second place finisher. Felicio was the million dollar winner. A lot of people thought that was karma for all the dancing around that Lou did celebrating it before the hand was over. So of all things, the premature celebration on a broadcast ended up in a defeat. I still don't know how many, how they got that much in in the pot. How, how do you get that much in? How do you get that much in? When... I don't get it. How do you get that much in if it's uh, only top pair? Were the blinds really that big at that point? Maybe they raised each other pre-flop and then they flopped the, the they both flopped the jack. I, I guess. I mean, I'd expect something like two pair over set or something like that. Uh, two pair over two pair, that sort of thing. But aces over kings. Kings over queens, that I could see, but Jack eight, Jack ten, how how big could it have gotten pre flop? <laughs> and you both flop the top pair. I mean, yeah, you I guess you raise, but maybe it was just not very deep by that point. I don't know how long they were playing. John Raisner was at that final table. But he finished eighth. What sucks about this Colossus though is because of the heavy money up top, the ninth place finisher got fifty seven thousand. So 13,000 entries, and you get 57,000 for making ninth. That's kind of crappy, to be honest. So, I guess I guess the, I guess the lesson here is you don't you don't prematurely celebrate. You're going to lose. The poker gods will come get you. Some people are saying that uh, the, the connection dropped. That's not good. That is not good. That we, we lost connection for a little bit. Trader Risky, you never lost connection with me, right? No, I hear you fine. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Oh, yeah, I did. I do see some of the chat now. Yeah, I see. All right, well, what can I do? A hotel internet. At least it's kind of working. Oh, you know, it could actually lose completely. There's nothing I can do about it, but... You can only get your internet by the day, even if you're getting it for free. So at some point, it's just going to die. Right. And make when did you turn it on last night? I think it's exactly 24 hours. Yeah, it? it is. So I, I think I think it's like 12:30 a.m. or somewhere around there. So it's probably not going to be too long when we get dropped. So if it happens, it happens. I'll be sleeping by then. You'll be sleeping by then. Okay. <laughs> now nah, it could be. I'm but, tired. So okay, let's let's talk about your cash here. So. Uh, of five Poker Fraud Alert members, to my knowledge, maybe even more that I'm not aware of, but five, to my knowledge, play the 1500 Limit Hold'em event, which is a lot. We, we don't usually have that type of representation, especially at a, a, a an event that uh, got fewer than 700 people. Did they even make 600? How, how many were the... How many did no, I think it was just under six, right? I think yeah. it was like 598. Oh, okay, okay. So we didn't get 600. So uh, f- five people... In that event, we had an association with Poker Fraud Alert. That would be me, Brandon, 
Eric Benzamokin, you, and Jay Jammy, who's uh, once co-hosted this show and posted on the forum. So uh, there were the five of us. There may have even been uh, others that I didn't know about there, but there's at least the five of us. Brandon went out very fast. He kind of disappeared. I'm not sure how he lost so quickly. He must have just run horribly. There, there were people who busted pretty fast in the event, though, so he wasn't the only one. Uh, then uh, Eric Benzamokin fell out after not too long. I got off to a great start, ran my 7,500 to 13K very quickly. Then I lost it back. Or I lost some of it back. Then I went all the way down to 3K. Then I ran it back up to 10K. And then I was yo-yoing between 10K and 5K for a long time, which was bad because the blinds kept going up and the averages kept going up, and I was uh, stuck between 5 and 10K. And then finally... Uh, I lost a few hands. I lost an ace-king hand that missed. I, I lost uh, jacks against queens on a low board, which is never good in these spots. And then uh, my final hand, I actually had king-queen in the big blind. Like the next hand after I lost that jacks hand, I got king-queen in the big blind, which I was happy to see because I was crippled. I thought I may have to go in with any trash. So king-queen is a pretty good spot to go in three ways, but completely missed, and that was the end of me. So that was the end of all of us. I, I, I think Jay Jammy didn't cash either. I didn't follow it, but I think he, I think last I heard... Uh, he didn't have a very big stack. So, uh, Trader Ruski was the last man standing. Now, Trader Ruski, he had even a better start than me. He got up to 18K, but then took some beats. He, he like, ran out to two, two sets of sixes, right? Yep. Yeah. Just within the same round. Yeah, and then... Uh, and then against, like, a big ace and a medium ace. So, yeah, so an ace on the board. Yeah, so so Trader Ruski lost some hands, and, and, and I, you know, he looked like he was down to about 8K at one point. So, what was the lowest you got down to after being the 18? What was the lowest you got down to? I think I got down to maybe the high sixes or early sevens. Yeah, and then what was even worse, you only made the day two with like 11,000, right? Yeah, 11,600. Yes, that's a crappy stack. I was definitely the top. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely probably the bottom 25 for sure. Yeah, so he he was uh, it was pretty much dire straits. He really needed to come back and get lucky, but. You managed to do so, and you, what, what did you run up? What, what was the high you had in, in chips? I peaked. I peaked right around fifty-five k. Okay, so he got fifty-five k, and then lost some hands. So you you went out uh, after the money. The money was at ninetieth, and uh, Traderuski beat that. So what, what cash did you get? Yeah, I got seventy-six, and I got uh, twenty Twenty-four something or twenty-three something? Yeah, twenty-four. Yeah, twenty-four thirty-six. I think. Okay, so it wasn't even the bottom cash level. It looks like he got the third cat. Third. To yeah, bottom. I got. Oh, the second. Oh, the third tier. I thought it was the second. Maybe maybe it was the second tier. I don't know. But uh, anyway, Trader Ruski getting. Uh, uh, he cashed. It wasn't a huge cash, but it was a, a cash. And uh, the only poker fraud alert associated person to cash here. So congratulations to you there. Have you cashed in a mm-hmm. limit hold'em event before? No, that was God. That was probably the second one I've played. Oh, okay. You don't play because I'm, I'm a ca- limit cash player, but I normally just play um, no limit tournaments. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, but it was good. It's, it's good. I, I I really like that event. I just couldn't get anything going this time, and I I just wasn't winning hands, and I was winning hands at the very beginning, but it doesn't help very much. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to, and you wait, you know, and then it's just like. A few raises with Ace King, getting three bets, or you know, it's just the chips can go so fast. Yeah, that's what happened to me. They just went fast, and at first I just kept training win loss, win loss, win loss. They just kept alternating, 
and that, that's how I was, uh, or win to, lose to, win to, lose to, like things like that. So I was, that's why I was not busting, but not chipping up. But then eventually I lost a few in a row. The blinds were big. I was gone. So, uh, yeah, that's the way these limit tournaments go. And, uh, but good job there. You got a cash there on the limit hold'em event and poker fraud alert didn't bat zero. So thank you. That, that's, that's good to hear. So let's see what we got next year on our uh, agenda. I didn't lose it, did I? I have a lot of windows open. No, I'm here. Oh, you no, the no, agenda. My, my, my agenda. No, I don't I have it here. Okay, so... This is something brought to me by a listener. And I think this listener's onto something. This listener wrote to me that... Uh, where's, where's the... Uh, Crap, where is it? Here we are. This was supposed to be the year that the World Series of Poker stole the frequent high roller events away from the Aria. Instead, as far as I can tell, none of these have happened at the King's Lounge, while all the sickos are still firing at the Aria. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So he sent me some links to take a look at. First link he sent me was a structure sheet that was put out before the World Series that said this. 2018 World Series of Poker, King's Lounge High Roller Series, $25,000 No Limit Hold'em, Big Blind Ante, Unlimited Re-Entry, Shot Clock, meaning there's a timer on making decisions, every Friday night in June, start, and, July, and, and early July starting June 1st, so June 1st to July 6th, every Friday night at 8pm, one day event, starting chips, 125000 25 minute levels, Late registration, 10 levels. Antes will come from the big blind. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, play down to a winner in one day. This is a new event for 2018. And then they start with big blinds of, uh, yeah, it's 500, 1,000 they start with and move up. So it's kind of a turbo. But uh, it's $25,000 entry. They may think, who'd want to play that? Who'd want to put 25000 into playing a turbo? Well, the reason they're doing this is they have something very similar at the Aria. It's called the 25K High Roller No Limit Hold'em. And they, they've, the World Series was trying to basically take that. And when I say take, they were hoping that the High Rollers would come over to the Rio and play in the King's Lounge instead of going to the Aria. So that maybe after these people play their World Series events, instead of feeling like they need to run to the Aria to do this, they can stay right there at the Rio. They're hoping to have the prestige of these events. They're not going to make a lot of money and rake from these events. They'll make some, but the, you know, the main thing they're trying to do is get the prestige of these high rollers, that they actually have like weekly high rollers going there. Well, for what that person texted me, and I believe them, there's no indication these have ever happened. It seems like despite the claim that they're every Friday night at 8 p.m., and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll walk by there tomorrow at 8 p.m. and see if they're actually going on. I could even ask them, I guess, at the King's Lounge if these have actually happened. But the belief is that these aren't actually happening. And yet, the Aria is actually running these type of events. So on June 14th, for example, they did a $25,000 eight-game mix starting at 2 p.m. 
And it was actually 25 plus 1. So it was actually 26K to buy in. 30 people entered and 5 people cashed. So the winner of that one was Adrian Matios Diaz from Spain. Ben Tallarine second. Carrie Katz got third. Owner of Poker Go and CRTV. Rainer Kemp from Germany got fourth. And uh, David Peters from Las Vegas got fifth. The other 25 uh, are $26,000 lighter for not having cashed. So they're still firing at the area. They're not getting huge fields. You know, they got 30 people, but they're running. But apparently uh, at the King's Lounge, uh, no one's seen them run. I will say that every time I've walked by the King's Lounge, I've never seen a tournament running there. It's only been cash. I may take a look tomorrow, but it's possible this is a failure and it just never caught on. So that will be interesting to see. Got some texts on 775-372-8355. What a take on Brunson then bringing in the dogs. Well, I think you have a new fan of PFA. He was laughing so hard, I think he cried. I don't know what this person's talking about. Who? Uh... Oh, I think this is... He, that's why There's two texts the guy sent me. He said, My friend Claudius Pascal said he played with you and beat you in a pot in the World Series. We're listening in the Rio. Give him a shout-out. Well, okay, Claudius. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I hope, you, I hope if you're la- laughing so hard that you cried that you're going to listen again to our next episode, which I, I wish I could tell you when it's going to be. But uh, maybe June 26th, maybe not. Otherwise, probably July 4th. From the 314, uh, there's a listener who I met. Uh, he said, listening up in Seattle, had to escape the heat. Thanks again for swinging by. Glad I came up before your terrific run. Way to go. Thank you. Oh, yeah, this is funny. This guy had some comps at a restaurant, so he generously uh, just let me eat for free on those comps. So we both had dinner there. And, you know, a Jew like me is always happy to take a free meal. So he told me to guess how much the bill would be. And I hadn't seen it. I hadn't added anything. You know, he was going to take care of the whole thing. So I had no reason to add this up and I hadn't seen the bill. He said, if I can guess the bill within two cents after tax and tip, he'll give me a hundred dollars. I said, come on, two cents. How am I going to do that? I like, I, I didn't even pay attention closely to what he was ordering. I, I kind of watched, but believe me, I, I, there was nothing I could have added up in my head. So I guessed just off the top of my head, I said, one twenty eight forty two. Or sorry, I said 128.37. That's what it was. I said 128.37. And he said, wait, what did you say? I said 128.37. He goes, oh, 37. I said, well, what was it? The bill was actually 128.42. I got within five cents. So I really almost won that $100. I can't believe I did that. I mean, the chance is so low that I would have come that close. Because I, I, re- I knew it was kind of in that neighborhood, but I had to get within two cents. I got within five cents. So he just reminded me of that. Okay, let's uh, move on here. Almost done with the World Series topics. Here's kind of a lighthearted topic, again, about me. But I think this might eventually have to 
it'll probably impact some of you guys too. WSOP.com has been a fail. This would be the first World Series since they had the combined player pool where New Jersey had the same players as Nevada and Delaware. They're all combined together. So it was hoped that perhaps they they would have uh, more action. But there really hasn't been very much action. As I'm looking right now, there, I'm looking at the Limit Hold'em games, for example, at uh, 5.10 and above. Limit Hold'em. The number of running games? Zero point zero. Yeah. Zero point zero games of Limit Hold'em. You say, well, it's okay. It's only Limit Hold'em. What about Omaha? Or so that, that was Omaha. I was looking at Omaha. So Omaha, Omaha 08, there's nothing running above 3.6 right now. And there's a heads-up game running at 3.6. Then there's one 1-2 one, pot limit 08 game going. The rest are micro-stakes. Uh, looking at PLO, they do have a, f- a few 5.10 PLOs going. I guess they, they do have some PLOs on this. They have a few 5.10s, a few 2.4s, and 3.6s, and then some micro-stakes. So that's, that's the best they're doing with PLO. Limit Hold'em, yeah, there's only 5.10 running heads up and 3.6 running heads up. So that's a fail. Anyway, I, I did see there was an 08 that was 30-60 running last night, and I played and broke even, basically. So I, I thought, okay, you know, I want to have a bit more of a bankroll on there. I played with kind of a short bankroll because it just it was hard to deposit on there. So I wanted to do ACH transactions. The problem was I had to start all over because it's anyone who had a Nevada account had to re-register, and you have to re-get approved for limits, which is a pain in the ass. So I started off with a laughable $100 ACH limit, which is not going to do me any good. So I happened to get a call today from them. I tried to call support, but I couldn't reach anybody. They called me today to verify something else. And I said, well, why, while I have you on the phone, can you raise my ACH limits? So they looked into it and said, okay, well, we have to put you through some identity questions to make sure it's really you before we raise your limits. I said, okay. So we're going to ask you some personal questions. Um, and, uh, you know, is that okay so you can answer them to prove your identity? So I said, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, whatever you need to do to prove my identity, go ahead, you know, ask me the personal questions. And they said, uh, okay, so um, when you have sex with your girlfriend, what, what position is your favorite? <laughs> no, they, they, uh, they asked me a bunch of questions about, you know, places I've lived and uh, other stuff like that that uh, just, if they asked enough of them, would be hard for someone who wasn't me to answer. Then they asked me a really tough one. They asked me, where did you live in the years 1971 and 1972? What's the problem with that question? Traders, do you have any idea? What's the problem with the, the question of uh, where did I live in 1971 and 1972? Uh, Trader Risky is either sleeping or muted. I will answer. The problem with that question is that I was not alive in 1971. Yeah. I I guess I did live somewhere in 1971. I was living inside of my mother's womb. I was a fetus in 1971. But I was not born until 1972. 
So I told them, I said, I can't answer that. I wasn't living anywhere in 1971. Uh, do, you want, do you want me to answer inside my mom? I can give you that answer. So the, the woman who's doing this with me tells me, well, you still have to answer the question. Oh, that was in person? No, this was on the phone. Fo- it was on the phone. It was on the phone. Oh, on the phone. Okay. On the phone. So she's telling me I still have to answer. It wasn't like, oh, we're sorry. We must have the wrong thing up. Like, no, you, you still got to answer. I, I said, well, how can I answer? I wasn't alive. I, I was not living anywhere in 1971. That's genius. So like, they're treating me like I, they still need an answer. And, hmm. and so, well, it was a multiple choice question. So I said, okay. <laughs> so I gave them the, – the, one of the answers was the state I lived in 1972. So I gave that one and they accepted it, I guess. But – Somehow they had it down from 1970, in 1971. I lived in that state too. That was, that was a good trick. So, uh, I went through the whole thing, including talking about a place I lived before I was born. And I was all ready to have my ACH limits raised. Then she said, okay. Um, hold on. She came back, okay, I've got an approval to raise your limits. I said, okay, thank God. Y- your limits for ACH are now uh, $300. <laughs> and I just explained to them that I'm a high-limit player, that uh, you know that $100 is so far from what I need, and like just completely ignores all that, puts me through the whole questionnaire to raise me to 300 So I said, no, that's not what I was talking about here. I, I need it much higher. So she puts me on hold, and then... A guy gets on. Her manager gets on. And he tells me, and by the way, this is not the World Series of Poker. This is not, these are not employees of the World Series of Poker. These are employees of the payment processor called Global Pay, I think. Anyway, they, uh, and so he told me, I need to contact their risk management team by email and and send them bank statements to show I have the cash to cover the ACH limit that I want, which I I was asking for $10,000. I have to show them I have enough to cover it. And I have to send it for the last 90 days to show them that I've been able to do this for 90 days prior to this. So I said, all right, but how intrusive is this that I have to now send them bank statements? They, They told me I'm allowed to redact anything that shows specific transactions. You know, so like if I... If I bought like a, a vibrator off of uh, um, Amazon, and it says on the statement uh, a- Amazon.com star 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 two-headed vibrator, they, I w- they wouldn't have to see that, okay? But still, like, look how much trouble I have to go through to get some kind of decent limits to play poker. No wonder these games aren't going. They ma- they make it so hard. So I did it anyway. And it's not even guaranteed I'll be a pro- I said, okay, if I send this stuff and you see what, it, you, and you see I had the money in my account for the last 90 days, will I be approved then? Well, there's no guaranteed, but let, let's just see what happens, I was told. So I sent it, but there's only so much effort I'm going to put into this because, you know, it's a fail site, number one. Number two, I'm not going to be in Nevada that much after the World Series of Poker. So F them. But the, this is why it's failing. Well, this is one of many reasons why it's failing, but the, They've got to do something to better enable these games. And, I, and so I said, you know, why don't you do something different? Why don't you check my credit? And you can see my credit is really good. And then 
Uh, and if you need to verify my identity, I'll go down to the cage right now or whoever else I need to meet with here and, and show them that I'm me. No, 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 it's not about your identity. They say. You, you already proved that. Uh, yeah, the, the, the fact that uh, we learned that you weren't alive in 1971, that proved it. Well, they didn't say that, but they probably should have. But they said they believe my identity now. They just need to see I have the money. But why not just run my credit and see that I'm 46 years old and that I've, I have excellent credit my entire life and that I have credit cards with high limits that, that, that never carry a balance? Why, why not see that and say, okay, this guy's not going to rip us off for 10K? Like, like, they have the ability to do these things. And they told me they already ran my credit, in fact. So what more do they need to see? It's insane. But how stupid. How, how stupid that I'm asked about where I lived in 1971 when I wasn't alive. And then they still want the answer after I tell them that. I, I, I was required to give an answer. Okay. That's the end of our World Series topics for this lovely evening. Now let's talk about uh, some Caesar's property fails. I'm not going to tell anyone where I'm staying right now. It's not the Rio. It is not the Rio. I'm not going to tell you where I'm staying right now, but it is at a Caesar's property. It is a Caesar's property that recently had some renovations, which still won't give you many clues because a lot of them had renovations. But this particular property decided on a new style in the bathroom that I didn't like, that nobody likes. I don't know if it's a style that saves money, or they think it just looks cool, or both, but it's terrible. And that is, the showers have no doors. The showers, it's just open. Where there would normally be a door, it's just an open space. And the, and they designed the shower so not that much water splashes out. A little can splash out, but not, not much is going to splash out, so that's not really the problem. But it's cold. So, when you take a shower, the reason you get cold is because the... Well, there's two reasons. At first, the water evaporates off your body, which makes you feel cold. And second, um, anything that can create kind of a draft in there can also you know, create like the equivalent of a wind chill factor. And because you've got water on your body, again, that can make you feel even colder. So the typical human being needs to feel warmer in the shower than they do when they're just otherwise sitting in the room. You, even if they're, they don't have clothes on, you, you need to feel warmer in the shower typically than you would need to feel like sitting naked just in the room. So a shower door, what that accomplishes is two things, besides keeping the water from splashing out. As far as the temperature, what it accomplishes is, first of all, it keeps the steam in, which makes the whole, pl- the whole shower warmer. And that's why, you know, once you step out of the shower into the rest of the bathroom, it feels cold after a shower. But, but second, it also prevents any kind of draft from occurring. So no water, there's not even a slight draft blowing on your, your wet body, and you stay warmer. So with no door, the steam does not stay in the shower, and any little draft that could be in the room 
blows on you. So it, it feels much colder. You have this, like, it's constant, like, kind of cold, drafty feeling taking a shower. It just sucks. Now, Trader Risky, have you ever taken a shower with no door? Oh, wait, I think he's gone. I forgot about that. I wanted the answer to that question. I, I wanted someone else to tell me if they've taken a shower with no door. Well, I have before, and it sucks. Okay, now, to the credit of this property, I knew this when I made this reservation. Okay, I, this wasn't surprising to me. It was the first time I ran into it at this property, but I was not shocked by this because I knew when I made the reservation to stay at this property for these two weeks that I'm going to be there. Well, one week has already passed, and I'm going to be here another week. That uh, that the shower had no door, so I knew it. So I'm not going to say they surprised me. I'm not going to say this was something that I was not expecting. But at the same time, as I was driving from Southern California to Las Vegas, I was thinking to myself. I wonder if there is a solution to this. I wonder if, you know, the other times I just dealt with it. It's not the end of the world. It's just kind of unpleasant. But I thought, I wonder if there's a solution for people who don't like this. Because I'm not the only one who thinks this way. A lot of people hate this. So I, I thought to myself, I wonder if there's a solution for those who have complained, especially since they must have had a lot of complaints by now. Maybe they've come up with something to fix this. So I called up. And I asked uh, the customer service, what happens when you call a Caesars property and get what's known as guest services You're really, or ask for the front desk? You're not really transferred to the front desk. You're transferred to a call center based in Las Vegas that pretends they're the front desk that takes calls for all the Caesars properties. And apparently also for uh, the Laughlin property too. It's all the, all the Southern Nevada properties they take calls for. And... The one I got there told me that, uh, yes, they're familiar with this problem. They're familiar with the fact that a lot of guests don't like it. And for that reason, that they have bought rods and shower curtains that they can bring into rooms and put there for those that don't like the lack of door in the shower. So I thought, oh, perfect. This is exactly what I was hoping. I said, yes, okay, please do that. And they said, okay, well, at check-in, please let them know. I said, no, 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 I'm going to get there very late at night. I don't, And I have a World Series event the next day. Please don't make me wait for this to be done in the middle of the night. Can you? I'm, I've got many hours till I'm there. Can you please just send that up and send a refrigerator up so both things are there when I get to the room? And at first they're balking, saying, oh, we can't do this. But after checking with the supervisor, they said, okay, no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll do both of these things before you get there. So I said, thank you. Goodbye. So I got to the property. I went through check-in, and during the check-in, I said, oh, can you check if the refrigerator and the shower curtain were done? And they looked, yep, we see they were both done. I said, oh, good. All right, great. So I get in the room. I am all ready to uh, go to sleep, knowing these things were done. And I find that even though there is a refrigerator in the room, there is no shower curtain. So I said, ah, crap, they forgot the freaking shower curtain. Okay, well, you know, uh, this doesn't necessarily have to be fixed immediately, but uh, I, I'm going to be here two weeks. It'd be nice if they could find, fix, put a fucking shower curtain up here. So I went, I went down to the front desk and I said, you know, you guys told me that 
the shower curtain was here, but it's actually not here. So can you look why that is, and can you send one up right now? So the girl looked into it, and then she had to go to the back to ask some questions. She came back out and said, yeah, we just spoke to housekeeping. And they said that uh, we actually can't put a shower curtain up. So wait a minute, you said they they said they can't? Yeah, they said they can't. So well, then why did they tell me that they could? Well, I don't know why you were told that, she said to me. But we can't. Um, we we have an older tower that hasn't been renovated. You can go to one of those, but the shower curtains are not for anything in the new or renovated tower. Sorry about that. So I thought that's strange. Why would they offer that? Like the person who offered this to me very clearly understood that I was in the new tower. That it was one that uh, didn't have the shower door. The person was very familiar with the complaints and told me that they had specifically come up with a solution to it. So did this person just make all that up? I didn't understand, but it was too late. I didn't feel like arguing. I said, okay, whatever, and went back up to my room and went to sleep. Then I took a shower without a door. So after I uh, busted the mixed Omaha event, which is the event that, uh, you know, remember I made day two of that and then busted fairly early on day two with that four outer. So after that, I had some time that day. I, you know, it was still daytime and I was playing at 11 a.m. the next day, but yeah, I had the whole rest of the afternoon and evening to do what I wanted. So I said, okay, I'm going to go see if I can maybe clarify the shower curtain thing because it still wasn't it's, it still wasn't solved to me. If they told me, no, we absolutely don't do this, I would have accepted it. I was just be, I want to be clear to everybody here. I was not demanding a shower curtain. If they said, we just can't do this, we just don't do this, I would have said, okay, fine. I knew this when I booked it. I was just hoping maybe you could. But since you can't, I'm going to drop it. That really would have been my attitude. I was not demanding they bend over backwards for me. I just, I just wanted to know the policy. Can you or can't you? And I got two different answers. So I wanted to be sure, since at Caesars you always get, you know, Caesars Properties, I'm talking about not Caesars Palace. Um, you get so many different answers about the same question, and only one is right. So I uh, I went to the VIP room, where they tend to be a little more knowledgeable. And I asked, and I told them, hey, I'm a seven stars. I told, <coughs> I told them the story I just told you guys. I said, bottom line, can you or can you not put a shower curtain in the room? So that rep didn't really know. She got her manager to come over. So the VIP, one of the managers of VIP came over and said, yes, yes, you can. You can put in shower curtains in these rooms. He said, in fact, I've seen it done many times in these renovated rooms. They've put in a shower curtain. So yes, you definitely can. I said, well, why did they tell me last night they couldn't or, or two nights ago? Or it was, it was, it was the... Let me think. Was it? It was two nights ago. They told me that. I said, "Well, why, why they tell me I checked in? I couldn't." Well, I don't know why they said that, but you definitely could. We are going to send housekeeping up there right away to get this done. I said, "Great, okay, problem solved." It. So I thought. But before I walked out of that VIP room, I said, "You know, uh, given all the time that's been wasted with this already, can they send this up quickly? You know, not put me in the back of the line because this is supposed to have already been done." So. I asked for this two days ago, so can they put me ahead of everybody else because my request is two days ahead of everybody else? Because that's always my attitude. I don't feel like I deserve to cut in line in front of everybody, but I do feel I deserve to go to the front of the line if I've been waiting longer than everybody else. So like if I, 
anything I that was started for me and was not done right, I feel I have a right to jump to the top of the line and have everybody who requests something after me, after it was started, because I was first. So I, I asked, you know, since I've been waiting two days for this, can they send someone up right now? So they actually said, yes, yes, we'll send them right now. So I went back to the room, and in fact, they did send someone very quickly. Within 30 seconds when I got to my room, there was a knock on the door, and it was the housekeeping manager. She had a clipboard. She came in. She was looking at the shower. I was telling her what I was looking for. She says, okay, um, I understand everything. I'm going to go uh, see what I can do. That's okay, good. I'm uh, just curious. Is this going to take a long time, or you know, can, can you? Are you? Uh, how much longer will I be waiting? Because I, I didn't want to just let her in. I, you know, I, I want this to be done with me here. I don't want to leave just strangers in my room without me here. So I, I said, you know, do you know how long it's going to be till you come back? She said, Oh, uh, I'm, I'm working on this right now, so it'll be very quick. I said, Okay, great. So I closed the door and I sat down. That was about four o'clock. It became five o'clock. Became five thirty, became six, became six thirty. She didn't come back. Two and a half hours. She she was quit working on this. She didn't come back. So I'm like, what the heck? So I went back down to VIP, and I said to VIP, uh, "What happened here?" And I told them about this visit I had that she was working on it. And never came back. So they went back and made some phone call. Came back and said, "Well, this is very strange, but the woman we sent up there, that that manager, the the housekeeping manager." who was working the, the, the day shift, um, she went home. She actually went home uh, just uh, a very short time after she came to your room. And she didn't go home with any kind of emergency or illness. Her shift was over. So either she didn't realize what time it was, or she just passive-aggressively screwed with me by saying she's going to go work on it and then just went home. I still don't know the answer to what happened there. But I was pissed. That's the thing that pissed me off the most. That she actually promises to return really fast and then goes home. What a crappy thing to do to a guest. Yeah, be honest. Say, look, I, this is the end of my shift. I'm going to go pass it on to the next person. Now, maybe she did pass it on to the next person and they dropped the ball. I don't know what happened. But whatever it was, she went home. And then it didn't get done. So I was very unhappy at this point. So they felt bad for me there. And they said, okay, we're going to call housekeeping. We're going to make sure somebody else comes up. So I went back. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh my God, how much time have I wasted on this freaking shower curtain? So I go back to the room. I wait. Someone comes up fairly quickly again. It's a different woman this time. This one doesn't speak very good English, though. The first one spoke good English. This This one was a Hispanic woman who didn't speak good English. And she came in, and uh, she kind of reminded me of the Hispanic maid on Family Guy. If you've ever seen that, and she she comes in the room, and she looks at the shower, and says, oh, "No, no, we no can do this. Uh, the shower no, no 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 good for this. No." So that's really what happened. Like she was telling me that they can only do it in the handicapped rooms, where they already have like ex- an existing structure of a bar that's up there. They just don't have a curtain until someone requests it, but that uh, there's nowhere to put a bar up here. 
So I showed her. I go, look, this isn't very wide. All you, you know, just any standard bar that you would buy in, in like Bed Bath and Beyond could go up here. Just you know, one of those bars you can stretch out, and and, and it holds itself up with its own pressure. Why not just put up one of those? I, I thought that's what you guys were talking about the whole time. No, no, only a handicapped room. No. So uh, this wasn't very. Uh, convincing either I just wanted an answer again if they just don't do it even if they could do it even though, I knew for sure they could do it with with that type of setup but if they just don't fine but I just I just wasn't getting an answer remember the the last thing I had heard from the VIP manager is that they do it he's seen it done he said and and then they send up people who said no no so like I don't know like I, I, I I'm, I'm trying to figure it out So, um, she says she's going to ask her manager. So I said, okay, can you, uh, do you know when the manager will, uh, will get back to me? So she seemed irritated by this question. Oh, I go right now. I tell him, she says, I said, well, no, no, no. I know you're going to tell him. I'm not blaming this on you, but I'm afraid you'll tell the manager and the manager will choose not to work on this now. I already got ditched once, you know, can you please just give me, you know, can you make sure the manager understands that I want this handled right now? Or at least for them to get back to me with a timetable of when they're going to work on it. Oh, well, I go I go tell him. That's all I can do. I said, no, 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 no. Fine. You, you can tell them what... It, it wasn't that... I should stress this wasn't that contentious. I'm making it sound more contentious than it was. But I was trying to get... like I was just trying to get her to tell him that I've already been waiting a long time and that I already got ditched by this other person that just... Please either call me or work on this right now. And she just kept basically saying no. She's just going to tell him that this needs, you know, what I'm looking for. Finally, I just gave up and said, okay, fine, just go tell him, bye. So she left. So I was probably sitting, I don't know, another half hour. And I go, you know what, this is bullshit. I'm tired of this. How much time have I freaking wasted on a shower curtain? And believe me, the only reason I was wasting so much time on the shower curtain was because I was going to be here two weeks. If it was if it was like a two or three day stay, there's no way I would have put in this type of effort. So I wasn't just doing it because I wanted a battle or something. I, I just I knew I was going to be here for two weeks. I wanted a shower curtain. It was worth putting some effort out to get. But now I was going like way too far. I was starting to really regret I ever started this whole thing. So finally, I decided I had enough, and I decided I'm going to go. I'm going to go back down to VIP and say, look, can you guys just direct this and handle this because housekeeping is just dropping the ball all over the place. And please get me a final answer as to whether this can be done or not. So I w- that was my plan. I went down there. All the managers are in a meeting, they told me. But they did direct me to the front desk manager on duty. He was kind of like a, a guy who's the manager of all the regular front desk employees in the evening. So he has some power. He's not like a super high manager, but he has some power. And uh, so they directed me to him. And I told him the whole story. And then he said, hang on a second. I, I want to, you know, I need to look into this. So I stood there for, I don't know, 10 minutes while he went to look into the whole thing. Which is fine. I'm not criticizing that. He just tried to gather the facts of what had happened so far from from housekeeping and whatever else. 
Then came the most disturbing part. He came back and said, well, we've got a few strange things going on here. First of all, I don't know why that housekeeping supervisor just went home on you and told you she's going to come right back and never did. That's really strange. We're investigating on why that happened. Um, I also don't know about that second visit where, you know, why, why they told you they can't give you a timetable and they weren't getting back to you. Like, you know, we've got to look into this whole thing, he said to me. But he said, we also have, though, uh, a complaint about you on the other end. I said, what, a complaint about me? He said, yes. I said, well, what kind of complaint? He says, I, I can't reveal that. I'm sorry. I said, well, why can't you reveal it? It's me. It's the complaints about me. Shouldn't I know what I'm accused of? And he says, uh, no, I know, but we don't want to... We don't want to bring any of this out at this point. We're, we're, we're still investigating. I go, well, that's great, but can you at least tell me like, what, what kind of complaint? What, what's the general nature of the complaint? Like, I started worrying. This is what I started worrying about. Was that the housekeeping department screwed up. And they were you know, getting questions that were tough for them to answer. As to what went on with all this crap. So I was afraid in order to undermine my credibility... That maybe you know either the first or second woman that came up here made up some story about me to take away my credibility, and I didn't know what the story could have been. It could have been something minor, like they just thought I was being belligerent or rude, uh, all the way up to some you know false sexual a- a- accusation. But whatever it was, I was getting very nervous. That's you know, especially in this day and age, that someone could have made up a false accusation about me, especially since. There were two different women that came into my room and were alone with me. They were alone with me for like a minute each, but, you know, I, I, I was concerned because I had no way to disprove anything that would have been accused against me. I would never do anything like that. In fact, you know, forget anything sexual. I would never do anything threatening in any way. And whenever I have any disagreements or arguments or any frustrations with employees of any type, male or female, I never yell. I never use profanity. I never get threatening. Um, yeah, I may threaten at some point. It wouldn't be in this case, but I, I, I may have threatened legal consequences in the past, but I've never like, been physically threatening in any way. Um, I, I've never, uh, I've definitely never made any kind of you know, sexual harassment against anyone at any point in my life for any reason. So, you know, I, I just don't do these things. So, I didn't know what I was being accused of, and that was the most, that was the scariest part. Because there was some kind of accusation against me. They wouldn't tell me what it was. And I kept reviewing in my head. Okay, it looks like we're back. Uh, the, the inevitable cutoff from the hotel internet happened. I don't know how long I've been out here. I'll wait a second for people to come back. That's a fail. That, that happened. <laughs> I have to come back on. I'm going to get in the chat room in a second, and you guys can tell me how long I was off the air because I, I didn't notice. Hopefully, I I was just talking, and I realized I wasn't talking to anybody. Second, and you Uh-oh. guys can tell me. Whoop. I accidentally just brought up the broadcast of my own voice. <laughs> Fail all around here. Okay, uh, guys in the chat, please tell me how how long was I out. How long did it cut off? Oh, 30 seconds? Okay, good. 
in the archives, you're just going to hear like a skip where it just goes from me gone to being back here. That's the thing. I'm going to combine them after the fact, but I'm not going to edit anything. They're saying about one minute. Okay. Not bad. Glad I noticed it quickly. I swear, if I was talking about this for like 15 minutes and had to do it again, I'd go crazy. So, I, I was very nervous about the accusation, and uh, they just absolutely would not tell me. I kept begging them to tell me, they would not tell me. So, I, I was a little nervous. Like, what if there was something very, very bad alleged of me, and they decide to believe the person making the accusation and I get like banned from all Caesar's properties. Like what if I just can't continue with the world series? What if I get thrown out of the hotel? What if I can't ever play the world series again? Like I started worrying about all this stuff. I also started worrying about like my stuff in the room. What if they start making it difficult to get back in there and get it? Like my laptop, like other things in the room that uh, I wouldn't want them keeping from me, even for a, temporary period of time. So that night when I went out, I actually packed up a backpack with my laptop and other things in it that were all valuable to me. And I walked around with it. I took it to dinner with somebody. I I took it when I went to go play uh, a video poker machine. It was a pain in the ass, but I was that concerned that you know, while I was gone, they could possibly kick me out and lock me out of the room because there's this accusation hanging over my head that they would not uh, clarify to me. So I was told I would get a call from the head of VIP at Harris the next day to go over all this with me. And now I was going to be playing the next day. In fact, that was going to be the event where I ended up finishing 33rd. I was told I'd get the call probably around 11, which is when the event started. Well, I didn't get the call until about 12.30, and fortunately the call came in during a long hand in which I was not involved. So I grabbed the call, and again, I had my laptop with me there because I, I still didn't trust like what was going to happen while I was gone. I, I took the call, and <clears throat> it was the housekeeping manager. Not not the same one who'd come up, but it was, I think the one who's like uh, one of the higher managers of housekeeping. But she didn't want. It, she didn't ask me about any kind of you know accusation. She didn't even go into that. She says, "We have a shower rod for you, but we notice there's a do not disturb sign at your door. So do we have your permission to come in the room and put it in? So now we're back to there is a shower curtain. <laughs> you know, remember the the last one told me they can only do the handicap rooms. Now she's telling me there is one. I said, oh. Do you know where you found that? I, I was told that there there aren't any. Oh, I forgot. I, I skipped to the other thing. The guy who told me about the accusations against me the night before, he told me that he knows of shower rods, that they, they bought about 10 of them for this purpose. So he told me that's what he had been told. Um, so, so now the next day, I was getting a call that, yes, they had a shower rod and they want to come in in my room and install it. So I said, well, I'm not there right now. Uh, when I come back... I will uh, give you guys a call, and uh, can you guys just please put it on the side for me? And uh, and then when I come back, then you can install it. I'll call you to come up and install it. And she said, okay, that's fine. I said, okay, thank you, bye. And I hung up, and I went back to the table, and I hadn't missed any hands. And it was, uh, you know, at least that uh, that part 
didn't cause any inconvenience. At that point, I felt pretty good about the accusation situation because I figured if they're going to kick me out of here from some sort of bogus accusation, they're not going to be getting a shower rod for me at this point. <laughs> that wouldn't be what they'd be doing. They're, they're obviously trying to still solve this and make me happy. So clearly whatever was accused was probably something minor. So I stopped worrying at that point and thought, okay, now I can just uh, you know, not always drag everything with me. Um, sometimes I'll bring the laptop with me anyway if I if I have to use it. Like there's, you know, there are times I come to the World Series events and just have it in the backpack because I, I want to get on it and do something or see something. Uh, so it's not always in the room anyway. But you know, the, 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 I, at least I had the ability to leave it in the room if I wished, and uh, especially if I went to dinner or something, I wouldn't have to bring it. And um, you know, a lot of things in the room I no longer had to drag around with me because I'd be afraid of being locked out. So I was glad that crisis was over. And, I, and it, it should have been because I did nothing wrong. So I thought, okay, good. I'm going to get back from whenever, whenever I get back from this event. This is still very early in the event, so I didn't know how I was going to do. But I said, all right, whatever happens in this event, get back early or late, doesn't matter. I'll have them come up. I'll have to put the shower, shower rod in. And, and I'm actually just going to drop it. I'm, I'm not even going to ask for anything. I'm not, I'm not going to say, hey, I, I want money off my room or, hey, I want a food credit. I'm, like, I'm not even going to do that. I, I, I just want the shower rod and be done. I just want it to be done. So even through all the inconvenience I've been put through, I'm, I'm not even going to ask for anything. I just I just want my damn shower rod and curtain, please. That was, that was what was on my mind. So I made it all the way through the day of the event. And I came back and I was all ready to have the uh, shower rod put in. So I got in my room, I called guest services, you can't call the direct front desk, the VIP room was closed by that point, and I said, yeah, I'm all ready to have them uh, bring up that shower rod and curtain they've been uh, holding for me. And so she said, hang on, you know, we're not on property, but I'll, we're going to call up the housekeeping staff on property and uh, just, you know, have them verify they have it for you and just hold on, please. So I sat on hold for a while. The woman came back and said... Yeah, we just spoke to housekeeping. They said uh, they can't put up a rod. It's only for handicapped rooms. <laughs> I said, oh, my freaking God, we're back to that. <laughs> we're back to that. Is this ever going to end? So I called up the same front desk manager I had been dealing with because I knew he was working till 1 a.m. and it was like 1130 at night. I asked for him. He wasn't there. They said he'd call me back. Well, he did call me back in about 20 minutes. And he said, I'm so sorry you were told that. That was incorrect. We do have a rod and a shower curtain for you. I said, are you sure? We, they, they were very insistent, and they keep saying this, both that second woman who came up and the one on the phone. Just, they're all saying it has to be for a handicapped room. He said, no, that's incorrect. I guarantee you the shower rod we have will work for your room. He said, I'm really sorry you keep getting this wrong information. I said, okay, well, are they going to come up and do it? He says, yes, I'll make sure they come up and do it. I will call them myself and make sure they come up and do it. So anyway, a short time later, a male and female came up together who worked for housekeeping. One of them was a housekeeping manager. One was uh, the night housekeeping supervisor, and they were holding a shower rod and a curtain. Hallelujah. 
So they came in. They asked if they can come in now. I said, yes. They came in. They put it up. So I asked them, I said, out of curiosity here, um, why was there so much confusion? Like, like, why couldn't this have just been done when I was driving here? Why, 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 why this whole thing? Why, what happened here? Why, why couldn't you find this before? They said, oh, no, we didn't have this before. We actually went to the store today and bought this for you. Can you imagine? They actually sent employees to the store to buy me a shower rod and curtain. I didn't ask for that. I wouldn't have ever expected that. So don't don't put out rumors that I'm this prima donna who makes these poor employees go to the store and buy shower rods and curtains for me specifically. I would have never asked for that. If I was like a, a huge baller gambler here, I would. I'd probably ask for that because I'd have the right to. But not not, not a regular guy like me. Even though I'm a seven star, I, I understand there's limits. Like I, I, I'm not someone who should be entitled to that. So I was actually grateful that they did that and i told them i said i just want to let you know i wasn't expecting that i i said if you guys had just told me the whole way you just don't have these that even if theoretically they could go up but you just don't have them and don't normally put them in like this i'd have totally accepted that from the beginning just the only thing that's been frustrating me is that no one had the answer no one had a clear yes or clear no it was different from every person and they said, no, 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 we understand. And I said, yeah, so, so I wasn't, again, I wasn't asking you guys to go do this. I'm very, very grateful you did it. I appreciate this very much. Uh, so, uh, you know, thank you. But uh, this wasn't my expectation. And the only expectation I, I had was just that I'd be told the right answer and have it be a consistent answer. They said, no, you're right. So anyway, I thanked them for that. And... I looked at my shower curtain and my shower rod. I go, I can't believe this. They actually went out to this at a major hotel. They went out to the store to buy me a shower rod and a curtain. They had none. I don't know what happened to the story, but I asked. I heard. I heard there were ten of these before. They said no, there weren't. That was a mistake. They said they're the only ones we had were curtains that we could put up on the handicap room that were existing had an existing bar. This is the first time we've ever put a bar in this type of room, and we actually just went to the store to buy it for you. <laughs> So I said, okay, so here it is. It's, it's sitting in my room. I've taken showers with it. It's, it's lovely. I feel like I'm in a regular shower again. I, I, I never thought I would feel special taking a regular shower with a shower curtain in a hotel room, but I, I do. And uh, the story at least had a happy ending. So then the manager called me back, and he said, uh, you know, is everything okay? And I said, Yes. And I explained to him again that I wasn't expecting this, but this is good that they they did this. And, and uh, I said, uh, now I assume for the future, if I come back here, um, they're going to probably have a hard time finding this one rod in curtain. I don't even know what they're going to do with it after I leave. So I guess I shouldn't expect this again. He says, oh, no, 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 just let me know and we'll get the rod in curtain for you. <laughs> so I don't know if they're going to put this aside and say, you know, for Todd would tell us only, there's going to be like one rod in curtain in the whole hotel. Now you guys are going to know about this. Well, you don't know which hotel it is, but you might be able to figure it out. There's going to be one rod and curtain in the whole hotel that uh, can be used for the rest. I don't know. Like, like I've got to think a lot of guests are going to come down and complain about this. And they go, oh, you want the Todd Wittellis rod? They go, no, no, we don't want Todd Wittellis' rod. We just want a shower curtain and a rod. No, no, no. This is the rod that we're holding for Todd Wittellis, but he's not here, so we're going to bring this for you. Like, I don't know how this is going to work. Maybe he'll sit in a closet saying reserved for Todd Wittellis. I don't know. Maybe I should bring my own shower curtain and rod here. 
It's not even. I'm not even joking. I'm thinking maybe I should just bring my own shower curtain around and just put it up myself. How weird would I look, look walking through the lobby of a major hotel with a shower curtain and rod? <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, I'm, it's hard for me to believe they're going to hold this for me and have it ready next time I come, but maybe they will. And I'm not going to be staying here for the main event, so next time will be a while from now. It's not like I'm coming back in a week. So that's the shower curtain and rod story. I hope you enjoyed it. Very weird, huh? Isn't that like super weird? Like I've had a lot of weird hotel stories. With this is really a very weird story. Okay. Um, here, I'll give you a bonus story. This wasn't even on the schedule, but I just remembered it. It just happened recently, but I just remembered it. Um, what I originally had, is I, my reservations I booked, it was kind of booked in phases because of the seven-star crap where you can't get free rooms anymore. So I was booking things in phases because I had certain offers that were expiring and I had to book them by January 31st. And so by the time I was done booking on my World Series stuff, uh, I noticed just before I drove back to Vegas, when I say just before, I mean like a few days before, that I had two days staying at the Rio comp in a suite. This was an offer. It was a, an offer for a comp suite at the Rio. Or actually, a comp suite anywhere. I chose the Rio because the World Series was there, but it could have been even at Caesars. A comp suite for two nights, and then a regular room for 12 nights. That's what I had. But the regular room was at a different hotel. So I had 12 nights at one hotel, two nights at the Rio. So I said, this is idiotic. Why, why would I want to stay in a suite at the Rio and then have to check out on a day I'm scheduled to play an event... I moved to this other hotel. It's not worth it. I don't even need a suite. I'm by myself. So, you know, why, why don't I just stay the, the whole two weeks at one property and even give up the suite? So I called up reservations and I said, can you please transfer those two nights from the Rio over to this other property? So they're all 14 nights in the same place. I was very clear that I was willing to downgrade and give up the suite. I said, I probably wouldn't even want to suite the other property and have to move after two days. I'd probably just prefer a regular room all 14 days where I don't have to move. So what I'm offering here is to downgrade and just move to a different property. So I kept getting the runaround. Uh, everybody was telling me that the problem is that since that was an offer that expired January 31st, but where I could stay up through June 30th, since I booked it before Jan- January 31st, that there's no way to transfer it at this point. There's no way to, to rebook it. You can't just cancel and rebook because it's after January 31st, so I'm stuck with it. So I said, no, I understand all that, but but there's got to be some common sense way to deal with this. It's all the same company. Can't you guys just find a way to transfer it in some way, even if it's unofficial? Just, just find some way to where you take the two nights I had at the Rio in a suite over a weekend, which you could resell for a lot of money, can you imagine during the World Series over a weekend, a suite at the Rio? That would go for a lot of money. I said, take that back, have it back, resell it for a lot of money, 
and just give me two nights comp in a regular room at this other property, which is which is, which is going to be a lot cheaper. So they said, well, we just, we just have no way to do it. I said, well, who would? So I was told that I need to talk to casino services. So um, casino services was gone for the night. I called in the middle of the night. So I, I, was to- so I, I called in the morning the next day. And I, I told casino services the same thing. And I laid it out the same way. And I made it very clear they understood I was not asking for extra comps. I wasn't act- asking for an upgrade. I was actually asking for a free downgrade. I was looking to give them back my suite that I had, a, a, my weekend suite at the Rio during the World Series. I was looking to give that back to them and just take a much cheaper regular room at the other property for those two, two nights. Uh, much cheaper, meaning that it would either sit empty or they would sell it for much, much cheaper than that suite would go. So they'd actually, you know, they'd still be giving it to me comped, but they'd be getting back something worth much more. So everybody kept passing the buck. All of them either tried to help and put me on hold a long time and then ultimately failed or told me I needed to speak to somebody else. I was making no progress. It was the, I was on the phone forever just trying to, to work with this. Everybody was either failing or telling me to talk to somebody else. Then the, the, the solution they kept coming up with, which was garbage, they told me, you know, the only way really to solve this is to just cancel the Rio suite, book the other two nights at a standard rate, and at the end of your whole trip, uh, talk to a host and have the, hope, the host uh, comp that off. I, I, I knew in no chance the host was going to comp that off because I was going to be playing at the World Series. I wasn't going to be shooting off of the pits. The, the host is going to say, well, you didn't play the casino games. You're not getting anything comped off. So I'm not going to go try to earn this, this back. I, I don't have anything to earn. I'm, I'm looking to downgrade. I want to downgrade... At no cost to me. That should not be tough. They're not doing me any favor here. I'm doing them a favor. So I'm being passed around from department to department. Nobody can help me. Finally, I, I got a, a helpful rep in guest services. And uh, she fully understood my situation, but she told me she's powerless to fix it. A lot of the other ones that didn't want to understand. This one understood it, agreed, said, you're right, you should be able to do this, but... I don't have a way to fix it. So she says, I'm going to call casino services myself and try to you know, get them to do this for you. So I waited on hold. She came back. She said, uh, yeah, they said that they don't have that power. They said that you have to get a host to do it. I said, oh, great. I've heard this before. She says, no, don't worry. I'm going to call the host for you. I'm going to try to ask the, just ask the host to do this for you. I said, oh, thank you. So I sat on hold a long time. She came back and she said, I'm sorry for the long hold. And I'm also sorry to tell you this. The host said that your recent play doesn't qualify for future comps. I said, what are you talking about? Further comps, not future comps. I said, what do you mean further comps? I'm not asking for more comps. I'm asking for them to trade an expensive suite for a cheap regular room and still leave it comp. I have a comp regular suite I'm asking them to trade that for a comp regular room at a different property that's much cheaper. And she says, I know that, but the host, he just kept saying, they can't do it. 
you don't get further comps. Oh my God, nobody wants to understand. Like, I'll tell you why the hosts didn't help. It's because hosts are very, very selfish. Hosts don't ever want to help you unless there's something in it for them. So there's nothing in it for this host. This host doesn't want to put the work in to, to get this fixed. What does he get out of it? Nothing. So all the host looked up is, do I have what he was going to do is just cancel it and then uh, book it as a comp room. So I was actually going to just throw away that other comp and then I kind of book this as a comp against what's known as RFB, a room food beverage of comps I may have earned for my play. So even there I would have gotten screwed. Even if I did have enough play to cover it, uh, they would have been wasting uh, two free room comps that I could have used some other time on this when in reality I already had them. So I'm actually kind of glad the host didn't help there. Well, I wasn't glad because I didn't have, I knew I didn't have the comps earned anyway. But had I, if I had earned those comps, I would be pissed if this is the way they were used. So, she transferred me over to the casino services to speak to them. They asked for my info all over again, which I had to give. And then they transferred me to a manager back at guest services. <laughs> oh my god, you don't know how long I was at this already. The guest services manager was very, very combative and uncooperative. He kept telling me there's no way around this. I needed to just book at the new property at a rate and then deal with it later if I felt like trying to get a host to fix it. But that he was refusing to even acknowledge my point that this was absurd, that they couldn't just do this downgrade for free. And then came the dumbest part of the conversation. I said to him, look, I have a suite at the Rio. I'm willing to, I want to give it up and exchange it for a cheap room. At a different property, why can't I find someone to do this? And that's when he dropped the bomb on me. He said, sir, you don't have a suite at the Rio. I said, huh? What do you mean I don't have a suite at the Rio? Yes, I do. I have it right in front of me on my comp. He said, no, no, no. Sir, Rio calls itself the all-suite hotel and casino, but they're not really the regular rooms aren't really suites. They just call them that. You just have a regular room. I said, what? No, no, it's a real suite. It's part of the Diamond Aspirations offer. I booked it back in January. It says suite right here on my confirmation. He says, sir, it's booked as a regular room. I can see that. I said, well, then it's wrong. Go look at the offer. The offer says suite at any property, not just the Rio. This is a, I could have had a suite at Caesars if I wanted. It says suite. Go take a look at the offer itself. I'm booked under. He says, okay, let me look. He says, all I can see under the offer is national casino marketing. I see nothing about a suite, nothing about you being entitled to a suite. Uh, and, and besides... This room is comped based upon Howard. So maybe you need to go to Howard and ask him about this and, and see if he can make any changes. So I said, wait a minute, who's Howard? Who the hell's Howard? What, what are you talking about? Are you telling me there's somebody named Howard that's, that's going to be in my room? I don't know any Howard. I guess I know Howard Letterer, kind of. <laughs> you know, what, what Howard are you talking about? There's no, there's no Howard in my room. Is that what you're saying? He says, uh, sir, you sound like you're getting very agitated, but you know, either way, I can't help you. You need to either speak to Howard... Or if he can't get a change, you need to book it at a rate and talk to my host. So now he's talking about this Howard that's in my room. I'm going, this is insane. So suddenly I'm no longer in a suite at the Rio and I'm rooming with a guy named Howard. I don't know. Lovely. I really felt like I was in the Twilight Zone. Like I I knew I had a suite booked. Like I I, I, I have a guy named Howard staying with me. I, I just didn't understand. So I actually hung up on him. The whole thing was too weird. I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to call up the property itself and ask for a front desk manager. So I, I tried to call the property. Of course, I got forwarded to the call center. 
And I asked for the front desk manager, the actual one on property. And they said, hang on. And I got put on hold. Who comes back on the line? That same guest services manager who was talking about Howard. Like, oh no. This guy again. And he said, sir, I just talked to you. Unfortunately, the front desk advised me they don't wish to speak to you about this matter. I was told to be the one to handle it. So can you believe this? They were, they were shutting me out from the front desk. So I said, look, I already went through this with you. You wouldn't help me. You couldn't help me. I'm a, Stenver, I'm a Seven Stars member. If I want to talk to the actual front desk on property, the manager there, I should be able to. He says, I'm sorry, sir, but uh, I don't even show that you're a Seven Star. I show that you're a gold member. I said, what? How am I a gold member? I didn't understand. I said, I'm a seven, I know I'm a seven star until the end of 2018. How am I gold now? Now suddenly I'm a gold who doesn't have a suite, who's rooming with Howard? What the hell is going on here? He says, sir, th- that's what it, it shows gold right here. I, go, I, I swear I'm a seven star. I don't know what's going on here. And he goes, hang on a second. Can you verify the address? Can you verify the address we have on file for you? So I gave it to him. He's oh, um, yeah. Can you spell your first and last name for me? So I did, and he said, um, "Yeah, um, we've been looking at the wrong reservation this entire time. Uh, apparently, um, they transferred me over. They, they pulled up the wrong reservation before transferring it to me earlier, and they pulled up a weekend reservation the same two days." Also of a Todd W. with kind of a similar last name. Not that close, but kind of similar. And he's staying for two nights, except uh, he's a gold. And uh, he's not staying in a suite, and he has a roommate named Howard. <laughs> but, but then the guy started insisting it wasn't, you know, like, like, that shouldn't be a problem because it wasn't him who did it. It was the guy who transferred it, which I believe, but, but still, like, you know... How about some apologies here that they that they were, you know, telling me all this wrong stuff and what I don't have when it was really based on the wrong info on their end. However, suddenly he got more cooperative once he pulled up my real reservation, so I really did have a suite and that I really was a seven star. So I said, okay, let's put all this aside here. Let's just let's forget everything that happened with Howard and all this other crap. Can you help me? Now that you see I really am a seven star and I really do have a suite, can you help me? And he says, hang on a second. And he did it. And I said, I'm just, I'm very happy you did this, but I'm just wondering, how come you were able to do it and nobody else could and everybody kept telling me they couldn't? And he told me that he, he, he has override, override code that they don't. So he was able to just swap it over and override any bitching the computer did about it. So that was done, but probably took me up two hours on the phone. <laughs> Nothing's easy with this company, is it? Howard. Howard should be glad he's not in this room. It's it's uh, twelve forty a.m. and I'm, here I am uh, rambling about this story. Howard wouldn't be getting much sleep in this room. Jeez, there's also only a king bed in here, so I'd, I'd have to sleep with Howard. All right, that that's uh, that was the bonus fail. That was the bonus Caesar's folly. 
Someone in the chat room wrote, demoted to gold, LOL. I actually kind of wondered, like, if they just got sick of my shenanigans and demoted me to gold. <laughs> I couldn't picture it, but I didn't know. It just was so weird. Like, just everything changed. You ever had a dream where just, like, everything is different? Like, just everything you know from real life is just not the way it really is? And you're thinking, what the hell is that going on? But then you wake up and realize it was just a dream. Here, I knew I was awake, and yet I no longer had a suite. I was a gold member, and I was rooming with a guy named Howard. thought maybe there was some quirk in the universe, and I got dropped in some other universe where I'm just a gold, and I've got a buddy named Howard that I've got a room with because I can't even afford to get a room myself. So if that wasn't enough, during the same week, I had... Another back and forth on the phone with the Caesars property, but this time with the Rio. I had stayed at the Rio from June 3rd to June, actually from May 30, the morning of May 31st to the uh, afternoon of June 8th. Part of that was on a full comp, but starting from June 3rd, those last five nights, I actually booked normally because I didn't have comps. And the only way I could do it was book it normally against a credit card, pay for the first night on the credit card, and then at the end of the reservation, pay for the entire thing with my rewards credits, of which I have plenty, and then they would refund my credit card for the first night. That was the only way you could do it. So I went to go do that. So on the, on the day I checked out on June 8th, they uh, told me, yes, we can do that, and they refunded my credit card for the first night. But then there was a little bit of a problem that they wanted to charge my reward credits tax. That is, uh, they uh, they wanted to charge me $22 worth of hotel tax and pay for it with my reward credits. So I said, no, I'm not supposed to be taxed here. That's a waste of $22 of my reward credits. I, I don't want you to do that. Furthermore, I have a, a, a stay later on during the main event that's much more expensive because those nights are a lot more expensive. And that's going to be a lot more tax. That'll be like $75 worth of tax. So I don't want to waste this. Yes, it's only reward credits, but you know, still, these, these are worth something. So the guy who's helping me there, and by the way, before I got this guy, there was a very, very new employee in that VIP room, and she wanted to help me with it. And when I, I, I just knew this was going to be way too complicated for her about the whole tax thing. So I said, look, I could see you just learned here. No offense to you, you know, but I, I just need someone very experienced to handle this. She was very, she was offended. She's like, I'd like to try to help you first. I go, no, I, look, this is a very complicated matter. I'm not even sure if the manager can do it. So, um, you know, I, I guarantee this is going to be something I'm going to need the manager for. Can you just get them? Well, let, let's try it first. I said, no, can you please just give me the manager? Like, it was so hard. So she finally got the manager. Anyway, the manager was very nice and he seemed very competent. But um, he believed that you do have to pay tax if you pay with rewards credits. You can pay for the tax with the rewards credits, but he believed that it was taxable and that I had I would have to cover the tax with the rewards credits. He did concede that he wasn't sure, which is a sign, by the way, of a good employee. You may think that's bad. It actually is good that if he doesn't know something, he doesn't just pretend he knows and then stick to it, which a lot of them do. He actually said, this is what I believe to be the case, but I'm not 100% sure. So if he like, you know, I can try to check on this for you. So he said, yes. So he called his boss and his boss told him, yes, tax is required. So he says, okay, my boss is pretty sure. So, um, 
you know, uh, you know, you're going to have to pay that. So I said, okay, look, I've got to go right now. I don't have time to further argue this. So how about I just pay the rewards credits now, you know, to for the tax, with the agreement that if we look into this later and I find out that I'm right, that you guys will agree to refund them. He said, okay, that's fine. So I did. So I was busy that weekend. Later that week when I got home and I had a little time, I decided to look into this further. Now, he had promised me that they were going to give a message to accounting, and accounting was going to call me on Monday, but Monday was the June 11th. But, of course, they didn't call me. I knew they wouldn't. So, like, on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, they, I, call, I called them, and I tried to reach accounting, and there was no way. Like, they just said, the accounting doesn't take calls. We don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, who should I talk to about this? They said, well... Since it's about, um, or sorry, sorry, they, they gave me a phone number for accounting, but the accounting was actually more like just almost like a bill collections thing. And those people, did, you know, they told me that they don't handle this here. And they told me to speak, and they said the actual accountants won't speak to guests. So they said, you need to speak to legal about this. I go, legal? And so I pictured I was going to be transferred to some kind of lawyer who is, you know, lawyers never like being told by non-lawyers that they're incorrect about the law. So even if the non-lawyer is correct and the lawyer is incorrect, the lawyer will never admit this. Like lawyers have like a certain pride where they feel they always know more about the law than someone who is not a lawyer. And even if you turn out to be correct, they never want to admit it because it's, it's like uh, it, it makes them feel incompetent that someone who isn't a lawyer would have known more than they did about something. So I knew that there's no way a lawyer I get transferred to is going to say, oh, you know what? We've been doing it this way all this time, but uh, guess what? You were right. We've been incorrectly taxing people, so uh, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Thanks for showing that uh, that we were wrong and we didn't know what we were doing, and, and you do. So I knew there was no way they were going to agree with me. But with nobody else to talk to, I said, okay, fine. Give it a shot. So they transfer me. I get someone's voicemail. Hang up, call back, transfer me again. I get somebody else this time who says, oh, no, you need guest services for that. Transmit guest services. Hang up, call back. I ask again. Finally, that person says, look, you know, um, this this isn't going to get anywhere. I'm afraid, you know, this determination's already been made. There's no one you can speak to about this. There's no one we can transfer. Legal does not take calls like this. Uh, legal only deals with actual, you know, lawsuits and things like that. They don't, you know, they don't just take questions about whether something on property is legal or not. If you want, you can email such and such, and maybe they'll answer you. And I'm like, okay, this is bullshit. Forget this. So I decided to go right back where I started from. VIP at the Rio. Yeah, they had been nice. They, they had been looking for the truth, it seemed like. They weren't just looking to tell me no. They, were, they, they didn't agree with me, but they were at least open-minded to uh, perhaps being wrong about the whole thing. So I called back and I got that same original manager that I dealt with. So I told him this accounting never called me back and that I was told that this isn't even who I should be speaking to. Um, or sorry, I, I, I skipped one thing. I skipped one important thing. I decided the only way I'm going to solve this is if I solve this myself. So I went and did my own research. And I found in Clark County's codes... Clark County being the county where Las Vegas is located, I found in uh, in Clark County codes that uh, I was right. 
So this is what I found. I found two interesting things. I found that, number one, in February 2012, there was a big controversy over the taxation of meals involving comps. Because uh, in two ways. First of all, comp meals that were given to guests. And second, comp meals that were given to employees. And what the, what the uh, what Nevada was unhappy about was that Nevada found that this was kind of a way to avoid paying income tax because the, what Nevada was arguing is comp meals were something given to the customer in exchange for gambling. So the gam- you know, they're basically saying it was part of commerce, so therefore it needs to be taxed because the only reason the, the guest was getting the comp meal was because they essentially bought something, bought meaning they're playing uh, casino games at negative odds. So they had to play these games at negative odds and give business in order to get these comp meals. So in a way, the comp meal was sold to them, which I can understand. That's a reasonable argument. So therefore, they felt the casinos owed them tax. A second part of it was about the free meals being given to employees that this way they can get around payroll tax by doing this, by paying the workers a little bit less and giving them free meals. So they said they don't like that either. That's considered a benefit of employment. It should be taxed. So there was a, a big disagreement between certain casinos and, and, and Nevada, and it, eventually they came to some kind of settlement, and I won't go into all that. But noticeably absent from that whole discussion in February 2012 was anything involving rooms, that the state of Nevada was only concerned about meals for some reason, not rooms. So I found Clark County Code 4.0805.050. It says no combined transient lodging tax, which is room tax, by the way. It it doesn't mean it's just transients living here. It's a transient lodging tax is a way of saying room tax. No combined transient lodging tax shall shall be imposed under the provisions of this chapter upon. So what they're saying in legalese is... Here are the circumstances you cannot charge room tax. And it listed six of them. The fifth one was complimentary rooms wherein there is no rent paid to the operator in conjunction with the occupancy. Well, okay. That's me. If I pay in rewards credits, which are internal points, I am not paying any rent to them. I'm paying nothing. I'm paying with their own points. which means I'm paying them nothing. Therefore, they can't collect tax by law. By Clark County Code 4.08.050, it is illegal to collect room tax from me if I don't pay for the room. Right there, black and white. So I sent a copy of this. I called up the guy in VIP. He was very nice. You know, he was very cooperative. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to fight with me or argue with me. He was fully willing to... Uh, and, and so what he told me is that even though... Accounting never called me. He said that they've been going to work, at, uh, that his boss actually referred it to her boss. So they went two levels up above him to research this, but the, you know, he hasn't heard back. So I said, okay, um, can you please, I'm going to email you this uh, Clark County code. I'm going to email you a link to it. Can you please forward that to your boss to give to their, her boss? And I think this should clear everything up. So he says, okay, I'll do that. So I emailed it to him. He emailed it to his boss's boss. Got back a call later that day. 
Yes. Mr. Rotellis, you were correct. We should not be charging tax. I had assumed they were charging tax in error. They weren't trying to cheat anyone. I had assumed this was happening because when you book the reservation initially, you have to book it normally. You can't book it as a reward credit reservation. You have to book it normally as if it's you're going to pay for it and then change it at the last minute. There's no other way it lets you do it. So it's exp- the computer's expecting tax at that point, and then, and then when you change it at the last minute to rewards credits, the computer isn't smart enough to say, oh, these are rewards credits, there shouldn't be taxed. That was my theory, and he said, yes, I was also correct about my theory that the system is just not programmed to handle that situation, but that it should be. So he said, yes, we should be manually fixing these things, and yes, you were 100% correct the whole time. So they refunded the $22, and also they've agreed in future stays, including the one at the other Caesars property where I am now, and including the main event stay I'm going to have at the Rio, that they are not going to charge me tax. So if they try to charge you tax, at least in Nevada, this won't apply to other states, but um, at least, actually, this is Clark County, at least. I don't even know outside Las Vegas. But anywhere, any of the Vegas Caesars properties, or, or any Vegas property at all, if you get a comp room in any way, whether you... Just get it outright comped, or whether you pay with internal points like rewards credits or anything else like that, they cannot tax you. They can't even tax your rewards credits. They can't take your rewards credits out for tax. If they try, tell them about Clark County Code 4.08.050. Go read it for yourself. You can Google it. So, once again, I was right in a situation like these. I'm not always right, but these type of things, I'm usually right. Next uh, hotel story. This is definitely the hotel episode, isn't it? At the same property, I, I went down late at night, right after cashing that thirty uh, third and that no limit event. Here, let's take, a, let's take let's take a call from Matt the Rat here. Matt the Rat, hello. Hello, hello. So. Uh, uh, are you calling to talk about anything, or just just to call? Um, <clears throat> no, I was just going to give you my quick feedback at the, from the Rio. Yeah. Um, those uh, cell phone case guys. Yeah. It was real. I I probably passed them a total of maybe I don't know twenty times, and the first couple times I purposely looked them right in the eye, and I don't know if I scared them off, but nobody said nothing, <laughs> and uh, they were not aggressive at all. Other times, I think. Like when I kind of walked real close to their booth, they, you know, they said, Oh, are you interested in, you know, a case or a charger or whatever? Um, but they were not aggressive at all the whole time I was there. Yeah, it looks like they, they really did. Well, I think they got a stern warning from the World Series that they're about to get their contract terminated. So I think that's why they, because the, the World Series basically has a clause that if these places are caught misbehaving, that the World Series can kick them out. So, yeah, I, and it wasn't, it wasn't even like, like even close to aggressive, it was it was actually really passive. That's what uh, I noticed too. I I, I kind of did the same thing as you, and I noticed that no nobody even tried to talk to me after after Joey made the big deal about it. Yeah, I, th- I think that that was uh, that was it. Um, and also, congrats on you had a semi deep run there. That, what was it, thirty eighth or something? Thirty no, third out of out of thirteen thirty. Yeah, that's uh, that's getting pretty close. Mm-hmm. 
it was close enough to where I felt it, and it was a little bit of a sting to go out there. It was a little sting to just know I got that close and didn't make the final table. So it wasn't like making twelfth, but you know, it was. Uh, it's, it's also not like making a hundredth. Like I, 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 there's four tables left. Yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was a uh, was nine handed, I guess, at that point. Yeah, uh, Eric Baldwin, by the way, uh, the prolific uh, online tournament player, he ended up winning it, and mm-hmm. I actually played with him briefly, maybe about an hour, and mm-hmm. he he was pretty quiet. And he, I wondered if he knew who I was. He did because he didn't like the fact that one of my stack, one of my stacks of thousands was behind the stacks of hundreds, which, you know, technically you're not supposed to do, but it's just, I just, uh, I think I just sat down at the table and I just hadn't rearranged it yet. So he actually called me by name and said, Oh, Todd, can you, can you move that stack of thousands to the front? And I'm like, okay. So I, I moved it and, uh, that, that was it. But, uh, but he, he know, apparently knows who I am. I, I, I've never talked to him before though, but he ended up being the winner. Yeah, and also a, a big shout out to Traderski for uh, he supplied me with an excellent. Uh, we had a huge dinner. Uh, it was funny. He got in, and uh, I met him at the at his where he was staying. And just as I got there, I was like, "Okay, I'm here now." And he's like, "I just hit a fucking jackpot." And he actually hit two kind of medium jackpots. Oh yeah, he showed that to me. Yeah, he showed me the videos. Yeah, he he. It was in video poker at the very end of his little session. He hit two things. Yeah. Yeah, I was just on the way to meet him. He's like, I just, I said, where are you? Because I just hit a fucking jackpot. It was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just real quick, I just, I, I don't want to go over a, a boring uh, poker hand, but I, I'm going to. Um, I, I, I was in that that marathon, which I would advise anybody if they can play that, if they like uh, long blinds with a lot of uh, chips. I, I even though I, I only made it to the end of day one, I, I thought that was a pretty good tournament. I don't know if you've ever played. Yeah, it. Yeah, I played it when it was called the extended play, and I cashed the first year it was, and I think I played it one more time and didn't cash, but it just hadn't fit in my schedule well. Yeah, I I had a, a hand about the I think it was about the third level. Uh, I think I was under the gun plus one. Uh, one guy limped, and I had aces with the ace of diamonds. I raised. And kind of a loosey goosey guy that was a good player, but was calling a lot on the button. He called, um, so I'm like, okay. The flop was queen queen ten with two diamonds. Wait, what okay. did you, you, had, you had aces, the ace of diamonds. Yes. Okay. And he he was calling a lot on the button with a lot of people. Well, yeah. and so anyway, he um, the flop was queen queen ten with two diamonds. So I I fired. And he called. I'm like, oh, goddamn, he's got king-queen or something, right? Yeah. Okay, the, the turn is a nine of diamonds. Okay, so I'm like, check, check. The frickin' next card is the ten of diamonds. So, so I check, he bets 10,000. So now, so there's a, there's a nine, ten, jack, queen of diamonds on the board. And there's also two queens. Was it Jack two? I thought I thought it was two queens, two tens. I'm sorry. It was. I'm sorry. It was queen, queen, Jack on the on the flop, two diamonds. Then uh, I bet he called. Then it was a nine of diamonds. Oh, okay. Then ten. And okay. then it went. And then it went check, check. And then it was a ten. I checked, and he fired out ten thousand into a pot of I. I don't know. It was roughly about maybe about eighty five hundred at that point. Yeah. I, I, I unfortunately, I'd probably let it go. I, I did let it go. It it just pissed me off because he was one of these like guys that he had actually showed a pretty big bluff before, like about a one round before. But I was thinking, 
he has to have the king of diamonds because I could have had aces with the ace of diamonds or ace king with the you know suited right. I just couldn't think of any other hand that he had. And well, uh, you could have had an eight. What? I don't. Why would he bet the eight there? I could have had ace king of diamonds. Well, if he check raised him big or something, it may, it, it may have been something like where he's hoping that you just you know just had something you're gonna call with like aces or. They, Unless he put me on aces with the ace of diamonds, I I don't think he I I just put him on king queen it was like because he has three queens I don't know it just threw me off my game for like two levels because it was such a strange hand. Yeah, those are those are always tough, and it's one of these things where if you call and you're right, you feel like a genius, and if you call and you're wrong, you go, "Why did I just waste ten thousand on this?" Like you just uh, I, I would I would have been decimated down yeah, to nothing. That's now. what I'm anyway, saying. That like, was a really really strange hand yeah. that 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 uh, killed me that that river card. So, anyway, that was uh, it, and I hope you. Uh, I'm I'm heading to bed here, but uh, have a. You're there till the till the end there, the main event. Well, no, I'm going to come back for the main event. So I'm I'm here for about another uh, probably five days. So oh, oh, five okay. six days. Okay, we'll have a good one. All right, thank you. Talk to you okay. later, Matt. Bye. So, uh, this one's uh, not really about any fail, but uh, I went down to get pizza. Just kind of felt like it. So I went down. I didn't feel like driving anywhere. I didn't feel like even walking anywhere significant. I just said, yeah, I'm just going to go down and take a look what's there. And there's pizza. So I said, okay, I'll have pizza. It's not, probably not going to be the best pizza, but as long as it's passable pizza, fine. And I look up at the price, and it's $26 for a whole pizza. And this is a very large pizza, though. I don't know how many inches, but very large. $26 for a large pizza. Or for a whole pizza. Or $7 per slice, and there are six slices in that pizza. So you can buy a sixth of the pizza for $7, the whole thing for 26 Well, if you do basic arithmetic there, you'll see that that's a very di- wide difference in price between per slice and for the whole pizza. If you were to buy all six slices at that price, the pizza would be $42. So you're basically, each slice you're paying for is if the whole pizza is $42, which is insane. I've never even heard of a $42 pizza. So I was very unhappy having to pay $7 for these slices. I've seen before where there's like pieces pizzas that are cut into four giant slices and they charge $7, but a, a six slice pizza, even a big pizza, where each slice is seven bucks, especially when there's nothing special about the pizza, even if it's in the casino, it's pissing me off. It's also pissing me off because they'd sell me the whole damn pizza for 26 so I was thinking to myself, okay, logically, how many slices do I want? Like, if I could just pick the number of slices, let's say the slices were reasonably priced, how many would I buy? And I thought, okay, I'd buy three. Okay. If I were to buy the entire pizza, could I eat anywhere near the whole pizza? No. Probably the most I could get to is four, and probably the fourth would be kind of uncomfortable. I probably wouldn't want it anyway. So I probably would only want half the pizza. The problem is, if I buy it by the slice, I'm paying 21 bucks. When the whole pizza is twenty six bucks, I'm getting half for twenty one bucks. It's a horrible value, and the Jew in me would not let that happen. So I was just about to give up and walk away. I, I just couldn't rectify this in my mind, even though I'd be buying it with rewards credits. You know, as I said, they still have value. So I was about to just walk away and get something else. And then I saw some people in line get behind me. There was no one in line when I first walked up, but. Some people got behind me, and they were kind of talking to each other about what they wanted, and they weren't sure what they wanted to do, and they. I kind of just got the vibe from them that they 
might also not be very happy with the price. They didn't seem to say that out loud, but it just, I was just noticing some hesitation. So I asked them, are you, you know, are you looking to get pizza? Do you like pepperoni pizza? They said, well, yes. I said, here, I want to have three slices, but I don't like the price for three slices. It'll be almost the same price as the whole pizza. So how about I just buy the whole pizza for $26 and we split it and you give me 13 So they talked about it with each other for a second. They go, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, three slices seems like what we need. Yeah, thirteen dollars. We just give you thirteen. We give three. Yeah, three slices. I said yes. They said okay, let's do it. So they had they put thirteen down on the, on the on the desk there for the cashier to take. And I said no no no. Here I'll just pay for the whole thing. I'll just I'll just take your thirteen. And I'll pay for the whole thing. They said okay, that's fine. So I took the thirteen, pocketed it, paid the twenty six dollars of my rewards credits. And the pizza place even split it up. They they knew exactly what we were doing. They actually split it for us in two different boxes. And the people actually thanked me. They were very happy. They said, "Oh, thank you very much." And I said, "No, actually, thank you too. We were both helping each other. The only people who the only ones not benefiting from this is uh, Caesars, and they, you know, Caesars properties they can afford this. So uh, I got my three slices for thirteen dollars. They got their slices, three slices for thirteen dollars. And the best thing was, I didn't even have to pay cash. I pay, I paid in rewards credits, and I got back thirteen dollars cash. And we all got a good deal. And paying instead of seven dollars per slice, we each paid uh, four thirty-three per slice. Much much better, huh? The spirit of cooperation. I was so proud of myself. I went back to the room. I started eating the pizza. And I thought to myself. I'm actually more proud of this than the, than the 33rd place finish I just got. The sad thing, I wasn't joking. All right. Moving along here. I want to talk about one other hotel thing. You're probably sick of hotel stories, but one more. I promise this is the last one. As you know, Caesars and MGM properties charge for parking. But if you have any of their rewards cards, except for the bottom tier, if you have anything other than bottom tier, then you get parking for free. So that means platinum or higher at Caesars properties or pearl or higher at MGM properties. Well, as you know, at Caesars, I have seven stars, so that's not a problem. But uh, MGM, I don't really play there. So I had the bottom tier card. However, I found out that if you get the credit card associated with MGM M-Life, you're automatically upgraded to Pearl. Similarly, the total rewards credit card you can get and get upgraded to Platinum. So I suggest you guys do this if you go to Vegas and need that parking for free. Because there's no fees on either of these cards. So I'm an MGM Pearl. And... When uh, when I go in, you know, I have to put in my card and it opens up the gate for me. I don't ever take a ticket. You're not supposed to take a ticket. And then when you go out, sometimes it can see your license plate. Sometimes it can't. So if it can't, you're supposed to put the card back in to get out. So one of the times I just forgot to bring my card. And in fact, I was staying at uh, a hotel right next door to Aria. I was just parking at Aria. So my card was way back in the room in the hotel next door, so that uh, would have been a pain in the ass to go back and get it. Yeah, I could walk into the Ari and have them print me a new one, but that's a pain in the ass too. So 
Anyway, I got up to the front and I noticed they didn't have my card. So I told the there was actually an attendant helping out there. So I figured the attendant would probably, you know, check my ID, then call down to someone at MGM or, or someone at Aria. They'd look up if I really am a pearl and let me out. That that would be the common sense way of handling it, right? They have an attendant there who should be able to look this up or call someone to look this up and then let me out if I forgot my card. No, they, they don't have that ability. Why? Because it's a separate parking company. It's a, they, they contract this out to a separate company that has no access to any Caesars records. Or Caesar, not MG, I mean MGM records. Don't want to blame Caesars for this one. It was MGM's fault. So the parking attendant was very obnoxious with me and just kept telling me, he says to me, I can't hack into that system. What the hell does that even mean, I can't hack into that system? He means we can't access this system. So I said, well, okay, well, what do I do then? He says, well, it's $30 for a lost ticket. I said, that's insane. I, I'm supposed to get free parking here. He says, I'm sorry, it's $30 to get out. I said, I'm not paying that. He says, okay, hang on a second. Uh, I'm going to put you down as a no pay. I go, no, I'm not refusing. It's not a no pay. I, I, I shouldn't have to pay here. And if you, you can verify that I have a Pearl card, then you can do it. He says, um, I can't do that. So I said, well, can, can you call someone on this intercom here and, uh, and let me talk to them? Call a manager? He says, okay. So he calls the manager. He doesn't let me speak at first. He immediately starts speaking. He says, oh, yeah, this guy's refusing to pay. I said, no, I'm not refusing to pay. Hold on. He says, no, no, we have a no pay here. He owes $30. He won't pay. And so he says, uh, sir, can you give me your full name? I go, no, I'm not even, I'm not giving you anything. I'm not refusing to pay. And I explained to him what was going on. He says, that's not our problem. If you don't have your card, you owe $30. Uh, you need to pay that to get out. Um, I said, you know what? Forget this whole thing. I want to back out, and, and, and I will go back and get a card. Then I looked back. Now there were cars behind me, blocking me. So I said, uh, never mind. I can't back out. I'm stuck here now. There's people behind me. There's no way for me to get out of this. I go, here, how about you guys let me out and let me just do a U-turn and come right back in, and um, and then I'll go get the card. Nope, we're not opening this at all. I guess they were afraid I was going to take off. <laughs> we're not opening this at all for you until you pay $30. And I said, no, I'm not paying $30, okay? Then give us your name. I said, I'm not giving you my name. So they, he instructed the attendant there to go to behind my car and get the license plate, which there was no way for me to prevent. So, you know, I guess I could have jumped out and blocked it, but I wasn't going to do that. So um, the, one, the guy went and got my license plate, gave it to the guy over the intercom. And I said, okay, why are you taking this down? He says, we're taking this down so this can never, ever, ever happen again. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, we're taking down the information to document what happened, that you refused to pay. I go, but that's not what happened. You're documenting something false. He says, again, if you don't have your card, you, you owe $30. So you are refusing to pay. We're putting you down as refused to pay, and, and uh, we're sending it to MGM. Well, that scared me at this point, because even though they still didn't have my name, uh, I didn't want my car blacklisted in some way where if my car was spotted at an MGM property, it would be towed or something because I was a refuse to pay in the past. 
I also didn't want them doing research as to who I was, uh, you know, for the license plate or who knows how what they're going to do, and uh, maybe ban me from all MGM properties. Who knows? I had no idea what they're going to do about this. It sounded to me like you know, because you may think this is ridiculous, just driving out, you know, someone who who can't pay when they're getting out or refusing to pay, that would be banned. But this could easily happen because there's a very serious violation in many states called defrauding an innkeeper, and it goes way back to the 1800s. That's why it's called an innkeeper. And it was considered a pretty serious violation where if you basically if you stay at a hotel room and then you check out and you say, F you, I'm not paying, uh, it becomes a, a serious crime. Not like a felony, but you know, it's, it's a, it becomes something they take pretty seriously. Called defrauding an innkeeper. So I was afraid this might fall under the umbrella of defrauding an innkeeper in Nevada. Who knows? I, 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 I don't know enough about the law on this in Nevada, to be sure. So I was not going to have them down, putting this down and sending this to, to MGM when this wasn't true. I, I was entitled to park there for free just because they didn't have the card at the moment. doesn't mean I should be considered refused to pay. And they were going to put refused to pay because he has his car. He forgot his card, but normally he's entitled to. They're just sending it in, refused to pay. So I'm still having this big argument with them that I don't want them sending it in. We had a big, you know, he wasn't backing down. Then while we're having this argument, I notice there's no cars behind me anymore. It must have taken too long. They must have backed up themselves and gone to a different lane. So I said, hold on, hold on. I can back up and get out now. So how about I just back up, go get a, a duplicate card made at Aria, and I'll come back. But I want you to not send this in. He says, Okay. But by this point, I'd been arguing with the guy so much, and he was such a dick to me. I had a feeling he was going to send it in anyway just to fuck with me because you know he was really unhappy that I wasn't agreeing with him. So uh, I said, "How do I know you're not going to do that? Can I check that tomorrow?" He says, "Yeah, you can call. T- you can call tomorrow. You'll just get me again, though." <laughs> so I got the phone number anyway. I figured he can't be there constantly. Went down to Aria. You know, they parked my car. Went back into Aria. Went to the 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 M Life desk had them print a duplicate card. Came back out, and uh, then uh, I left. So I still wasn't sure, but I, I called the following week and got somebody else at the number that manages the parking uh, lot there. And somebody else looked it up and said that uh, they do see the documentation of when I entered and exited, but they don't see anything about refuse to pay, and that uh, you know there's nothing negative in the profile they have of me there. And I believe them, so fine. The guy actually didn't uh, send it in, and everything was okay. But what not this bullshit? I mean, for, first of all, to not have a way, a contingency, when somebody forgets their card, that it's either pay $30 or, 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 or get marked down as refused to pay, is a joke. Um... I think it should be one of a few things. Either, one, there should be a warning that maybe they take down your license plate but tell you we're doing this on a one-time warning basis so next time you forget your card, you're going to have to pay $30 so don't let this happen again. Or even someone without a card, someone who just forgets to... Uh, you know, They may have had to make an agreement with the city that the first time everybody gets out free before they can do anything about it because people may not be aware. But... Um, there's, there should be some sort of like one-time grace period when this sort of thing happens, 
where they can take the info down, but they, they acknowledge they're not doing anything for the first time. It should be something like that. Uh, better if they could just look at your ID and then call up uh, MLife in some way and verify it. Or be given access to the database of people in MLife to where they could uh, see this. I mean, wh- why not? Why shouldn't they have access to the database of people who are authorized to park for free there? Even if they can't see anything else, just to have that information there. And then they could just type in Todd Wittellis and my birth date and, and, and see you know when it, it comes up. Yes, he can park for free. No, he can't. And if the answer is yes, then let me out for free. If the answer is no, then say, sorry, you're wrong. It's not rocket science. So that was really a lot of bullshit. It cost me like 25 minutes, too. But fuck them. I wasn't going to give them a penny. Okay, I lied. That wasn't the final hotel topic. But this one isn't about a fail involving me. This is about uh, a fail that just kind of occurred. Uh, The Mandalay Bay recently had a pretty bad flood. Uh, They had a water main break. And the flood was actually in the hotel. Oops. Trying to read this article and start to play a video. I hate that. So, water was observed leaking on uh, June 19th on the Mandalay Bay at 4.30 between the first and second floor of the convention center. So the leak was leaking down to the first floor. Later, they at first there was some concern since it was by that uh, shark reef that maybe the shark reef was le- leaking, but that wasn't the case. It turned out a water main was broken in the loading dock area. The first floor of the convention area started to fill with water. When I say fill, I don't mean floor to ceiling, but it was there's a lot of water on the ground, like like several inches of water on the ground indoors. Uh, they actually took a thousand people who were on the second floor of the convention center and moved them to other areas of the hotel. They said it was only a precautionary measure. But uh, the Mandalay Bay tweeted on June 19th at 5.52 p.m., a water leak in Mandalay Bay has affected a portion of the South Convention Center. Crews are working to clean up the leak as soon as possible. There are no injuries or major disruptions to operations. So, there are videos of this, of just massive floods within the convention center. And uh, they did claim, though, that they're going to be proceeding with normal events and operations in the convention center starting on Wednesday, uh, June 20th. So the next day, they claimed they were ready. They also, it was also said there were no reports of structural damage to the building, according to the Clark County Fire Department, and that electrical power was also secured and there was not a problem with that. So even though there is uh, a lot of uh, videos that have gone around the internet, including one of water rushing down the escalator and the fire alarm going off, that they claim there wasn't a big deal. However, this couldn't be very good publicity for them. First, 
one of the guests kills 50, 58 people from his hotel room. And then uh, less than a year later, they have a flood. The Mandalay Bay just can't catch a break. By the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Mandalay Bay was the inspiration for the the show uh, Las Vegas that they aired in the 2000s on NBC. Remember that one with uh, James Caan? That was in a fictional hotel. I forgot the name of the fictional hotel, but it was uh, it was located where the Mandalay Bay was. The and uh, they even made reference to it being associated with the Mandalay Bay. But it wasn't supposed to be the Mandalay Bay. It was supposed to be like the Mandalay Bay. So let's see what else we got here. I don't know. I, I, I might feel nervous staying in the Mandalay Bay at this point. It just seems like it's cursed. Poker Stars has done a surprisingly bad job recently with vetting screen names. This was a pretty shocking thing to see. You'd think after Poker Stars has been in operation for 16 years that they would have some very standard ways when you register to block out any uh, offensive screen name. So like if I tried to be uh, fuck my ass 7776, you would think you would see those words in there and, and automatically say that's not an appropriate screen name, please choose another. Like it wouldn't even need human intervention. You would think that other than creative ways around it where people are using alternate characters to represent something, like using a 3 to represent the E or... I mean, they, they should be looking for that, too. But if someone uses a really creative way to get around an automated word sensor, that's one thing. But Adam Schwartz, Poker Fraud Alert radio listener and host of the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast, was shocked when he opened up PokerStars and saw what I believe was in a tournament. A member of PokerStars playing at the table named Nigger0415. Ugh. How did they let that name through? Nigger 0415. How, how does that get through? How could that word not be blocked from Poker Stars? And yet, it's, it's spelled exactly as you'd think it would be spelled. Now, I wonder if that means there's, there's 414 other ones there, if this is 0415. <laughs> That's the other question. <laughs> why why oh four one five? Why couldn't it just be the word itself? Maybe there really are four hundred fourteen other ones. So isn't that amazing that PokerStars didn't automatically censor that? Sixteen years after it was created? That's really odd. How could this have never come up? How how could in all its years of operations with its its I think hundreds of millions of users they've had. How, how could they not have uh, ever had this come up where someone used 
a racial slur as their screen name? How could they not know by now to censor that word? <laughs> this person looked like they didn't even try hard. They just typed it in and put a few numbers. What a fail. You can see this on Adam Schwartz's Twitter. You can also look at, uh, I think his Twitter's PokerCast Adam. You can also look at the Flying Stupidity Forum. Look for Poker Stars Not Doing the Best Job Vetting Screen Names These Days thread on Poker Fraud Alert. Not much to say about this. Just I, I don't know how the guy did it. I don't know how Poker Stars allowed this. Very weird. A controversy ensued when a boyfriend and girlfriend made the same final table and, in fact, made the final three. There was fear of collusion and soft play, and then a hand played out, which really seemed to give some ammo to anyone who might be accusing them of this. So Alex Foxen, who's done very well recently... And his girlfriend, uh, Kristen Bicknell, have been together a while. I don't know how long, but it's not a new relationship. And they both played the $5,000 entry MSPT event at the Venetian. They got down to the final three. The other person was Australian pro Kale Burns. Kale spelled K-A-H-L-E. I think that's how you say his name. Now, they recognized the bad optics of this situation and realized that uh, it probably wasn't the best idea for a three-handed match to take place, especially since the two of them had the most chips and Burns was third in chips, that uh, probably would look better if they just did a three-way chop at this point. So they did offer a three-way chop to Burns, and Burns said, no, I don't want to chop. I don't know what terms are being offered. I don't know if the terms are fair to Burns, but all I know is that a chop was offered multiple times and Burns said no. So they played it out, but there was one particular hand, while it was still three-handed, that was suspicious and that got a lot of people talking. Now keep in mind it was three-handed and Alex Foxen had pocket jacks on the button. Burns was in the small blind. And Kristen Bicknell had pocket aces in the big blind. So pretty much a cooler there because uh, aces against jacks three-handed doesn't happen very often. The blinds were uh, 25,000, 50,000, 25,000. So it's a big blind anti-event. So 25,000, 50,000, 25,000. So there's already a... Um, 100k in the pot before it even starts. And Foxen uh, Foxen opened to 115k, so a little bit more than the minimum. Uh, Burns folded. It went back to his girlfriend Bicknell, who had pocket aces, of course, and she 3-bet to 400k, and Foxen called. So far, pretty standard. However, the flop was Jack 5-4, Rainbow. 
That's a pretty good flop for aces. You think you think aces are pretty safe with a jack five four on a, on a big blind against a big blind. However, the big blind did three bet you. And sorry, the big blind three bet, but for for her aces it was safe, and and for his jacks, of course, he's very, you know should be very happy his top set the nuts. But for the aces, they shouldn't be fearing much with jack five four against the button raise. I mean, yeah, you could have done a jack five suited, jack four suited, five four, but you know for the most part, you're pretty happy with that flop with aces. It's not like a queen ten nine or something, which can be scary. So, yes, Foxen had flopped top set against aces, but uh, yeah, Bicknell shouldn't have suspected that. So Bicknell bet two hundred k on the flop, and Foxen called. And now this is already a little suspicious because he might it was three bet to four hundred thousand, and there was already 100k in uh, in the pot before it started. So there's already that, that's uh, 850k in the pot before the flop comes down, and Bicknell's only betting 200k there. But have, some people have pointed out maybe that's just a small bet to number one keep the opponent calling down, and, and, and number two uh, keeping the pot under control. So if you did get out flopped, you don't commit yourself. And that's that's one of the more advanced strategies people have been using these days, where just because the pot's big doesn't mean you have to uh, bet in relation to the pot. In fact, that's kind of a limit hold'em concept, if you think about it. Where limit hold'em, uh, your bets on the Turner River tend to be small compared to the pot uh, and compared to what goes on at no limit. So that's why you've got to extract as much money uh, pre-flop if you're ahead in limit hold'em and also uh, on the flop you, know, you can't really slow play in limit hold'em because you're not going to get very much reward for doing so and giving away free cards can screw you so this is kind of taking a page out of limit hold'em by you know, when the pot gets big but uh, you don't want it to be big if you've got a hand that's good but not great that you kind of keep the pot under control and don't overbet it you bet big enough to where they're, they're going to fall weak hands but not so big that you commit yourself to a spot you really don't like, so that's a that's what their defenders are saying with the flop bet. Fine, I can I can accept that. The turn brought a king, so now the board is jack four five king. At this point, Bicknell checked, which is kind of weird. So she's only checking. What's that scary about? King Jack five four. I mean, yeah, you can have King Jack, but is it? Do you really check at that point? Do you not want value out of out of hands that uh, Jack ten, Queen Jack, Jack nine, Jack eight? Do you really check? Are you really that scared with aces at this point? So. Now keep in mind, it's only three-handed. It's not like uh, under the gun versus under the gun plus one where you've got to always worry about premium hands against you. Especially, you know, Bicknell is a good chance she has a premium hand because she's three-betting out of the big blind, but uh, the button could have a lot of things. So she checked, and Foxen, who had second set now, bet 375000 Again, kind of a small bet. 
the three seventy five thousand was into a pot of one point twenty five million. Well, the river's a three. There's no flush possible. It does possibly make a straight with six seven or ace deuce, but unlikely he's chasing down ace deuce with that many be- you know, those big of bets out there. So she checked. You say, okay, she may just still be playing cautiously. What if Foxen's been slow playing? What if uh, she doesn't want to have to fold to a raise? So maybe she may just want to check and keep the pot smaller and then just just pretty much check call almost anything. So she checks. Foxen bets. 600K into the pot that is... uh, About two million. He bets six hundred K and she folds. <laughs> Correctly. Correctly folds her aces to a six hundred K bet. Some people were not pleased about this hand. James Opst wrote haven't had a shred of negative energies this summer, but watching Kali Burns get screwed by a team three-handed has gotten me seriously aggravated. Others posted criticism as well. Now, here are their explanations after the fact. Alex Foxen said, as soon as that hand was played, I knew there would be an insane amount of criticism. I understand it was someone... I understand if it was someone I wasn't entirely sure. I'm sure the same was for, goes for Chrissy. If she wasn't entirely sure about the way I thought about this spot, specifically, you can't fold the hand. But when she knows, and I know exactly how the other one is thinking in that spot, it's weird. You put ICM on on top of that, and you have to fold everything but kings on that river. So, what he's trying to say here, if you don't understand that whole explanation, is that uh, they know each other's play so well from all the conversations they've had about poker, that from the way they've discussed the way they, they would play this, and on top of the value of uh, not busting third, he's saying for her, and they're not talking about colluding, they're just saying in general, just you know, say three random players who don't know each other, that there's a lot of value in these spots, just not, not busting at all and, and laddering up to second place money minimum so you have to keep that in mind too when you're playing that between those two things that it was clear to him that she should fold the hand that she did the right thing folding just because knowing his style of play that he wouldn't have been hammering it like this he wouldn't have hammered 600k on the river um, that uh, that you, you pretty much have to fold everything He's claiming he even everything but kings. He's saying so. Even if she had a set, like a set of, uh, of, of fours or fives, that she would have to fold that too. He's basically saying that the, the way he played, and she knows the way he plays, that it was basically giving away that he had jacks, which which is BS. I don't believe that. Now her explanation is a little bit better. She said, "Cowley was really short. Regardless of who it was, two chip leaders don't want to get in a big battle when there's a short stack." On the river, I have aces. Maybe he has ace-king, but I but I block that hand. Well, kind of. You block it with two aces, but it's not like aces and ace I mean, the, the reason you can't say, oh, I blocked that hand is because he called your big raise pre. And 
And um, you bet small on the flop. And uh, and then you check the turn to which he could have tried to run you off. So then, yeah, see, you, he, an ace-king could have easily played itself this way. And on the river, he could have hit. So, yeah, they, you always have to be concerned about ace-king. But she, anyway, she goes on to say uh, that uh, I don't think he's bluffing queens. Pre-flop, I think he has nines, tens, or better. I don't think he bets the turn with those hands. I probably, I thought he probably had aces, ace, king, kings, or jacks. I don't do really well on the river against those hands. I, I, th- I thought he had zero bluffs. So she's trying to say he had the other aces. That's kind of blocked. I mean, you can have it. That's that's pretty rare. But they had aces, ace, king, uh, kings, or jacks. That she loses to the kings and jacks, and that uh, she only beats the ace, king, chops with the aces. So it wasn't worth calling that bet. Well, it's a little bit of a better explanation, and I'll tell you why. Because what I do believe is that two chip leaders against a third guy who's short, both of whom have kind of a fear of finishing third and, and getting far less money, really do want to stay out of each other's way. They, they, they both are probably concerned about needlessly chunking off chips to the other. So... Both of them will feel more comfortable when the third person's out. That's not collusion. That's just uh, people staying out of each other's way for, for strategy reasons for uh, laddering up in the money. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as they don't have a, an agreement beforehand to do that. If they're just like, hey, the big chip, you know, the other person with a lot of chips scares me. I don't want to play a big pot with him. That's totally fine. That's within the strategy of the game. If on break you say to say, one, hey, look, we both have big stacks. Let's just wait for the other guy to bust. Then that's collusion. If you just both independently think that, that you're just afraid of losing to the big stack needlessly and that you don't want to gamble with the big stack until the other guy's out. That's, you know, as long as they're doing the same thing and it was never discussed, then that's fine. So I do believe, and by the way, these two both have good reputations. They're not known to be shady in any way. So I'll say that. So I do believe her part that, yes, they wanted him to bust, and, and yes, he was a short stack, and yes, that two big stacks might play each other softer just out of fear of each other. And that there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem, is that I, I think that... Uh, Two people in a relationship who may or may not have swapped action with each other at some point, especially when they both thought they were getting deep, they're much less likely to play hard against one another until that third guy's out. I don't think either wants to be responsible for forcing the other one out and letting a short stack survive and ladder up to second. Even if the other person ends up ultimately beating that short stack. I think that they they don't want to do that to each other. They don't want to be responsible for the other one, whichever one it is, Foxen or Bicknell, neither one wants to cause the other to make the other big stack finish in third and let the short stack finish second. Because they care about each other. Because they don't want to do that to each other. 
So if it's against some random you don't care about, as long as you're willing to take the chance for yourself, as long as you're willing to gamble yourself, uh, you don't care if 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 you knock out uh, you know random Joe number one who's who's got the other big stack, and then random Joe number two who's got the short stack finishes second. In fact, you're happy in that situation because then you've got a huge stack, and random Joe number two has a tiny stack, and you're, you're probably going to crush him. So in this case, it wasn't random Joe number one; it was his girlfriend. And so, so the two of them, they didn't want it to where one got the huge stack, the other one was out, and then the one with the huge stack would face the, the Australian guy with a small stack, and, and then you know that person would win. Because then still someone finished a third out of that couple. So I believe that neither of them really wanted to go hard on each other until he was out. Not just for the ICM reasons he was talking about. Not not for the reasons of, of uh, just the big stack staying out of each other's way. I think they just both didn't want to do that to each other. I don't really believe this BS, oh, we've discussed how we play, we knew what we had, that's a lot of crap. They've probably had discussions. They've probably had a lot of poker discussions. I don't think that's what this is about. I think this was about they both knew that the other wasn't going to bet into that there wasn't going to be bluffing of each other. There wasn't going to be like betting each other off hands. There wasn't going to be like like bet 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 unless they've really got it. They they may not even have to say it. They may just know that they weren't going to do this to each other. So Bicknell may have sat there thinking, okay, I know Alex cares about me enough that he's not going to run me off my aces with bet, 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 bet like this. He's not going to do that to me. If he's betting strong like this, he's really got it. Any other person I got to call down. Alex is not going to do this to me. He's not, he's not going to just keep firing this much into me just to run me off my hand. Maybe when we're heads up, he will, but uh, not, not not when we got this third guy who's short. He wouldn't do this to me. He's not going to be a jerk to me like that. He cares about me too much to do that. So I can fold. I, I can fold because I know he wouldn't do that to me. Now, let's say I was at that table instead of uh, her boyfriend. I, I don't think she'd play the same way. Even if my play style was identical to Alex Foxen's, but I'm just a different person. I don't think she'd do that. Because she wouldn't think, oh, Todd wouldn't do this to me. She wouldn't think, oh, Todd is not going to bet me off. She'd know that I'm just competing with her. I, I, I wouldn't care if she busts third or second. So there she'd have to determine from just my play style and uh, anything else of whether she believes that I have her beat. But I think here there's that additional belief that he wouldn't do it to her. Um, The side dish wrote this. Good lay down. I think she told the truth on her response. Probably doesn't think her boyfriend is sleazy enough to bluff her off. That's exactly it. When I read him, when I read his post, I was like, yeah, that's it. She doesn't think her boyfriend is sleazy enough to bluff her off. 
She doesn't think that he's going to push her off aces, that he wouldn't do that at this point with his third guy here, who's short. So... I see there's a video here on Twitch. I don't feel like playing it. I could, I could jump to the part where they start discussing the chop. I don't feel like it. I I do believe that they offered the chop. I think they saw what was coming. I don't think when this happened they were... They immediately uh, thought in their minds, oh great, we can collude against this guy. I don't think it's anything like that. I don't think they had an agreement beforehand. But who knows? They could have. When they made the final table, they, they could have discussed that they're not going to run each other off any hands. It could be something as simple of, uh, you know, I'm not going to soft play, but just keep in mind, if I'm betting, I probably have it. If it's against you. Who knows? I'm not going to say who it is, but I, I once had a uh, poker pro approach me who was at my table. And it was a great table. It was a table full of a lot of fish. He approached me during the break, and he told me that uh, he's so thrilled with our table and that uh, we're going to crush it, which we did, by the way. And that, uh, this is a, a tournament we're talking about, that the table's so good that he doesn't even want to play big pots against me. He says, look, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm concentrating on the fish. I don't even want to play you in hands. If we get in hand together, trust me, if, I, if I'm betting, I really have it. And he wasn't trying to screw with me. Like, he was, he was being sincere here. And I, he was... I was a little taken aback he told me this. This wasn't like a friend of mine either. That's what was strange. It's someone I get along okay with, but it's not like a friend. It's not even like a semi-friend. He just kind of mentioned this to me. I think he was just excited the table was so good and was just kind of like telling me maybe he wanted me to say back to him, oh, I'm not going to bet you off. I didn't want to say that. Like, it would be collusion. But, uh, you know, he's just like, Oh yeah, that's, that's so good here. I mean, I want to I want to play on the pots of the fish. I don't want to waste chips against you that uh, you could beat me out of. And you know, so you know, trust me, if I've got it against you, I'm um, I, I'm, I'm betting against you. I really have it. So I was kind of surprised to hear that. So you know, it's very possible they had that. I mean, this is some not a stranger, but just kind of a peer comes up and says this to me. So if that happened, uh, this is a girlfriend and boyfriend. And th- by the way, the person who did this is not known to be shady in any way. This is not like a, um, you know, the Russ Hamilton type coming up to me. I don't even think he even realized what he was doing fully when he said this to me. It was almost like he was he was just uh, externalizing his thoughts to me. I can understand him thinking that, like you know, why play against someone else that uh, at the table who thinks has a clue, why take chances against them and get busted by them potentially when you could just uh, concentrate all your chips on the fish. 
I understand that. I, I was kind of thinking the same thing when we were playing together. Like, okay, I, I, I'm not thrilled to be in pots with him. I'd rather play the fit. I thought the same thing. I wasn't going to say it to him. I didn't even say it back when he said it to me. But, uh, now again, you know, come up with a strategy of how, who, who you're going to concentrate against and who you're going to try to get in pots with. That's fine. So it's not hard to believe those two could have even had that discussion. Like, hey, I'm not going to bluff you off your... You know, if I'm betting, I probably have it. And they may see that as different. They may see collusion as something like signals or or, 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 or squeezing someone off or things like that. But that, I, that was a weird hand. It was not conclusive, but it was a little weird. It makes me suspicious. It really does. Well, something else I'm suspicious of is global poker. I don't think it's quite done yet, but I think it's uh, might be on its way out. A lot of people uh, really like global poker. And one of the things they really loved was the fast and easy deposits and cash outs. The Spartan, who's called in a few times, he's a recreational player. He talked about how much he loved putting in a little bit of money, you know, $25, running it up to 150 cashing it back to his PayPal, and then treating himself to a meal or something and thinking, ha, ah, you know, poker just paid for this. Then, you know, poker pros, you guys can laugh at this, but then, you know, this is how recreational lower limit players think. And, and, and when you can do this online and get the money so instantaneously, you can really feel that. It's one thing to request a check and wait weeks and all that. It's another thing to, you know, you know you put in the 25 today, ran it up today, cashed it out today, and now you're using the money to, to go eat at a nice meal. And you can say, hey, you know, look, the poker I just played, pay for this. So, I always wondered why PayPal even got involved with them here. Unlike the regulated online poker sites, which, by the way, the, the WSOP.com takes PayPal now, oddly. That's actually how I put my money on there. <laughs> That's how I played uh, 08 last night on there. It's just uh, I don't have – the limits aren't big enough for me to just keep reloading if I run bad. So, like, I, I don't want to play like I'm short-stacked. I hate playing cash feeling like I'm short-stacked. So – That's understandable why PayPal would take the business from things like WSOP.com, which are legal and regulated. But Global Poker, I've always maintained their legality is very, very flimsy. They're really dancing around what they really are. In fact, on Facebook, they have all these sponsored ads running now all over the place. If you if you show any interest in poker, which obviously I do on Facebook, you, you start getting these ads all the time. And it's saying things like online poker is back, blah, blah, blah. They're not even pretending anymore to not be an online gambling site. So they can't just change a few ways that that, uh, the site operates and pretend it's not online poker and, you know, gambling online. It it is. It's it's, it's online poker. It's gambling online. It's uh, everything they pretend it's not, it really is. And I don't believe this would ever stand up to any kind of uh, legal challenge. So the most shocking thing was that PayPal was going along with this. PayPal was processing payments for an illegal gambling site. 
And I think it's only because they tricked PayPal into believing it was some you know, BS sweepstakes site. So I figured after enough time, especially after enough people complained, that eventually PayPal would pull the rug out from under them, and that has happened. But what's disturbing to me is that Global Poker wasn't honest about what happened. Instead of just saying, they don't have to give the whole explanation. They, they can just say, PayPal's not supported anymore, sorry. But this is what someone got who posted to the forum here on Poker Fraud Alert. This is an email they got from Global Poker. This is someone who put in a cash-out request on Sunday, June 10th. And then on Monday, June 11th, they got the following answer. Hello, we hope this email finds you well. You are among the first group of customers selected to trial WorldPay the world's leading payment processor whom we are currently trialing, that's a funny word, trialing, a relationship with. In the interest of this trial being successful, from today on, you will only be able to use, uh, you will only be able to make purchases and cash outs using WorldPay. It's just a trial, guys. It's It's not that PayPal's gone. You're just part of an exciting trial for world pay. They're trialing world pay. So in the interest of the trial being successful, you're going to have to use world pay. Nothing to do with PayPal turning us off. It's just because we're trialing world pay. Furthermore, your bank account details are required to process your cash out. Please fill up our bank details. This is really written by someone foreign. Fill up your bank details. <laughs> fill up our bank details form through the following link and attach the two pieces of identification requested above in order to proceed with your request. Congratulations on your winnings and thank you for playing global poker. So the guy asked for a cash out a day later, he gets back this BS about your trialing world pay and we're just doing this uh, so the trial is successful. So why say this? It turned out the truth was that everybody was trialing world pay, that PayPal shut them off and that they've moved to this world pay processor which is probably one of these shady processors that is willing to take them on. So everybody reported that they can't use PayPal anymore. Everybody reported no more PayPal, the option's gone, blah, blah, blah. So it's amazing that they actually tried to pass that off. Why not just be honest? Why not just say... We're no longer offering PayPal. They don't have to say, you know, PayPal figured out we're a gambling site. They, they, they we're not what we claimed we were, and they, t- they took it away. You don't have to say that. Just say, sorry, we, uh, due to circumstances beyond our control, uh, or you don't have to say, uh, so- sorry, we regret to inform you we've severed our relationship with PayPal. Uh, we will be processing your payments with WorldPay, and then they can try to pump up WorldPay about how it's the biggest processor, BS like that, whatever they, they try to say to make it sound good. That's all they had to say. Um, so, so the global reps were told not to say this, but someone did get an answer from someone in support who, I guess, wrote something they weren't supposed to. And this was posted on 2 Plus 2. They wrote to this person, Hi, Andrew. That's the name of the person who had the account at Global Poker. Not the one on our forum, the one on 2 Plus 2. 
We will no longer use PayPal as our payment gateway. While we understand where you're coming from, there are changes that need to be embraced for us to improve our services and serve you better. We strive to provide our customers with the best overall gaming experience. So that was the only evidence they found of anyone finally indicating that you know, at, at Global Poker that they just aren't offering PayPal anymore. I wonder if Facebook's going to remove their advertisements eventually. It is a gambling site, and they're not even trying to pretend they're not on those Facebook advertisements. So then there was some panic for a few days that nobody got, nobody was getting the cash ads from WorldPay, but it turned out that uh, people did get cash outs from world pay which is taking four to five days which which, which makes sense the, the four to five day thing makes sense because these are probably like uh eft transfers and those always take that long so i i think world pay is really going to pay you guys i think the global poker is not going down i think if you have a cash out pending you're going to get it so you don't have to panic just yet but however you do have to wonder if they are going to continue to have activity. People are not going to like this world pay nearly as much as PayPal. I mean, look at players like the Spartan who enjoyed the same day buy in and cash out. Won't happen anymore with world pay. And it's a pain in the ass that's giving your bank details and set all this up. It's a lot easier to just ship in and out from PayPal. There's no setup required. PayPal's all ready to do it. Have to send in bank details. That's going to be a lot harder. So I, this could really screw them. We'll have to see. I mean, the people who are on there right now, they already have money on there. The games will run. But it, I think it's going to start to, it's going to start to die. But we will see. I wouldn't bother starting with global poker at this point. Also, keep in mind they can screw you at any point. So. Beware of that. Even if it's working well now, if you have significant money on there, I would take it off. Or take most of it off. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, is this Todd? It is. It is. I'm just listening to your show about global poker. Go check out their site. You can't even log into it right now. Really? Who is this, this, uh, by the way? Oh, I've never called you before. I listen all the time. My name's Craig. I'm from Spokane, Washington. Okay, well, hello. Nice to, one, nice to talk to you. I'm one of your old old listeners. <laughs> I mean, old in age. Well, how old are you? <laughs> a 68. 68. Well, there's actually some listeners older than you. So that's, uh, oh, yeah. You're one anyway, of the older I ones. I, I never miss one, and I listened every minute of it. But oh, thank anyway, you. Anyway, I thought it was interesting. I've been playing around on global poker and i just went to try and play a tournament you can't even log on oh interesting well, i don't have an account there so i can't even try to log in but uh is, is the yeah, website I mean, down you or you can't, just can't even, log won't in? even bring up the website oh it won't look, let me let me try i'm going to try that right now is yeah, it glo- you'll have better luck but globalpoker.com is that it yeah yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't let me in you're right no but something's <laughs> going on there <laughs> I mean, it, it could be maintenance, but yeah, that, that's not. That's always a bad sign when that's going on. Yeah, you'd think there'd be something that'd say, "Sorry, we're doing maintenance." And... Well, it could be some internet connectivity issues. Uh, well, that's true. So, it, 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 anyway. I even I even tried. There's a site called Down for Everyone or Just Me dot com 
So if you do that slash uh-huh. if you do that if you do down for everyone or just me dot com slash globalpoker dot com, then it will check okay. and and it says it looks down from here. So everybody's showing it down. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I'll let you get back to your show, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. Okay. Well, thanks for alerting me to this. Okay, I appreciate it. appreciate your show. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. So you know, I brought this. I brought a new listener. I don't know. I should have asked him how long he's been listening, but it, it, it brought a uh, a listener who's never called before out of the woodwork. An older listener, sixty eight years old, which uh, I will be. I mean, it's gonna be a while till I'm sixty eight, but uh, not so long. Like uh, you know, I remember nineteen ninety six pretty well. And anyone who is my age right now in 96 is 68. Anyway, I'm just glad to have him as a listener here. And thank you for the call. Let's uh, let's move on here to the next topic here. The Armenian Mike topic. So, Live at the Bike had yet another controversy regarding uh, an angle shot. And this one is more blatant than the last one. This one's pretty bad. And I don't blame Live at the Bike for this. You know, They just have their players on. If the players behave badly, then it's not their fault. But th- this was pretty offensive what this guy did here. I'm going to play this clip here. And this involves... Two uh, players, one named Ryan. It's actually uh, Ryan Fee, I believe. Or, or, or Ryan Feldman, right? It's Ryan Feldman. Not Ryan Fee. And Ryan Feldman. And then um, Armenian Mike, that's what he calls himself, and, and an older Armenian guy. Turn of the 10. So now Garrett picks up a pair. Key has a pair. Ryan's going to bet out with his two pair. Interested in coming along? He says, "If my card comes, you fucked up." So, uh, Mike is known as an action player. Mike is someone they like to have in the game, and and to show you, the board this is on the turn. We're starting here. The board is seven four king ten, with two hearts. Armenian Mike has ace queen of diamonds, so his diamonds don't matter anymore. There's a different flush. There's a backdoor flush draw out there with the two hearts. So anyone that that would call the the turn that would possibly have hearts, he's drawing dead to that. The only thing he's drawing to is possibly the ace, but you know maybe not. Maybe the just the top pair ace is not going to be good. And uh, and and then the nut straight. There's a jack, provided that it's not a third heart. You see, he doesn't know if people have hearts. Though the hearts would be back door, but you can't call a significant bet there. But but uh, anyway, the bets aren't that huge yet. The pot the pot is only nine hundred dollars, and um, the bet is three hundred dollars each, and they all have big stacks. The people involved in this Armenian Mike has a stack of about ten k. Ryan Feldman has a stack of about seventeen k, and the uh, this guy Garrett in the hand has uh, uh, he has like a huge stack, sixty four k. 
So I, I believe that uh, Garrett folds here. Card is coming. Let's see oh. if Jack comes. It doesn't. Feldman yeah, so he so he falls. So it's only Feldman and, and Armenian Mike, and the river is another king. So Ryan Feldman has the second nuts with King Seven full house. He had. Uh, I'm not sure if I told you. Ryan Feldman had King Seven on the flop of King Seven Four. So he flopped two pair. Turn was a ten. River is a king. So now Ra- Feldman has the second nuts. The only thing beating him would be King Ten. Uh, obviously, he's going to pay pay that off because uh, you know that'd be boat over boat. So the pot is only nine hundred dollars. And uh, so I, I'm guessing maybe it, it checked around on the turn. What, whatever. Yeah. So, oh, here it was. It was. It was. Uh, I see the action posted up here. So it was just a limp pre-flop by Armenian Mike. This is a twenty-five fifty game. Then they checked. Checked. There was only a heads up. It wasn't three-handed. It was, they both checked on the flop. And then there was a. Uh, $300 bet on the turn that was called. I don't see how that makes 900 but whatever. The pot was less than uh, $1,000 for sure. And Armenian Mike still has over 10 k behind. Ryan Feldman has more. So Armenian Mike has nothing. He's got ace-high. Fills up on the river. Makes a check. Oh my gosh, wow. and he slides it in. So Armenian, listen to that. Armenian Mike is all in, and Feldman, of course, is called. What in the heck just happened? Wait, what did what is he said? Um, he shoved his chips in and Ryan Armenian calls. Mike moves all in and Feldman makes a snap call. And Armenian tries to take his rack back. He's saying that he doesn't put his chips he's, in? Now he's saying that he's joking and that he doesn't have anything. Uh, to me, that's an all-in in a call. Hold on, listen to what he's saying. He's saying... Let's go mute here. No, um, I didn't. I didn't bet, Mike. I checked. <coughs> yeah, but I'm checking too for, for that bullshit. I say all in. Why did you say Either check? I don't put my hands down. Just, I'm doing this all the time with you. I don't know. You guys can decide what to do. So, so what he was claiming was that he had nothing and that he's just uh, kind of joking around all in, like, like, like. Uh, like, ah, I'm going all in with this bad hand, but that, that he, he really thought they were just checking behind. It's such BS, because uh, he really thought, because of the light action, that, uh, you know, for, I don't know why he's shoving so much into a, <laughs> into a uh, small pot, but that's what he did, and now he's he's regretting it because he got snap called, and I was trying to say it was a joke. It, was, it clearly wasn't a joke. I mean, no, I don't want the, I mean, it's just, I mean, obviously, it's all Mike, why would you say all in if you're kidding? Come on, man, don't do this bullshit. Fuck the chips. But uh, I didn't, you know I'm doing talk with you all the time. I didn't know that. I have the nuts. Four jack. Here's second move. Uh, six, seven. She's back. Who got nuts? He calls. I mean, I he's only kidding, but I mean, what I am I supposed to do? My right? fucking check the camera. This money is here or not? It's, I, I drop it. So, Mike, I don't want to take your money legitimately, but I mean, what do you want me to do? Put your board. I mean, you could have a flush or, or a king. Like, what do you want? See, they're trying to be nice to him because he's the fish in the game. That's why they're, they're trying to talk him into giving it up voluntarily. I don't have no flush or no king. I just tell him the well, joke. You want to show him? My, uh, look at it. No, okay, look at it. I'm doing bullshit with you. I mean, what, why would you do I'm that? I'm doing bullshit to you. You see it. I you want to... Okay. 
I am going to officially go on record here and say that my opinion is that Armenian Mike should be all in. He should definitely lose his $10,000. By the way, I, I want to throw in something, even though for sure that, that Ryan Feldman's right here. Ryan Feldman is a producer of Life of the Bike. I don't know why he's playing this game. There's, there's too much of a conflict of interest. He, sh- he should stay out of this game. It, it didn't affect this hand, but he should stay out of this game. He did the same thing with Jack 3 earlier. He did the same thing multiple times, and everyone folded. Yeah, so they're bringing up a very good point, that this wasn't just a guy who would never do something like this that just thought the hand was over and says all in at the end like a joke. This, Which he still shouldn't do, because people could be confused by it. <laughs> but uh, he did this before. He was just shoving big with nothing and making people fold. And there it wasn't a joke. <laughs> he wouldn't claim it was a joke when they fold. Then the one time he does it into somebody who has the, the second nuts and slaps him, uh, now suddenly it's a joke. So there, it, clearly it wasn't. Clearly he thought he was clever shoving 10K into people that he thought were too scared to call 10K with mediocre hands. He finally runs into a monster, gets snap called, and now he wants his 10K back. Now that he's gotten caught, he definitely needs to lose his money. Do? I said I don't even know what's really going on. Mike, you know I really like you, but for sure, like, I was just going to let it play out, but for sure you have to give him that. For sure you bet. You can't, like, in the middle of a hand bet and then say it's a joke. I wasn't in the hand. I don't want to say anything else. Yeah, but that money is like Okay, uh, just tell me something. I'm doing this kind of joke with you or not? I did not interpret the joke. That's why I called. You, but Mike, what, if, if Art has called you on the other hand when you had Jack 3, would you say it's a joke? It's not a joke at all. You did the same thing to Art and you folded it. Okay. No, I'm just saying. I don't want to take your money, but like... Right, what? You want to take it, take it. I don't want to take money, But you know I'm doing the joke all the time with you. I didn't know it was a joke, Mike. You could have a flush. Listen. This is some of the problem, especially in L.A. You play with a lot of scumbags. You really do. And, and sometimes the biggest scumbags are the fish. And so that's a balancing act with the, how much you want to do to keep the fish happy and not them, not let them screw you. So here it was a matter of 10K and, and, and Ryan Feldman wasn't going to let, let it go, which I don't blame him. Um, I, I've told a story before on this show, not directly related to this, but a, a story of a fish who played at commerce all the time. And that uh, the fish decided he wanted to play a certain person um, heads up for like $100,000 at a different casino where nobody's going to attempt to join the game. There's no such thing as a heads up game live, but you can uh, go to a place where no one's going to be likely to join the game where that doesn't spread very often. And that's what they did. They went to this you know casino off the beaten path in L.A. and, and played heads up live and hold them for... Some high stakes where there is a hundred thousand dollar freeze out, and indeed the the fish lost as you'd expect. So what had happened was the fish was playing on credit, and the fish had a lot of money. Every week he just showed up with a ton of money to commerce. They weren't worried that the fish was good for it, but the fish didn't have the money on him at the time, and you know they were sure they were going to get paid. What what happened was the fish went back to commerce. And mentioned that uh, he had just played and lost a hundred grand in this freeze out. 
at this other casino. And the some of the sleazy people at Commerce, regulars in the game, didn't want the fish to feel like he just lost a hundred grand and, and quit. So they convinced him that he was cheated when he really wasn't. There was no reason to believe it. It was just a heads-up game. How can he be cheated? They convinced him he was being cheated. And they told him not to pay. And he refused to pay, and they ended up having to settle with the fish for like a, a, a paltry sum. as a small percentage of it. Or get nothing. The fish basically said, this is what I'm paying you. I'm paying you this percent because I think you cheated me, and that's it. Take it or leave it. And they actually took it. So... This was uh, that was a little bit different because there you had regulars who convinced the fish that he was cheated just so he would he wouldn't have the frustration of having lost a hundred thousand heads up. So this way they kept him in the game of commerce. This way he didn't quit going to commerce. So this, this type of crap happens a lot in L.A. And so you either have the fish being a scumbag or people who are trying to extract money from the fish being scumbags. And I've seen allowances for the fish, like, like, uh, you know, for example, like if a fish does a string bet. Yes, you could say it's a string bet and, uh, you know, call the floor and demand it's only a call instead of a raise and get a little extra edge in that hand. But you don't do it because you want to keep the fish happy. Where everybody else you call the string bet with the fish, you, you don't say anything. You let him do the string. You tell him, but you say, okay, we'll let it go. Um, I've also seen it before where the, where the fish, you know, mistreats the dealer or something or mistreats another player and then they, they, you know, other regulars talk the floor into, uh, not punishing the fish so they'd stay in the game. That is more understandable, but the problem here is you have this guy, the scumbag Armenian Mike, who thinks he's so clever shoving huge into poker pros who have mediocre hands, who don't have the balls to call 7K with something just mediocre and, they're just all sitting here waiting. They're all just waiting until he does this into a really strong hand. He finally does it into a really strong hand, and now he doesn't want to pay. But then everybody has, has to treat him gently. They can't say, hey, you scumbag, you kept pulling this on us. We finally snapped you off and got you. Now you don't want to pay. Screw you. Um, hey, Mike, you know, we really like you, but he's kind of right here. So this is this obnoxious balancing act you got to do. But, you know, when it's someone who just gives money away, you, you kind of you have to put up with it. The only thing I wonder here is if Mike really believes his own BS. It's possible he convinced himself that he was just screwing around so he doesn't feel like a fool. And this is the other problem. You might be wondering, why isn't the floor to stop this? Why doesn't the floor to say, okay, th- this is done? Uh, so finally, the, the f- later the floor finally ruled, you know, the ru- ruled that, you know, the, the floor had ruled that Ryan gets to decide what to do. The floor should have not put this on Ryan. The, the, the floor should have just said, this is it. It's an all-in call. Period. That's the rule done. Instead, the, the floor is so afraid to drive a player like him out of there that they don't want to do it. So they, uh, they they put it on the player to basically enforce the rule, which is wrong. 
So there's fault on a lot of ends here. There's, there's no fault on Ryan's end, though. I'll say that. They, uh, well, no, there's fault on Ryan's end for even being in the game. He shouldn't be there either. So you know what? There's fault on all, all ends here. So the, the vast majority of fault is on Armenian Mike. I, I don't want to trivialize that. So, let's see here. I think we got one more thing. And, uh, yeah, the uh, the final thing is, is uh, the final topic here is Nicholas Palma. <laughs> Remember we talked about him, Nicky P, and all the bad allegations against him, and a lot of bad stuff that he was said to be doing. A lot of bad stuff. Most of it financial, most of it where he was, you know, he's getting backed by people, staked by people. And what he would do is he, he'd have winnings and then he'd say, you know what, instead of paying you the, your share of the winnings, let me uh, let me take these winnings and, and use them for such and such other tournament. And, and what he was really doing is he was just taking those winnings and paying back other people he owed in the past and then... Yeah, either wouldn't really play the tournament, or or he'd claim he played other things and he lost, and it, it was a constant exercise in robbing Peter to pay Paul. Because in reality, he had a gambling problem; he was way behind. He owed people a lot of money. It was this balancing act where he just kept uh, borrowing, 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 but under the guise of being staked. And then when he actually would hit a score, uh, then he couldn't pay people right away because he had to use that some of that money to pay other people that that, that he owed. So it was this constant balancing act in dodging people, yet he, he kept to keep getting new people staking him to keep fresh money coming in. So it was, it was a disaster, and, and, a, and a number of them came forward. We talked about this on the last show two weeks ago. Also what came out against him was a, a former girlfriend of his that, that claimed that one night uh, that he got drunk and raped her. So a lot of serious allegations against uh, Nicholas Palma, but... Uh, you would think that at this point, that given the biggest complaints against him had to do with not treating stakers fairly and honestly, that nobody would want to touch him, nobody would want to stake him. Who would want to stake a guy who wins and doesn't pay you and, and, and disappears on you and, and spends the money in other ways and pays other people with it? Who would ever take a chance staking someone like that? Well, apparently he has. Now, Nikki P with, with a pair of brass balls has been coming out on Twitter every day and talking about great tournaments that he sees on the schedule that he'd love to play. Uh, sometimes they're World Series tournaments, a lot of times there are other tournaments like at the Venetian, but he's been posting, oh, this is a great tournament, this is a great structure, this one's perfect for me, blah, blah, blah. Well, I was laughing at this. I'm going, you got to be kidding. Who's going to ever uh, stake this guy? Well, apparently it's happened because he's been tweeting about his results that, oh, I made day two with this many chips, so he's still finding suckers to do it. Let me say something. If you are staking someone like Nikki P at this point after what's come out, you deserve to get screwed. I, I, I don't like to say this of people. I don't like to ever blame victims or say that victims of scams deserve it. But I will say that if you're enabling someone who screwed so many other people that staked him and you still stake him, uh, you kind of deserve to get screwed at that point. Because he should be shut out of poker at this point unless he can get his own money to play with. Nobody should be putting him in for anything after the way he's been treating those who've been staking him. So, 
if you're keeping him in action, I mean, he deserves not to be in action. If you're keeping him in action, uh, you deserve to get screwed. There's so many different players out there that you could pick to stake. Ones who just made poor decisions with money, who are busto right now, but who would otherwise act honestly in the stake. Why not pick one of them? Why pick Nikki P, who's, who's seen to be such a scumbag? And, and just so soon after this, it's not even like years have passed and he's changed his ways. This, this is just right after it comes out, people are staking him. It's unbelievable. I don't know who's staking him, but crazy. And, and of course, the obvious question is, how do they know they're going to get paid? How do they know it's not going to be them? He probably gave a whole speech about, you know, this is my chance to start over. I would never do this. And my guess is he probably is going to try to, at least at the beginning, to act honestly with that stake, or otherwise he'll screw himself permanently, but maybe he's trying to reestablish a rep that he can be staked and be okay. But I mean, talk about someone you can't trust. Talk about the wrong person to be staking. Be like uh, a vicious pit bull that bites everybody. And he say, hey, let me go in the backyard with that pit bull. I, I know he's been biting everybody else, but I have a good feeling he's not going to bite me. I have a good feeling I can just pet him and he's not going to you know, snap my hand off. I, I just have a good feeling about this dog right here. I, I can pet any other dog, but I, I want to go into your backyard and pet your pit bull that's been biting everybody who's gone back there. I, I just think he's not going to bite me. I can't give you a reason why. I just think he's not going to bite me. That, that's what this is like. Speaking of that, I saw Chino Ream around. <laughs> so I just kind of saw him around the Rio talking to people. He's, he's another guy they just keep in action despite perpetually owing money. Some people that just keep getting staked even though they keep doing the same things over and over. It's amazing how gullible uh, certain poker players are. Well, that is it for... Our show for the evening. I want to thank you for listening, whether it's live or in the archives. And when's the next one? It's a fine question. It's a question I can't even answer. The next show is scheduled for June 26th. Less than five days from now. But four and a half days from now is the next scheduled show. But I don't know if it's going to happen. So don't count on it. The reason I'm not sure it's going to happen is because I may be in day two of the 10K limit hold'em. In fact, I hope I am. I could be in day one of the 1500 PLO 8 event. So, there's a very good chance I won't be able to do that show. And unlike the one I just missed two days ago on the 19th, because of day two of the 1500 No Limit, and I was able to make up two days later, I won't be able to make that one up. So, it's just going to be skipped. That's the only day I can do it. So if it doesn't happen on June 26th, then the next show will be on July 4th. The June 26th show would be at 8 p.m. if I have it. 
unless I say otherwise when it comes up. It's possible, like, if I can make it later in the evening, I'll start it. I'll start a late show. Uh, otherwise, uh, the next show would be July 4th at 6 p.m. So that's our schedule. Then there's another show scheduled for Sunday, July 8th at 8 p.m. And then 10 days later, Wednesday, July 18th at 8.30 p.m. So those are our four upcoming shows. But always check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert to keep up with the latest schedule because it changes so much around this time of year. Then we'll go back to something regular. We'll go back to Wednesday at 8.15 and uh, try to stick to that. That's all for tonight. Thank you, Traderuski, for coming on. Thank you to the new caller who called in. Happy to hear from him. Hopefully good things happen with the 10K limit. Shalom.